are you? I'm no one. You must learn the ways of the Force. And the powerful kind is. Father has it. I have it. My sister. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host of the show. This is episode 19, Dire Another Day. Joining me, as usual, is our loose and R5 focus collector. It's Dickie Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Next up is our Vintage Star Wars completist. Uh, it's Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. Hello, Stu. You alright? Yeah, I'm good, man. Next, we have Peter Davis, our modern and vintage collector and slave layer. Well, I don't know what you call it. Slave layer. Focus collector. Collector, maybe, Stu? Maybe it's a collection? <laughs> it's Petey Weedy. Good evening, sir. Get off my land. And finally, we have our Luke X-Wing focus collector. It's Jezebel. Good evening, Jez. Hello, Stu. Hello, lads. Hello, everyone. Weirdo. I've heard you got a, I've heard you got a new job, Jez. No, no. Same job. Same job. But a moustache. <laughs> no, I'm not taking part in Movember. I'm definitely not doing that. I will well, I know. Probably... It's part of your, your like uniform now, isn't it? Well, my moustache, yeah, that yeah. would be good. Yeah, Twirly moustache, greased, waxed at the ends. Oh, I do know some collectors with some stunning curly waxed moustaches, but I'm not sure if that would suit me. So you haven't got a new job? I'm waiting to find out. I'm, um, I've been told that I will be moving on, and at the moment they want me to stay where I am uh, for a couple more months until they can um, pin down exactly what role it is I'm going to go into next. Mm. I.e. that translates as waiting for you to grow that moustache. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Come on, I'm growing it now. Come on, get it out there. But while you're still waffling, Jez, how about telling us any acquisitions you've purchased this month? Wow, what have I got? Oh, look at this in my hand. After discussing the Han Solo blasters, I've ended up... Oh, such a delightful treat to the ears, isn't it? I got one of those off Mr. Sanderson which is lovely. I really, really like that. And also, off Mr. Sanderson, I got myself uh, a 41-back Imperial Commander mint-on card. So they're my two purchases. 
but I was extremely lucky that this month I ended up getting, just out of the blue, I returned from holiday, and in the post waiting for me was a Return of the Jedi invitation, which we spoke about on the uh, on the podcast only a month ago, which is admit two to a screening of Return of the Jedi, and you've got the supporting cast documents as well, and that's come straight Come on, Mr. Mark Daniels. So um, I'm absolutely delighted about that. That was just um, out of the blue in the post. Terrific. Really, really cool. And the final bit, I've got a couple of Polish bootlegs to go with my Luke X-Wing collection. And, and whilst I got those, Mark Carraway, who I bought them from, chucked in a third variant as well for me, which was a lovely treat. So I've been very pleased with my vintage editions. <laughs> so you got this bit. And then when you put it together with the trigger, <laughs> secret action button. That's yeah. just like the film. It's amazing. It is. It is. Feels good. <laughs> Your guns at work sound like that. Um, well, we we have rifles and we have guns. Is that? Do you, are you rifles? Are they three position? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not telling you anything about our stuff. All oh, right. Are they boxed or uh, loose? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, they're, they're not palatoy, and the clips definitely don't go missing. Are they reproduction? <laughs> I'm not telling you anything about my work stuff. Um, Grant, have you been buying anything? Yes, mate. I have been buying uh, digital cards for my Star Wars app. What? <laughs> I have uh, what? had the privilege of buying a pack of Finn cards the other day, which normally holds seven cards and one gold. And every now and then they, they throw a curveball in there and I had 50 cards in there and 33 of them were gold. So that was incredible. These gold cards are mega rare. So hopefully I haven't lost my only winning lottery ticket on a pack of Force Awakens Fing cards and I've almost completed my journey to the Force Awakens card set as well. Hopefully at some point tonight they're going to give us another discount. So uh, yeah, I've spent yeah, a ridiculous amount of money on that. It's just, especially when you drink as well. If you drink and you've got that app and you just press that button for more more cards, uh, yeah, it's been a delight. Grant, Grant, none of that is real. Yeah, they said that about MP3s, didn't they? And look at it now. I think you need to stop drinking, then you won't spend cash on it. And then you'll yeah. be really well off because you have your beer money. Yeah, that's really oh, weird, Stu. I, I, you gave us a couple of trades the other day. Uh, Oh, oh, oh. Say that, Stu. <laughs> well, I do. I do have some. Oh yeah, you also have a, a double of that Kylo Ren. I need to finish up Force Awakens. Set. Be, uh, if you obviously don't like it, I mean, you could always pass those cards on to me. <laughs> Peter, what have you been buying? I've not been buying that much this month. Um, I got a couple of. I think you saw it on the Letters Acquisitions thread. A couple of Power Droid mocks. Just, you know, just car backs. Sorry, should I say? Not mocks. That'd be silly. Um, but I will be selling one of those because I bought two. It's just easy to get two. Some modern stuff, which you're not interested in. Uh, and then some stuff from the big pick, which I'm sure we'll discuss at a later date. That's it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, you wouldn't believe this. On the Star Wars app today, Shaq T is the free Crimson card. Completely <laughs> given just, away for free. I haven't got that one. Have you got it, Stu? Claimed it about two minutes ago. And you were oh, I know, it's a good one, that is, isn't it? That's going to go in my Crimson Card collection, I tell thee. Richard Jez, what the hell are they on about? <laughs> what have you done with Grant Criddle? Can uh-huh. we have him back, please? It is. It, it, it's shameful. Jez, you must have loads of time to collect these when you're flying a helicopter, because once you're up there, you spare hand. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we don't have anything to do, do we? Yes, another another question about the military. The Luke Skywalker AM radio set, which is very rare, uh, Canon 1978, do you use that when you fly a helicopter? <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of money, and they are very rare, mind. Can yeah, you plug it into current systems? Oh, it's an AM radio there, Pete. Yeah, can you stick yeah. it in? People use plug- that all the time, don't they? Exactly, plug it in the side. No, one got, no one's going to know. Um, right, one of you hasn't answered me yet. Richard, what have you been buying? I haven't really bought a huge amount again. Here we go, hang on. Here we go. Let me just relax. Okay, go on, go on, Rich. Well, I did pick up five Palatoy mocks, but we'll talk about them a little bit later. Just I five. do have a. Uh, just five, yeah. I do have a 21E R5D4 arriving. I also do have another R5D4 mock, but I cannot remember what it was, and I can't even remember who I bought it from, so thanks to whoever sent me that. <laughs> just When I get it, I will thank you, because it will hopefully have a return label on the back of it. I have picked up a genuine Mexican bootleg R5D4, because there's so many fakes of those about, you've got to be really careful. I have picked up a Leah Sigma mug, which now brings me total up to six. I've got loads of West End books and oddities from the big pick. Um, I've got a grappling hook for me 12-inch look, which me 12-inch look is now totally complete. I've completed all of my Secret Santa purchases, and one of them was a major achievement. Um, I was even thinking it would be better to go back to 1977 to pick up some of the items that was on the list. And I've also picked up a loose, complete mint Tatooine skiff. And I was in the right place at the right time for that one. Absolutely immaculate condition, and I got a bargain price. Uh, on top of that, I picked up loads of uh, modern The Force Awakens novels, loads of toys. I got the entire set of Wave 2, loads of comics. And I've had a great Star Wars month, because I've also been a Madame de Swords, and I've been annihilated on the Star Wars battle board. Rich, that is absolutely fantastic set of stuff there. Last Thursday, R5D4, which I know your focus collector, uh, came out on the Crimson card on the Star Wars app. It's really <laughs> what? rare. What, yeah, what is it? It's a, ba- it's a base variant. There's only 71,235 of them. Oh, no. But they are now sold out. So definitely yeah, one, one to add to the focus, isn't there, mate? I bought them all. Your collection not complaining to have this nonsense. And, and well, a nice list of stuff there, Rich. Oof. And in, in, in 18 months' time... Then you might see R5D4 make a re- uh, return as well. I'll just leave that one there. Jez? Rich, can you just say again, I got a grappling hook for a 12-inch loop? I got a grappling hook for a 12-inch loop. Yeah, I, I know. I zoned out for a while when you were sort of rabbiting on and we met, <laughs> went and made a cup of tea. And I came back and I just heard that bit. And it just made me think, you know, when actors and actresses are, are practicing and they're doing their bits and they're, you know, just getting their mouth, doing the whole sort of... um. I'm Ron Burgundy thing at the beginning. I can just imagine people giving it the whole, I've got a grappling hook from a 12-inch look. And Boy, that's, Boy, that's all I took from that. But well done. Okay. Sounds like you've been busy. Well, the, the complete mint tattooing skiff, come on. Finding one of them in come on, how much? Nice, complete how much? condition. Oh, I want to say it was... <laughs> you want to say? Just tell us what the price was, man. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. It was um, maybe about 180 Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, it was an absolute bargain. I've just like bang, there it is. Appeared on Facebook. I think it was um, it was Sean Lemcool. Stuck it up on Facebook. I was the first one to respond after I had a bit of childish gibbering. Bang, straight, and they took it. Oh, I would have liked that. You done well there, yeah. Rich, do you yeah. do you class us four as friends? Um, There's three of us, Stu. I was going to say who who's speaking there. I'm classing me, you, Peter, and Jez Grant. 
I'm asking Richard, that's four of his friends. Oh, right, yeah, I got you, Steve. Oh, sorry. Because, because you bought five Palatoy mocks and didn't offer any of them to us. Fair one. This is madness. Yeah. Not true. Uh, he's networking. <laughs> yeah, I think he needs to network closer to home. I tell you what, if you want a Palatoy mock, I can get one for you. <laughs> that was C-3PO. No, that one's sold. Auto-D2, but we'll talk about that later. I think he's also got some like 3,000 card backs and bubbles and loose figures. Um, so I was going to have a look at them as well. There was an A in the corner somewhere. Yeah, well, don't forget your friends, Rich. <laughs> Stu, my little furry Ewok friend. Jesse, what? my bald friend. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> he's not bald now, he's got a moustache on the go. Yeah, I was going to say, you've already seen my head. Um, <laughs> what have you been buying? Um, not a great deal, to be honest with you. I have only picked up this month a KB2 pack, because it had Greedo in it. <laughs> All my focus and just some Secret Santa stuff, so quite quiet. Oh, I saw that two pack. Yeah, that was really nice, mate. You did well with that one. Yeah, nice to pick it up. Right then, so I believe, Grant, you have this month's question. I do, Sue. Thank you very much. And this is a really tricky question that only. Oh. Is it better than Richard's last month? Yeah, of course. Bigger yeah. Star Wars fans are going to actually be able to answer this one, so hopefully you guys will do us really proud. It's actually inspired by another video podcast called uh, OSW Review Podcast, which stands for Old School Wrestling. And these guys uh, have a wonderful podcast. And what they do is they go back and chronologically critique wrestling pay-per-views. A bunch of Irish lads. It's an hilarious podcast. Now, if you remember, in the 80s, people like the Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah, dig it. And the Ultimate Warrior used to wear really elaborate uh, sort of uh, outfits and clothing. And what they do is they, they suggest, like, what chocolate bar do they look like in terms of their outfits? So I was actually going to incorporate that into our action figures. So, for example, if I said C-3PO and threw it out to you guys, you could say he looks like a crunchy bar. Twix. Twix. Twix is on the list. It, the glass light C-3PO does look like a Twix. Benson and Hedges Gold. Special Brew. These are all C-3PO examples. So I want you to think of examples of what you would find... In an off-license, not including food, so no Coleman's mustard for Jabba the Hutt. Just what you would find if it's ice lollies, fizzy drinks, chocolate, crisps, beers, or cigarettes. Uh, have you guys, are you, you aware of what we're doing? Yep. <laughs> Luke, uh, not really. I was getting with chocolate, and then you started going on about fizzy drinks and going to the off-license. Yeah. <laughs> it, it should be quite easy, and hopefully a little bit of fun. The first character I've got up, and I'm actually, we're only going to do two or three characters here. Let me look three characters uh and in honor of rich the first character i'm going to do is r5d4 so starting with you rich what bar is r5d4 um a chocolate bar you're on about what but anything you can find in an off license it's either fizzy drinks lollipops crisps right. chocolate sweets tobacco or alcohol bit of a tough one that um i'm okay. going to go with polos what uh, no, polos are green, blue, and white, Rich. That's oh, five. I thought you meant I thought you meant inside the bars. No, just I'm that's thinking just of white and hollow. What about oh, the old Marlboro Fags packet? Well done, yep, Marlboro Fags, Pete. I'll accept that one, even though it's not your turn. It did say Rich. I'd, yeah, that was nice. One point to Pete. Hey, come on now, Rich. Um, ooh, um, um, Smirnoff vodka. Oh, fantastic Smirnoff vodka. That's also on this world. Well Rich Stew. What is R5-D4? I'm not getting a different character. Okay, um... I'd have been thinking about that if I'd known. He is... He's a pack of Marlborough. Oh. 
he is R five D four. You're quite right. It's a pack of Marlboro. That's mine. I can edit Pete's bit out. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, that's Pete's. <laughs> yeah, that's mine. You get off. Okay. Um. Well, you can both have a point. Jez, over to you. What bar is R five D four? His little packet of Tic Tacs. Tic Tacs. I didn't see any Tic Tacs. Are you sure they're red and white? Yeah. 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 I'd give Jez one for that. I can't they're remember green, better what. Or- no, they're green and orange. I think there's a few different varieties. Well, yeah. I'm not on my not selling in an off license. Not on my Google list there, Jez. I'm afraid that's zero points. Rich, Ooh. back to you. Well, back off ID4 still? Yes. Oh, um, packet of Marlboros? Packet of? Marlboros? No, we've had those twice. <laughs> Marlboro lights? Um... No, they are gold and white, so no. No, um... Right, I'm going to say a fab lolly. No, I, I did actually consider fab, but one third of it is that chocolatey sprinkle stuff. But it would have been number 14 on my list. So, <laughs> half a point for that one, Rich. Half a point. Steve? Um, I'm just going to say a can of... <laughs> I can hear him Googling. Um, yeah, red stripe lager. Red stripe lager, that definitely... There we are, that is definitely a point there. Pete? I'm going back on the cigarettes. I'm going to go for Lucky Strikes. Lucky Strikes, well done, Pete. God, you used to work in a shop. <laughs> Jez, what is R5D4? <laughs> Just, um, he's, he's a robot with a bad motivator. He is a packet of new and improved flavoured Pringles. Eh? <laughs> I've got one, I've got one. Yeah, because... Can hear you Googling, Stu. New and improved... Google it, mate, I'm eating. New and improved flavoured Pringles? I don't know that one. Is that the original flavour? Oh, no. Yeah, there's nothing like you don't, you don't need to improve on those. Uh, I don't, I'm sorry, Jez, I haven't got those on my list either. Don't be sorry. You <laughs> can give them monkeys. Rich? Not the attitude, Jez. Back to me again. Oh, um, kind of Budweiser? Brilliant. Budweiser, totally brilliant, yep. Definitely. Good shout, Good shout Richard. Stu? Well, um, Smith's Crisps with the white red stripes. Yep, Walker Smith's Crisps, well done. Pete? I'm trying to think of more facts. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think. Let me think. Go on, Jez, you go in there. Oh, I oh, know, no, ready salted crisps. Well, we just had those. You keep on stealing Stewart's. Well, Steve stole mine, I'm still his. Ready salted crisps, Walkers. Yeah, we've already had them, Pete. Jez? I know, I'm going to say it again. <laughs> what are those horrible... Pork scratching thing. Pork scratchings. What are those horrible pork scratching things? Pork scratchings. Yeah. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. You can have a point for them. Uh, I would prefer to have the brand name as well, but uh, yeah, that's fair enough. They do Mr. Pork pork is. red. Final go around on R five D four, Rich. <sighs> Scratch the bottom of the barrel, yeah. All right, okay. The red and white candy canes that go on Christmas trees may off late and got them in at the moment. Yeah, so it is a good effort. You're going to have half a point there. It's the scraping of the barrel, half a point. Stu? Um, I'm going to go with... Um, I find this game very difficult. Um, strawberry laces. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, strawberry laces. Pete? Milky bars. Brilliant milky bars, absolutely. Jez? And they're blue on them. They, they, they're red and yellow, surely. Milky bar, right. you shush there. I do, I do accept milky bar has a, yeah. a, a, a tint of yellow on it, but so do many R5D4 loose figures. Yay! Right. A five litre tub of Wall's Raspberry Ripple ice cream. There we go. Okay, that's it for R5D4. Some of the ones we had on the list is Kit Kat, 
Budweiser, Embassy Number no. 1, Smirnoff Vodka, Stella Artois, Ready Salted Crisps, Topic, Milky Bar, Maltesers, Kinder, Coca-Cola, Marlboro and Skittles. <laughs> okay, two more to go. Chewbacca. Oh my god. <laughs> Rich. Why does he always go first? Stu. Why doesn't he eat Rich go first? Stu. Uh, c- a cigar. Cigar. Yeah, why not? A Chewbacca is a cigar. Pete. <laughs> I really want to go for what's inside of a, something. I want to go for a, a picnic chocolate bar because it looks like Chewbacca. Mm. But I know it's not going to be accepted, so I'll go for a Galaxy Bar. Galaxy, brilliant, yes. Jez? Mars Bar, with an extra point for the out of space connotations. No, Chewbacca's brown. <laughs> Rich? Snickers. Brilliant! Obviously, top answer, Snickers. Steve. What's the difference? Well, the Mars bar is black with red writing on it. Snickers is brown with white on it. Hence Chewbacca. Oh. I'm going to go with a, a tall bottle of Southern Comfort. Oof, very good, Stuart. Yeah, you're really good at this game. Pete? Uh, Lion Bar. Oh, the second one. And also, it's got the raw. Well done. Jez? Drifter. Uh, Drifter is blue and red. <laughs> Not when you peel it! Yeah, it's not, it's it not was packaging, a Jez. Revert to the first original question. Oh, I zoned out ages ago. I was actually thinking about the bit you eat. Yeah, no, obviously all the bars would be Chewbacca then, wouldn't it? No, not necessarily. Well, no. Let me think quickly about one which wouldn't. A milky bar. Can't quit that. Yeah. Rich? Yeah. Um, a Galaxy Ripple. You already had Galaxy Rich and all of yeah, it. Yeah, in band. your face. I, I'll give you, you half a point. next, Minstrels. It's not hard. It is hard, actually. Uh, so I'll give you half a point again. Can I have a go? Yeah. Oh, it's me! <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I need a point. Go on. What about a beef packet of crisps? Full stop. Yes, beef packet of crisps. I do accept that. Absolutely. Pete? I'm going to go for my... Well, I don't eat crisps anymore, but my favourite used to be... What's the sauce? French fries. Yes. Uh, that. Yep, that's definitely a point there. You've known... Oh, I think I'm talking about, have you? Can I muscle in again with yes, my No, you can't. Not your goal. All right, Rich, go on then. Putin. A bottle of Brunil. I don't know what that is, Rich. Brunil, man, we Can we use the proper terms, Rich? Yes, come on, Rich. We don't all use your vernaculars. Stu? Um, Chewbacca. Can you give me yep. a point for that one? Oh, so you've, just said, you've just said it. I'm going to go with chewing tobacco. The stuff you used to chew, the woodbines. Uh, they don't have those for sale, do they? Pete? <laughs> Be- beefy hula hoops. They can't just keep naming beef different crisps. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the brown. Go around. He's just said, <laughs> yeah. beef think... and onion and minced beef. Yeah, I know, they're all brown. Um, beef hoops, cheers. The thing is, is hula hoops are walkers, and you've already said walkers crisps, so why don't you move on to McCoy's? No, I'm going to go for beef hula hoops. Yeah, zero, no, you've already had hula hoops. I have had hula hoops. I have McCoy's. McCoy's, uh, what flavour, Jez? Beef. No. Steak <laughs> and onion. No. Steak. Barbecue. Oh, Stu, you said steak. Yeah, that's it. It's grilled steak flavour. Okay, I think we'll we'll leave Chewbacca there. You got Snickers bar, Lion bar, beef oh, and your Chris. No, oh, no, I've got one more because I oh, was go lost. On. If you got one, Allinson wholemeal bread. Yes. yes. What, in an off license, what kind of license do you go to? That is, that, <laughs> uh, hang on, we said no. Exactly. It is good, but we said no Coleman's mustard for Jabba. So I can't accept that, Rich. Yeah, boo, boo, but Rich. You've got Snickers bar, Lion bar, beef and onion, Chris, McCoy's Chris. Uh, relentless orange flavour, chocolate M&M's, caramel, galaxy, Rolos, minstrels. And finally, this one's a lot shorter, Han Solo. Uh, something with Pete. Oh, Han Solo? Original Han Solo. 
Original what? As in black and white hand solo? Woof, there we go. You're a Star Wars collector. <laughs> oh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of cigarettes. Uh, nah, you won't find cigarettes, mate, because black reminds them of their lungs. <laughs> blah, I don't want to, I want to black. It's oh, not fair. I want to black things. Mars bar. Uh, Mars bar. Unfortunately, there's no white. It's red and black, so Hansel is not. If you said that for Darth Vader or Tie Fighter pilot, I would have accepted it. Yeah, that's white. It's white around the logo. Moving on to Jazz. Yeah, when you come to my local suit um, off license, they've got a little wicker basket as you walk in through the door and then turn left with some local produce. And uh, if you can imagine it, just you know, take yourself there. You've gone through. You've acknowledged the man on the left, and there's a, a little wicker basket with some homemade sort of local brews in there. And take it from me, there's some local wines which have got a black and white label on, and <laughs> um, and that's that. So I win. Oh, that fantastic story there, Jez. Rich a newspaper. No, can't really accept that. It is good oh, though. Yeah, the Guardian's <laughs> black and white. Yeah, no, no, the yeah, it's black and white and red all over. Uh, there we go. Uh, half a point there, Rich. I'll give you a newspaper, but that is stretching the rules. Um, Stu, black and white. You would have this all the time, no doubt. Okay. Um, are we going with a type of? Look what's in your hand at the moment. Um, cider. <laughs> bottle of cider. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to answer that question. I agree. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go with blackjacks. Yeah, blackjacks. Great answer. <laughs> Pete? Oh, I found some. Marble blacks. It's black and white cigarettes. Hey. Oh, there we go. Marble blacks. Well done, mate. Jez? No wicker stories this time. Not as if I'm looking <laughs> at Google or anything. I'm thinking. <laughs> i tell you what, you walk, Jez, you walk into a bar in England, okay, and someone walks up to the bar and say, can I have a pint of what, please? Oh, we've gone, we've gone into bars now, have we? Uh, they sell alcoholic drinks, mate, in off-licenses. That's why it's called an off-license. <clears throat> oh, now, now we've moved. Jez? Can I have, have a, a, have a point p- of smuggler's revenge? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Guinness. <laughs> Guinness, well done, Stu. Dang Guinness. it. <laughs> Another one that you order at the bar. Probably Falling the- black label. Bang! That is Han Solo right there. Well done, Rich. He's far too cool drink, Carlin. Uh, any others? Oh, God. Dark Tower. Uh, Dark Tower. Oh, it's black and... Um, black Tower, isn't it? <coughs> it is Black Tower, yeah. Yeah. yeah Dark Tower was a Stephen King book. Yeah, Rich, I think you should lose five. He's already lost five. Don't worry about it, Sue. Oh, what was that? There was a box of chocolate things. They were quite... See, there was um, oh, the black and white chews. Um, black Magic. That, black yeah. Magic, yes. And Solo is a... Box of black magic, yeah. Yes, yeah, still a buzz. Okay, finally, anything else left, guys? What about something that Slash from Guns N' Roses would drink? Oh, yeah, Jack Daniels. Bam. Yeah. What about Captain Morgan's? Captain, yeah, that's fine, yeah. We're, we are stuck in the pub right now, aren't we? We're talking about Father's Farm, yeah, still, aren't we? Yeah, I think you've, you've pretty much got them all now. Uh, one that isn't, uh, you know, Murphy Stout, Relentless Original, and a Coke Zero. So, final scores. <laughs> you Rich, you counted. have nine points. Stu, nine. Pete, seven. Jez, five. Me and Jez win. Yeah, Those two are losers. This. I have lived long enough to see the same eyes in different people. I see your eyes. I know your eyes. 
follow me. Star Wars The Force Awakens. Just goes boom! Invasion of the Grave Robbers. A funny thing happened on the way to the market. DT Mock highlights stupidity. Put the alarm on snooze. The Rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Uh, Rich, Vectors goes boom! What's that all about? There really is only one place to start this month, and that's with the Vectus auction that's coming up on December the 8th. And I had the good fortune to go down to Vectus and take lots of snaps and videos and have a tour of what's down there with Kathy. And I can just see I was absolutely astounded at the amount of stuff that they've got down there for the December auction and the stuff for everybody's tastes from the worst beaters that you've ever seen in your life right up to some real high-end quality mocks and even some items that you're just never going to see again. So I'm just going to start off with some of the items. I'm not going to go through everything what I've seen because we're just going to bore everybody. But I'm just going to go off with some of the items that I pulled out for highlights. And obviously everybody's asking what kind of palatoys do they have there. And the awesome 12 bucks. Um, I did spot the Leah, Tuscan, Radar, Jawa, Vader and R2. And there were about another five or so in the box, but they were buried underneath. I didn't want to go digging through them, but I think we all know what the real highlight of those were. So, Jez, did you see any of my videos? Palatoid 12 bucks. what do you think's caught everybody's eye? Ah, you're talking about the box? I am talking about the box. And what did the box contain? 24 Death Squad Commanders. 24 Death Squad Commanders in absolutely immaculate condition. It took Kathy and I a good 10 minutes to find this box. How big would you think this box would be, just out of interest, if you were looking for it? What, a box of Death Squad Commanders? Yeah, 24. How big do you think the box would be? Not amazingly big, because once they're packed in, yep. not huge. I don't know. I don't know. Do you want, do you want dimensions? No, I don't. Uh, you fit the needle on the head there. Not very big at all is what uh, I was looking for. I was, I was looking for a box that would probably be a good, I don't know, two foot by two foot with lots of padding inside it or anything at all, but it's not. It's literally just bigger than a card back in height, just bigger than a card back in width, and probably not much longer than a card back lying down. It really is such a tiny box. And obviously they're packed one facing one way and then one facing the other way to try and uh, maximise um, as many as they can get in these shipping cartons. So I pulled out about six of them to have a look. I pulled out the one at the front, one at the back and a few random ones in the middle. And apart from a little bending on the very extreme ones, the rest of them are in absolutely fantastic condition. So good luck everybody who's bidding on those. I think that's something that I've certainly never seen before. Is anybody aware of any Palatoy shipping crates with contents in them like that? Do you know which backs they are, actually? 12As or 12Bs? Ooh, I want to see the 12Bs. Do you know what the average price is for a 12B Palatoy Descord Commander is? Mate, I don't want to give too much away here because I'm aware of a bid that's going to go in. If I said between 350 and 450 and I don't want to give the exact amount, would I be far out? Yes. 
I'd be fired. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yes. Uh, well, according to Star Wars Tracker, the, this is the last five sold on eBay or Vectors or whatever. For Palatoy Star Wars, Death Squad Commander, 12B, you're looking at a low of 744, uh, average of 878, and a high of 1,000. So that's a big box of cash. But obviously, as I think people point out on the forum, suddenly having all that that many suddenly come onto the market all at one stage, you're going to probably have a bit of a price fall, I'd imagine. Isn't the 12-pack Death Squad Commander the easiest to get from the Palatoy? I'm not, not is. one to answer that. I'm yeah. not one to answer that. I mean, that's the most on the Star Wars tracker, but... Mm-hmm. said I, I am not the person to answer that question you know what we we talk about prices and previous prices but we've seen recently with the palatoy death star that price which will be you know seen in one auction an auction or two later on and it's significantly lower so who knows the more of these which are on the market i'm not going to say the market's flooded but there'll be more available and therefore the demand isn't going to be as high because people are getting them and there's more available so ultimately you never know these but also, Jez, also, Jez, that will, if these are mint, if you're saying, Rick, that will also get people to, if someone has bought that, that will force the, you know, someone's sort of lesser quality versions back onto the market again, won't they? Yeah. Okay, so moving on then, the first thing I saw when I was down there was the huge, stunning, graded Trilogo collection. And I'm just going to pull out some nice items I looked at. Um, the hybrid Cloud Car Pilot, I'm aware the last one of Vectus went for just under a 1,000. There was also a Greedo hybrid, and lots of other ones that I hadn't seen before. I've never seen an Emperor's Royal Guard Trilogo, and there was one of them there that looked an absolute beauty. Lots and lots of common Trilogos, but I'm going to say I must have seen probably upwards of 80 graded Trilogos, all in, in stunning condition. 80? Um, 80, yeah. There were doubles. Crazy. It is. one person's collection? No, no. There weren't one person's collection. These are coming from, I'm going to say, at least six individuals. But the the big high-end items, I think, of Trilogos have come from one person. But I saw so many Trilogos, and I didn't even bother counting the Kenner uh, mock. There There were so many of them. It wouldn't surprise me if there were 300 mocks that are going to get listed. You didn't mention the Hammerhead Trilogo hybrid, which is probably the second most difficult one to get after the Cloud Car Pilot. I still find that these prices, whilst expensive, and it's not the sort of money you know one would typically drop, for a card as rare as the Cloud Car Pilot and the, and the Hammerhead, these aren't going for anywhere near as much as I thought they would do because it's such a niche thing, as opposed to, you know, you look at your hand Solos and your Chewies and your Lukes on various different card backs. Uh, you know, there'll be a lot more of them available, but they'll just fetch such a higher premium because only a dedicated Tri-Logo collector is going to want these particular ones. I thought the last Cloud Car Pilot which sold, that didn't surprise me at all. I thought that would have gone for more. Yeah, I think you're bang on there, Jez. I think a few people were surprised. And I've even heard the term bargain bandied about for that Cloud Car Pilot. You even um, just mentioned that you hadn't seen a Trilogo Emperor's Royal Guard. Well, it just so happens that former podcast member Ben Coombert actually purchased one of the last farthest from. Yeah? It was lovely. Yeah, I must admit, it does look stunning on the old Trilogo. Totally agree with that. Um, so moving on then, as I was wandering down the aisle to power the force, graded Jack Face caught me eye. That was um, a nice figure. Some mint on card die casts, and, and one that I was really surprised at, guys, what we did not expect to find in the UK in very, very good condition. You and your bomber. bomber. A TIE Bomber, which I've been after for quite a while. And I know I haven't got a hope in hell's chance of getting this TIE Bomber. So I really hope whoever does get it has a loose one in nice condition that they'd like to sell to part fund it. Lots and lots and lots of Helix stationary items. Did you see the what Vectors are probably describing as the jewel of the crown? Um, and I picked it up and it was really, it was in really nice condition. What am I referring to from Helix? 
pencil sharpener? Yeah, the, the desktop pencil sharpener. I remember having these as a kid, and it's a bit like everything nowadays. You know, like one bars when you were a kid were like three foot long, and now they're like six inches. The Helix desktop pencil sharpener, I could have sworn was massive when you were a kid. Really, really big, but it, it, it's actually quite small. Wondering what the pencil sharpener tends to go for at the moment. Wouldn't know, mate. Um, did a presentation on it about, I think it was the last Fathers From or Fathers From before that. And the price range from, went from £85 to 270 It was actually um, the first Fathers From I came to, mate, and it was about 18 months ago. Oh, was it? <laughs> but you were close, yeah. It's all the same. No, I was going to ask you on the um, stationery, were there any uh, Princess Leia pencil cases doing the rounds? There was definitely the Red Stormtrooper one, and I think there was the white, is it the white Princess Leia pencil case? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but they were both inside the pencil cases. You know, when a felt tip or a pen leaks, they were quite stained inside. But, um, <laughs> yeah, there were, there were a few yeah, items. Yeah. Enough of that, Pete. Two three-packs. Neither of them the ones that I'm going for, but Stu. One of them was yeah. the Creature three-pack. Yeah, be out of my price range, mate. But, yes, lovely. You never know. You never know, Stu. You never know. And the other one was the TIE Fighter pilot. And Grant, you've got that one, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Hang on, let me just have a look. Uh, da, da, da. No, I haven't. You haven't got the Trifecta 3? I thought you had that. No, I've got the, uh, the Hoff one, mate. One of the Trifecta ones. Yeah, that's same as Stu, completely out of my price range by a million miles. How much will those go for? Depends on the pack, mate. Um, three grand, I'm guesstimating. Yeah, you're looking at three grand, maybe, if it's in mint condition for that TIE Fighter pilot one. Wow. Just, uh, just looking around. No, I don't have three grand on me. Check down the back of the sofa, Grant. You might have three grand loose change. You never know. Mate, if I fill my car full of diesel, it doubles the price of the car. I definitely don't have three grand. <laughs> Rich, just a, a very quick insert to the pencil sharpener. Two went on eBay recently, both for around the £150 mark. Mm-hmm. <gasps> so uh, one, one went with, uh, actually yesterday, uh, for £156.66 with 11 bids on it. In fact, do you reckon if I traded 53 Star Wars Tops Trader app gold cards, super rare, only 55,000, how many of them do you reckon I could trade for a three-pack? Okay, so moving on. As usual, there were tons and tons of box vehicles. I'm just going to pull out a couple that I spotted. There was the Palatoy X-Wing. I mean, how many times have I been told now you're not going to see another one and then the next vector's auction, another Palatoy X-Wing appears. They had the normal and the Battle Damage version. There was a Palatoy Millennium Falcon, another Palatoy Death Star, loads and loads of mini-rigs, a ridiculous amount of Palatoy mini-rigs, two box sand crawlers, which were in nice condition, and one loose as well. Um, and I believe the two box ones come with the remote controls. One, I think, had the stickers unapplied. Um, I'm not sure about the second one. I just looked at one of them really closely. You don't see many box sand callers. And lots of box 12-inch figures that were all in quite rough condition. But one other item that I would like to highlight for a second is the missile from the rocket-firing FET. Now, what? I'm not sure if it's been graded, but it's definitely got a certificate of authenticity from Tom Derby at CIB. Talk about the sand caller. My um, father-in-law came to stay this weekend, first time in ages. Stayed in the Star Wars room, had a really good look around, and lots have changed in the last year. And he came downstairs and just went, "You haven't got one of those sand crawler things." That's the first thing he said to me. Don't. So uh, I am well aware of my shortcomings, and now have to be pointed the error of my ways. Maybe I need to get myself a sand crawler. If you remember, my sand crawler was um, my target for the year, wasn't it? And so you're still not a man, Jez. <laughs> so, Rich, will you be bidding on this then? If you're going to fulfil your prophecy? No, the only thing I'm going for is a tri logo R5. And everybody oh, who's boo. emailed me asking for photographs and videos, I've made it very clear I keep away from the R5. 
Do you know what? I think, you know, I have to have a conversation about rarity here because before Vectors came on the scene, this was rare and that was rare and this was rare. It's quite apparent that, you know, three or four times a year, Vectors just sells what we would consider really rare stuff. Now, I know we had a conversation before we came on about a uh, Paddy Toy Luke Bespin 45B being the only one uh, found in the last 10 years. Now, that to me sounds rare, but a lot of these Paddy Toy carded figures are supposed to be ridiculously rare, like these 12-backs. don't seem that rare when Vectors are selling them four times a year. I think the rocket firing FET is missile has to be classed as rare, and it's probably the only item in that Vectors lot that I can think of. Would a class of three packs as rare, those two? Probably oh, you not. Know. You probably wouldn't, would you? I don't know, I, I, I never see the three-packs come up for sale that often, to be honest, mate, but mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff, like, I guess it's the quality of the condition of the cards as well, but, I mean, see, since we've been doing this podcast, there's been a lot of this 12-back paddy toy was sold at this price. I mean, we basically do it every episode. Yeah. Uh, might have to sort of reconsider what we think is rare. Yeah, well, we'll throw that one out to the audience. What classes is rare in Star Wars collecting? What do you mean by rare? Because I've got the answer to that. Come on, the Jazz astound us been to pretty much every single father's throne apart from two and what is categorically massively rare is rich buying around boom what? Right, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> i don't know how you did but yes i agree move on the moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes uh, rich uh, invasion of the grave robbers Right, now this is an interesting story that was posted on Rebel Scum in a watch out thread and basically the guy who posted and started the thread off, he put warning, this guy is a tool bag, look at this, this guy needs to get shut down, totally misleading and that's all it said. So a few guys checked on the link which took you to a, an eBay page and it was an AFA 85 Han 12 back and it had a spelling mistake on the AFA label, small only had one L. And it was a very, very obvious reseal. So at first, you know, the first probably 10, 15 posts were kind of, I can't believe this guy is trying to sell something in a fake AFA case. It's such a, a really poor job. It's a really bad reseal, etc., etc. But it actually transpired into something different. Does anybody know what the real problem with that AFA case was? Uh, yeah, I do, Rich. Go on, Jez. Um, it had the hologram. It had the hologram. Okay, now we've always been told that the hologram cannot be faked. And as far as we are aware, the hologram still can't be faked. This guy who was allegedly Randall Pink, who was allegedly a scammer, what do you think he's done? How's he got round this hologram problem? He took one off the back of a VHS? Nearly. Took one off something else, didn't he? No, he didn't. What he did was he's cut, he's cut the bottom of an Afa case very, very carefully taken the base off, removed a figure, put a new figure in, put his naff faked AFA label on the item, and then re-glued the case along the bottom. So the AFA case is now, say, three quarters genuine, with a genuine hologram with a fake item and a fake label. Whoa, How what? crafty is that? Now, is that going to set pigeons um, alight? What a waste of time. <laughs> what are you burning pigeons for? It's great fun. I don't even think that's a waste of talent. I mean, you could build something really nice, like a treehouse. So well, that's kind of what, what I was alluding to, Rich. I, you know, you just cut one out of something else, which is obviously as essentially done. But oh yeah, I'm amazed that no one's done it before. This guy has, I'm just checking here. He has a vinyl cave Jawa mock for sale, and he also had a 12 back look as well. Now the problem is, is that this guy's getting reported on an eBay. His accounts are getting shut down, and it's appearing again two months later. He's even come on Rebelscom registering a brand new account trying to sell these items, especially for other collectors. How are they going to be able to spot this now? Just don't buy it. 
AFA graded things. That's much better. There's a lot of information on these labels as well, isn't there? The genuine ones. I understand that there's each one has got its own code. Yes. And you can put that into the tracker as well. So I guess for the people who are collecting them, and, it, and it's quite a quite a big business for those who do. You know, some people want particularly straight grades or what have you. If someone was that serious about spending money on it, I'm sure that they would do a little bit of research, be it on the forums or actually checking the labels. But to, to look at that, straight away you could see that that was an absolute reseal. And I think that it went so high, that particular one, because there were people protecting others by just bidding on it, saying, right, that's really, really bad. I'm going to put £100,000 on that so no one is going to win it and um, trying to protect the community, as it were. Well, that's brilliant, that, Jez, actually, because um, Craig Mack on, on Rebel Scorm had actually won the item and he bid ten grand for it. And obviously, as soon as he won the auction, he left negative feedback straight away, complaining about the item, and then, obviously, it got closed down. So, good on you, Craig. That was fantastic. Surely this is a legal matter, then, between AFA and the, and the service they provide, which must, be, must have some kind of regulation attached to it or some kind of legality attached to it. And if they're misrepresenting its brand or whatever, or counterfeit, I don't, know, I don't know what it would fall under, actually. I guess that's some kind of misrepresentation, but surely AFA could sue him, can't they? Well, yeah, I think, I mean, we've tried many times to get certain individuals' EB accounts shut down for what we're seeing as counterfeiting and, you know, misleading others. We don't have the power that EFA do. So EFA contacting EB and saying, hey, this guy's copywriting our items is certainly having a big sweep with eBay, so I'm actually pleased that EFA are acting upon this. Because, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, eBay won't want to get dragged into a, a legal battle. I mean, EFA will have to go directly to him, and eBay, well, that's why they, they often do wipe their hands these things. I, they ban the account, and then just let them let the two parties go at it themselves, and then, you know, they, they don't have to get involved. Rich, would it be easy for someone to get a hold of AFA if they wanted to? Are they regularly on any of the forums or on Facebook? So if anyone saw something, they could just quickly send AFA a private message and then they could get it and then things would be quicker that way. And if they haven't, maybe we should be asking AFA to set themselves up with some sort of easy comm system to look out for this sort of stuff. Now, some people will correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but I'm pretty sure most people contact Tom Derby, which I know he has nothing to do with EFA anymore, but he has the contacts with them, and he is the one who still has some kind of involvement in that. Have uh, AFA released a statement on this? Nothing that I've seen yet, Ah. and and I don't think it's in their interest really to publicise this, is it? Have they released a statement about the Toy Tony scandal yet? Um. Again, I don't think it's in their interest and it's not something... I don't even know if they've even acknowledged the Toy Tony scandal. Yeah, um, it's terrible to think that people are selling fake items, are they? Yeah, it would be terrible, definitely. Word of warning then for AFA collectors, don't be lazy. You've got to be as educated as all the rest of us who don't collect AFA. Be very, very careful. Check the bubble still. Check the label. As Jez said before, the label was really bad. The barcode in particular looked as though it had been drawn on with a felt tip. And check the bottom along the case for signs of cracks and for sign of glue. But nothing, absolutely nothing, beats education. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. On the way to market, a funny thing happened. Well, a lot of people have been asking for the backstory on this one, and I'm now more comfortable sharing the story. As many people are away, I have not been able to track Star Wars Insider down for weeks and weeks and weeks. I tried all of the large department stores nearby, and... 
it was about two weekends ago I headed over to Newcastle with the sole purpose of finding the Star Wars Insider and for some reason I headed off to Forbidden Planet which is on the other side of Newcastle and I decided to take a walk through the market now I've never been in this market for about 10 years maybe even a touch longer and I was walking through I noticed an old not quite a cinema store because it's certainly nothing as big as that it's more like one of those guys who goes to Comic-Con with pop vinyls and modern Star Wars figures and stuff like that. So I just briefly looked up at the window, and then what did I spot in the window? It was a Palatoy Yoda. So I looked at it, and I thought, surely not. And it was in a store case, and it had a £300 price sticker on it. And I looked at it, and I thought, there's got to be something wrong with this. So I think Pete may have been the first person I text. And I said, Pete, any ideas on this? Pete uh, came back with his um, advice. If it's a 45 buck, it's worth, well, the last one on Star Wars truck, I went for this price. If it's a 30 buck, it went for this price, etc., etc. But I'm not a mock collector, so I actually walked away. But something was still troubling my mind, though, so I sent the image to quite a few Star Wars collectors. And one person, um, who's a good friend of mine, he convinced me after being easily two miles away from the store by this point, to go back and take another look. So, headed all the way back up to the market, had another look at it, and I went inside the shop, and it was very tiny. It's literally, I'm going to say, five foot by ten foot, and but it's wall to ceiling full of, of product, and you, you haven't got a lot of room to move. And I asked the guy if we could get the order out of the window. Actually had to go out of his shop for him to get into his cabinet. It's that small. And he also had a Luke Bespin. Um, what he told me was Kenner. He also had a Luke Bespin in the window as well. So I took the Yoda down, took some photographs of front and back, sent them off to me mate and said, are you interested? Yes, I am. Deal done. And I, I haggled him down to £280. But as Pete told me later on, that was the one that sold in Vectis. Well, it wasn't the exact one. It was a similar one that sold in Vectis for the best part of 3000 Maybe even being a touch more. Bargain of the year there, definitely. I think we uh, said, Rich, I think I said, Rich, buy it now. Buy it now, you did. You did, Pete. You said buy it now. I wish I had listened to your advice. So, whilst I was in the shop, I asked him about the history of the piece and why did it end up there. And he told me that his mum worked for a catalogue back in 1981, 82-ish. And it was a mail-order catalogue. And she was given these carded figures to sell when she was working in the catalogue. And she kept a few of them. And she kept the 30-back Yoda, a 41-back Han Hoth, both the Palatoy logos, a 45B Luke Bespin, a 45B C-3PO, a 45B R2-D2, and a square Meccano Jawa. And he had all of those either at home or in his store, and he showed us photographs on his mobile, so obviously I didn't want to show too much interest. And I said I'd be back to, to have a look at the rest of the stuff. So to cut a very, very long story short, I picked up the four best Palatoy box, and they've all now found good homes on this side of the pond and on the other side of the pond. And I've left some items there because I'm not convinced that they're worth the price. I don't think £300 for a Corno Jawa is that good a deal. And I think you want a £200 for a Palatoy Millennium Falcon, which isn't that great either. But what can I say? Fantastic. Paul found the way. That kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. Never, ever. So, advice for everybody out there. If you know of a market, just go and have a wander through, because you never know what you may find. You've done well there, Rich, mate. I'm really, uh, I'm really chuffed here in the fact that you've selected a few people to get them. I know we were taking a mick earlier on, but I think they've ended up in some really good hands and some really good collections, particularly Gary's. So I'm really chuffed about that for you. Yeah, um, the 45B, it's right, it does belong with Gary because that was the last one he needed to complete his Luke Bespin collection. And he's been searching for 10 years. And up until last year, the, the popular consensus was that that mock didn't exist. So this is the very first mock that's been found uh, i think jason smith had a card back of one 
which gave everybody hope that we're going to find one one day. And I was the one who found it. Okay, So that is, Ray, the only one in existence. And you're right, though, that items have gone to good homes as well. And I know the guys who've got them won't sell them. I didn't want them bought by somebody who was just wandering through, you know, haggled the guy down to £200. Not that he was going to go that low anyway. Stick them up on eBay, watch them go for sky high and sit there with a fat pocket of cash because the damage that that's doing in the hobby, we've all seen it. So it's about time people started being sensible. If I'm the first, hopefully I'm not the last. Although I might have done it and then bought a car. I could have paid the £847 tax bill that just came yesterday. Never mind. <laughs> exactly. That's how we'll be arranged in five minutes. Rich, DT mock highlight stupidity. Crack on. <laughs> yes, Drew. Now, we have talked very, very briefly about a DT mock that's appeared on the market. And I'm delighted to say that the owner of the DT mock, or should I say the guy who's just sold it, is going to give us an exclusive story on next month's podcast. And he's going to talk about how he found it how he authenticated it and the problems that he's had actually selling it. Uh, So I don't want to focus on those too much. So I'm just going to basically cut it short to Bill McBride, who is a renowned DT Ben expert. He posted a for sale thread on the Facebook groups saying DT Ben mock damaged card, damaged saber, but he authenticated it for $38,000. Now, yes, it's a lot of money. $38,000 is a lot of money in anybody's language. But what I want to highlight here is really the stupidity of the comments that appeared on that thread. And you can just imagine what people were posting. $38,000, I could buy a car for this, etc., etc. Yes, agreed. Nobody's disputing you can't buy a car for $38,000. But this is really, really rare. DT Mark Benz, I want to say probably, that are we looking at one one of five, one of six? We're probably talking about that low. Pete, I can't imagine this being on the Star Wars tracker. Oh, hang on a minute. I mean, so have a quick look. Yeah, you carry on. Yeah, you'll have a quick look as we talk about this. So, a lot of people were posting on there saying things like, oh, I had one of these as a kid. DT Ben marks, I ripped mine off the card, etc., etc. And not that way, etc. This is why I struggle to figure out. You say that there's probably about five of them and they're 37 grand. Mm-hmm. Just given one to Gary, which is apparently the only one known in existence. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Right. Well, I know the answer to that, but I'm going to chuck that out to Stu. I don't know. I suppose DT Ben's more desirable. Yeah, I don't exactly. Know. It's desirability. I think that if I just stuck a photograph of that Luke Bespin on Facebook and never mentioned anything about it, it would probably sit there for quite some time. And even if I said, you know, 45B, it takes the, you know, the real experts like the Gary Smiths to say, whoa, I know what that is. Whereas a DT Ben... Everybody and their son and daughter want one. So I think that's the big difference. Pete, have you found anything yet? Uh, there's only a loose one for 300 quid. That's a, loose, a loose DT bed for 300 quid? Yeah. Wow. When did that sell? Hang on. <laughs> you go back to that. You ask me these questions. <laughs> um, actually, you've, you've, I'm speechless there. A loose DT bed for 300 pounds. Just let, let, me, let me open it up and see what happens. Mm-hmm. It's not, not open up at the moment. Why is that open up? Okay, let me go that way. But, uh, right, um, eBay, uh, 8th of March, uh, 2015, rare vintage Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi with broken double telescoping DT lightsaber. Now that's interesting because I've seen a broken one for sale that had no inner, just the outer, and I think that was for sale for about three and a half thousand dollars, I want to say. The inner extending piece was missing. Ah, right, yeah. Well, even then, the, the one I've seen for sale, inner outstanding piece was missing. And that was for sale for three and a half thousand. So that three hundred's a real bargain. It wasn't graded either. Yeah. Well, mine's mine's broken. I've got the inner and outer bit, and that's broken. And I, you know, I don't think what that's worth now. 
Going back onto the comments then, guys, is it really highlighting the stupidity of the vast array of collectors that we've got now? I saw it on that loose Power of the Force um, Tatooine skiff that I just poured. The first post on there was, does it come with the box? And Sean replied, no. And the guy went, oh, it's far too overpriced. I mean, come on, £180-£200 for a Power of the Force uh, Tatooine skiff. That's a bargain. Where, where are these people coming from? Um, on, on that skiff, I remember Jez was looking for one at Anaheim, and there weren't that ridiculously priced, were they, Jez? They weren't stupid, and most of them with boxes. I think they were about sort of like three hundred dollar mark. But yeah, they were they were around about four hundred dollars. Four hundred dollars, complete, four fifty complete with a box. And as I said, I don't really want the box. I would have been prepared to spend two hundred on one. So no, I think you've done very well there. Yeah, I think the uh, Power of the Force skiff, a lot like the Ewok Battle Wagon or the droids carded figures or the droid ships, they seem to be a lot more common with the boxes than they do loose. Yeah. You know, it's not easy to find them loose, I don't think. Do you think it's one of those items that, I think we were talking about the A-Wing a few episodes ago, where it just seems to have been the same price for so long? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say that the Tatooine skiff is one of the highest uh, mint in box ships in the 90s for sale by a long way. It was that uh, shuttle... Uh, the A-Wing, I think the Creature Cantina, but the mint in box uh, market seems to pretty much collapse because I guess no one has the room to collect them all. Yeah, I think the reason we're seeing them all in their boxes is because, let's face it, the ones we've spoken about are the 84 releases going into the 85. So therefore they were still on the shelves when no one was buying them. So there there are a lot of boxed ones out there. It, it's the same as... It's any of these things. There's loads of boxed bandoliers out there because no one was buying them. And, you know, there's there's all sorts of stuff from 84, uh, and they're in their boxes. And, yeah. the, and that box is really nice as well. The design is beautiful. Yeah, the graphics on the on the box is one of the nicest pieces, I think. So moving this back onto Target then, do you think anybody who's posting a high-value item really has to expect the barrage of criticism that they're going to get? I think if you post anything about Star Wars, it's going to get criticised these days, Rich, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Even if it's BB-8, it's all going to get a load of hate. I don't know where some collectors are coming from. Uh, you know, it astounds me. I think, what was it, somebody had posted on Facebook the other day. It was something like a tri-logo, I want to see IG-8 or something like that. And one guy said, well, I've got a loose one for seven quid, and I've got a card back for a fiver. So therefore, I'll offer you £30 for it because that should be the going rate. <laughs> I was just absolutely astounded. I couldn't believe it. It's the definition of trolling, isn't it? Rebel base, one minute and closing. Put the alarm on snooze, Rich, because we're snuggling up. You know what, guys, right? I've put the title of Put the Alarm on Snooze and I have not got a clue how it relates to the story, but there must be something somewhere, so if one of you guys spots it, can you let us know where it is? I th- is it? I've got it. I want this to be very tight. You've got it, have you? I want I, this I, to be very tight. That's what you've written. Is it, the Alarm on Snooze. I want this to be very tight. Is it about the Naboo Starfighter Alarm that came out in 1999? Definitely which not. also had... It's brother, the Anakin Podracer alarm. Remember those things? They went whoosh, 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 with the music. Well, I, 1983. 1999. Is it because you set your alarm at half past two in the morning to wake you up for the trailer? Nope, definitely not. Right. Ah, okay. is it because the Star Wars trader app, because it's American, <laughs> all the best deals come out Eastern Standard Time in America, and you have to set the alarm to make sure you get the limited edition illustrated pack? I don't think that's true either, but moving on. Okay then, so this story, Daniel Fleetwood, who was a lifelong Star Wars fan, was suffering from terminally ill tissue cancer, and he was given only two months to live. A campaign was launched on Twitter, and I believe it was called Force for Daniel, 
And it came to the attention of many of the movie stars, such as Mark Hamill, Peter Mayhew. I think Andy Daniels was involved in that as well. Now, sadly, Daniel is no longer with us, but we're delighted that Disney granted him his wish and screened an unedited cut of The Force Awakens in his own home. That really is a nice and honest and decent thing that Disney had done for Daniel. And can you just imagine the joy that he felt knowing that he's actually saw The Force Awakens and Disney have done that for him? It has happened before, hasn't it, with with some of the films in the past, to similar sort of cases. But yeah, it, it is just to have that wish granted. I think that's the sort of that, that's always gone over my mind. That as that sort of thing, thinking, my goodness, what happens if like, like before the next Star Wars film, something bad happens and you don't get to see it? It'd be terrible. I'd be gutted. It pros in my mind. I might just stay in my house and not leave, so I get run over. It's a remarkable thing to do, though, isn't it? I mean, they've got billions at risk potentially. And um, you know what a what an amazing, wonderful thing to do to someone. I think that's so freaking cool. What I think is is particularly cool about it is not just for him, for Daniel, but actually for Daniel's family as well. Yeah, because of all you know, all the people he's he's left behind know that he's he's had that. So actually, he you know felt complete as he as he passed on, and and from a from a family going through the the worries and the loss of the loss of a loved one, it's, it would just be that little bit of comfort for them, which uh, which I take a lot from. I think also it's worth mentioning that his poor widow has been left with a $100,000 medical bill. There's actually an account, a GoFundMe account set up to help. I think they're about halfway there, so if anyone does have a spare, like, five bucks, I think it's worth chipping in. Hey, Pete, you got a link for that, mate. Go, we'll, find, go find us a link for that. and uh, Bear with 100, me. 100,000, I mean, come on. 100,000, yeah, because it was a, a rare condition, and they went for some treatment, which was very, very rare, and it did, sadly didn't work. But yeah, the medical bills are just unbelievable. And it, it's, it's gutting to think that, that she's yeah. been left with that. Yeah, uh, well, we can't get into politics here, but that, that's ridiculous. Do we know if this bloke, whether he, he liked it? No. Because it was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is saying that, so why not? So the link for that is www.gofundme.com forward slash E1TQH4. And I think they really appreciate any money you can help with. So sadly, Daniel is now no longer with us, but we're delighted that Disney granted him his wish and screened an unedited cut of The Force Awakens in his own home. So Disney really do make dreams come true. So guys, what do you think about that? A real nice feel-good story from Disney for such a sad, tragic ending. Guys, I don't really want to talk about the, the trailer too much because it's been on every podcast from here to God knows where. And I must admit, I've not watched all the videos. I haven't seen all the teasers that's been released. And I even personally had to think twice about watching the official trailer. But I did it, and I enjoyed it, and I'm pleased it hasn't spoiled too much. I don't, I, if you're not going to spoil this away, we can't really talk about it too much, can we? I, I can't wait for it. Day by day. Cannot wait. Amazing shots in those new ones. Got me going. It really, really has. What I love about it also, it's binding people together. I've had people around my house who know that I'm a bit of a Star Wars fan and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, new trailer. And then we'll just put it on the TV and they're getting goosebumps and, and these are just like, you know, my wife's friends and my wives. <laughs> I've only, I've only <laughs> How many got? Oh, oh, spoilers. Exclusive. That's how we roll. That's how we do it down there. It's just part of your new job. You get wives as well as uh, yes. new titles. I get wives, and this is why I wasn't very good at the um, the questions about the um, going to the off license because I've got a man to do that now. So I don't know what's in an off license. I just sent Jeeves down to do it for me. Anyway, back on subject. Yeah, these trailers, man, just so exciting. I'm re- I'm really enjoying it, but I don't want to see any more. Uh, I don't think it's the greatest Star Wars film ever made. I'll be honest with you. I think it's the greatest movie ever made. 
Oh, I've said that all along. This is going to be incredible. So far, everything that they've released in those trailers is shot perfect. This is a legitimate sequel to the three greatest movies of all time, and uh, I think it's going to blow our minds. Yeah, it's just something on the, the trailers themselves. I won't go into details, but it, it is, seems to be quite noticeable that there seems to be sort of lots of different shots of the same thing. Not, I don't mean like continuity-wise. I mean, now Richard might have closed your ears here, but the one with the Han and Chewie one, that was also in a TV spot, and it seems to be a different part of it. It's as if they put in like different shots of the same shot in. So uh, I think they're playing with us a little bit, but so far in time-wise, I think we I don't think we've had five minutes of film footage yet. So uh, people saying about been, there's been far too much information shown. Nah, not enough. I want more and I can't wait. My guest this month has had an extraordinary year in the Star Wars community, having researched something very close to his heart, which we will delve into during this interview. I want to welcome to the podcast, Lawrence Dyer. Good evening, Lawrence. Good evening, Stuart. How are we? Very well, thank you. Yourself? I'm all good, I'm all good. Good. Right, so before we go through your research and findings, I want to first of all give some listeners a backstory of you, Lawrence. So, so first of all, when did you first see the movies as a child, and what kind of impact did they have on a young Lawrence Dyer? I remember watching them, I think, Christmas Day, just before The Great Escape. So I'd, I'd have thought 1983, 1984, 1985 sort of era. Um, you know, mid-80s, early to mid-80s. I can't remember exactly the years, but I would, I would have pitched it mid-80s. Watching it on the telly, gathered around Christmas Day. I think Souls was always on. Yeah, I think we're like any other kids, me and brother. We just obviously got figures, ripped them open off the cards and... and Sort of bashed, you know, bashed them all and and made them into the beats of they are today, sort of thing. 
Did you have a fair few toys as a, as a child? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Ship of choice was mine. Was the Attack? My brothers was the the Falcon. You know, I'm sure we every everyone had a Vader in the land and a, and a Luke Skywalker and a Han. Really remember the whole extent of what we had. But we we would quite often there was an old toy shop in Domino's and, and on a weekly basis we were pocketing the arm and would take us in there and we'd buy the new figure or or we'd buy another figure weekly. So. Yeah, I, I don't recollect exactly how many figures we had or, or the collection, but yeah, it was it was um, it was fun. And what happened to all your original toys? You know, we we turned into um, adolescents, I suppose. You know, if we wanted to drive XR3Is, and we discovered women and beer, and um, sat in the loft, and then um, they were they were passed to a cousin actually, who I'm not in con- direct contact with. But um, yeah, I think all old toys, Transformers. We must have been 16, 17, 18 going to the pub, and you know, do you want your toys, or we're going to give them to your cousin? And it was like, okay. And you didn't really look back then. No, you don't realise you're going to hit some sort of nostalgia <laughs> trip, do you? <laughs> you don't realise you're going to have a little kid or something, and yeah, and it unlocks all sorts of emotions, yeah, nostalgia trip, so... Precisely. So, when and why did you get back into collecting? I was going to buy a car, to be fair. The nostalgia was there. I was going to buy a car. It was going to be an XR3i. Then that sort of developed in an RS Turbo, researching all the different formats and places I could buy one from. And then it was sort of, was it, do I just get the full hog and just buy an Escort Cosy? So, obviously, an old RS Ford of the 90s. And the more I thought about it, the more I was going to buy one, and the more I kept identifying the right and perfect cars and the right timing, it was... It was keeping it. I've, where, where I live, I've not got a heated garage, and I just thought I'm going to spend a wedge of money, and it's slowly going to deteriorate. Yeah, I work weekends, you know, taking it out. I could, so I couldn't keep it. I wouldn't love it. I think I would love it, but I wouldn't be able to maintain it just for, through time. So um, yeah, just I don't know. I just want to do something with money, and I was looking around at various different things to buy. Bought things like I've got an 18 inch Hellboy. Hope you know what that is. I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I bought an 18 inch Mezco Hellboy. Bought some Snow White stuff, Disney Snow White stuff. Um, thinking that, you know, the little girl as she gets older might be worth something to her or collection. And I came across a lot of Star Wars stuff at one of the SAS auctions and um, special auction services. And I bought them and it had Luke Stormy, various bits, a load of modern, a load of vintage as well. Yeah, and then that just got me got me wanting to buy Star Wars. And then I bought a few cards, I think there were six cards actually, um, from the Leicester Vintage Toy Shop. Very good shop if you've not been down there, worth a visit. Yeah, and that was it. And then you just thought, obviously, eBay was the first format. And then I discovered the auctions and then, then finally discovered um, Star Wars forums. And how long has that been going on then? About three years, really. Again, it was I sort of discovered Star Wars Forum August 14th, so I'd mainly been an eBay-auction buyer, deal with auctions in, in my job, so I understand, you know, cutting middlemen out and finding out the source. So, you know, it was auctions and eBay. Then discovered Star Wars Forum, bought a few bits off there, one off a certain Ipswich, quite a lot off a certain Ipswich town fan. Uh, certain things happened in my life October. Um, last October and, and then discovered Facebook but I still hadn't discovered Facebook groups for buying or, or display, you know selling until I think it, you one, one of on one of your podcasts you ran um, the No to Ugrading campaign and I signed up to the petition paid them two dollars but the petition was awesome and it just listed all these groups and it was like wow where did they all come from? Yeah, so that just opened up a, a whole other world of knowledge. Did you find that when you got back into it you just bought anything and everything that you could find no kind of focus i think if it's the right money um, yeah. you know watch the markets and if it's the right money you know if you uh, again walk into a shop and there's an imperial gunner there for 25 pounds and you know it's 
a £45 item, then, then you know, you see that opportunity. The fact you've already got one and you don't need one is a different matter. Um, same with all the formats, really. In fact, I think I've had two or three years of buying opportunities. There is things I do like that I'm buying as well. So, did, when you came back into collecting, did you did you target a loose run or ships? No, a mock. I was a mock man initially. I've tried a loose run, and I must be probably the, one of the only people who don't have a loose run. Tried it to try and stop me spending money on mocks and various things. Four or five months ago, I bought a number of items and it just that wasn't where my heart was wasn't what I wanted to do after a month I, I think I realised that you know Minton card collector box vehicles also so my ideal initially was to have one of every card I think like most people who buy Minton cards and then if it develops into one of every variant of every card in the long run of the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years however long it takes or 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 your lifespan is and then boxes as well so boxed items I've now due to the initial discovery that led me along the journey um, I fell and got suckered into baggies in a big way <laughs> well I was going to I was going to ask you that you're clearly browsing through your uh, your recent posts and stuff on the forum you're, you're clearly a lover of a man of man mm-hmm. and uh, I've noticed a few baggies popping up so why baggies you know what I've, I was talking to I took the case to go and see Frank obviously because he's, he's, there was a lot of new discoveries there and I was talking to him at the time I think it's in the packaging I think it, it's I don't know it, there's just something about baggies that I've, maybe it's just a new discovery there's a lot of information I don't know and understand maybe that's what's sucking me in I don't know I haven't been pulled in by the baggies purely for the fact of how to display them is my mental block on them I, I was given the pleasure of seeing someone's collection and it, it looked awesome but the, I think the, the B spoke answer is to, to have them graded in terms of for display purposes however I think I've got another solution short term on, on my mock display as such so um, I've, I've, I brought a greeting card stand which actually just fits in my room like I'm talking millimetre perfect and that's I think I can get 132 mocks on and the very top is a top board where you have the pins sticking out in a sense where you'd hang hang a star case on so I can get 20 star cases across there but there's four four strips in a sense of um, where you can hang these little metal hooks yeah so the mocks only take two but I think if I stagger them right I've, I've got a feeling I could probably get 100 or so up there but I just need to buy a bind and buy some little sort of perspex cases for them so I think that's my solution initially rather, rather than spending a lot of money on acrylic just briefly a minute ago you mentioned that you took a case to see Frank now I was lucky enough to see this this carry case at the last Father's from yeah. a lot of our listeners probably aren't aware of exactly what that was could you just explain to us what that case was and what was inside it because it really was quite a sight yeah it was um, it's a C3PO carry case full of baggies 42 baggies mainly different variants in there was also an unclassified baggy um, never been seen before I'm sure an odd one or two might have been seen but dismissed maybe as fakes or, or something there was a large sample of this baggy comes straight out of the power toy factory i think his intention initially was to have one of every figure for his kid but by that time i think his kid was too old to want to play with him you know everyone had moved on to transformers or whatever he meant whatever we were all playing with yeah so he had him locked away in this case 
Certainly lost for 30 years. Were they all palatoid baggies? They're not all palatoid. There's Kenner. There's a mixture of everything, which I think, again, Frank was saying, uh, debunks a, a few mission theories. Uh, obviously, I think there must have been, you know, England's in demand for Vaders. Right, we've got some due to come to the States, so we'll send them to the UK, because the States might be sitting on a lot of carded stock. So, um, yeah, so I think um, there's, a, there's a mixture of everything. There's a variety of palatoid baggies in there. There is a lot of selection of palatoid, but there's also some Kenner. Was there many baggies in there that Frank hadn't got on his guide. Yeah, there's um, quite a variety. Obviously, everything that was in a, pa- a palatoy, what's classed as a palatoy U baggy. I've not counted, but I just keep seeing the accreditation to, to my name on there. Yeah, there's a, a, a fair sample on there that hadn't been recorded. And what was the backstory behind getting these? Because that isn't something that can come up too often, an opportunity like that. The backstory, funnily enough, is, is probably going to be held, but only because there's a lot more to come. When it comes, how it comes, I don't know. Did work relentlessly on all sorts of different psychological aspects to, to get into the loft. Not necessarily myself, but there's a large quantity of palatoy stock waiting at some point. Uh, effectively, I met someone really who had some stuff for sale. Sort of got, got a heads up, someone had some carded figures. You know, I, I see a few posts on the Star Wars forum. First off, I should chime in more often, but you know, about are you, what do family and friends think? Well, I talk to everyone about it, to be fair, the hobby. Because it opens doors, in all fairness. All of a sudden, someone tells you they've got a, you know, got all their old stuff yeah anyway so I, I got to meet someone who had some carded palatoy figures and um, yeah so whilst discussing these carded figures he goes and says oh I've got this robot head yeah full of full of figures alright I do so off he goes and he, he comes and brings them down and he opens it up and crikey uh, all of a sudden the three or four cards were totally insignificant a day or two of conversation back and forth he had no idea what they were put in a substantial bid in terms of funds what they're worth probably not you know two or three days later I end up seizing them and that then was the catalyst to spiral on to, to everything else and these are the first baggies then that you've got you know what I've had a few mail aways again seeing opportunities things alike I, I brought a couple of emperors and a couple of neonons a couple of bars. you know the regular ones that everyone has as, as mail aways but yeah hadn't entered baggy market so I hadn't really taken a second look it was all, all always about mint on card for myself and obviously anybody that knows you on the forum you're a massive lover of a man man you have all the baggies that he came in no no <laughs> no misstated I thought that was all that there was so you've there's got one four. more yeah <laughs> there's one more yeah and I have the um, yeah Palatoy L Power of the Force the SB the SBC and Power of the Force B but there is Power of the Force A Hey, so are these quite rare? I've not been collecting them long enough to tell you if they're rare or not. However, I've not come across Power Force A yet, but, you know, in terms of collecting in time, I'm sure if I give it long enough, six months or so, one will pop up somewhere. Unless there's anyone listening with one, then uh, I'll be a man. Obviously, one of the ones you recently got wasn't originally on Frank's guide either, was it? No, that's the Palatoy L-Baggy. Um, I believe. Um, so yeah, that was that was a, a, a new classification. That was actually a different story as well. That that was one of the things that started drawing me into baggies as well. That that happened before the C3PO case. But obviously, when I dropped on 42 baggies, you know, you nearly got half a run there. There was a couple of duplications, different bags in all fairness. So duplications on figures, but you, you, yeah, you you sort of you've got a good stead to start to run. So not collecting sort of dropped off a little bit since. The, the question on a man man is why? Why him? I never owned one until about a year ago and it, it feels so much different to every other figure in the line. You know what? He's, he's, he's a cool character. 
I've often thought to myself, what's my favourite figure? Princess Leia, I think, Organa and Amanda Man. Amanda Man has, I don't know why, I brought him very early on as a loose figure. I just thought he looked cool. You know, when you first get into it, everyone keeps bang- banging on about the last 17 and, you know, the more expensive and various things. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think Amanda Man took an interest. But Amanda Man, I think, has opened this whole, he's personal now, this whole journey, in a sense. I owe it to Amanda Man. But that, that's, that is my Amanda Man attachment. He's a personal thing now. And do you have both a Power of the Force and Trilogo Mop? I currently do. However, I am after a couple of things. Obviously, the PBP. It's a bit harder. There was one for a while sat on eBay, but it's before I really discovered that I was going fully fledged. You know, I'd had a, I've got the Jabba playset, um, which, to be fair, is where the Palatoy L. You've got, you've got one of them with the baggies, have you? Yeah, to be, yeah, I had a custom case built for it. So, Steve at UKG okay. was very accommodating, got a, a custom case built for it, where the box traditionally is just locked in the case, but then the, the figures themselves were on display outside. Now, it came with, uh, came with three figures, didn't it? Was it Barada and... EV99, yeah. That's it. Nice. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was a very cool item. When I had that, that was probably the jewel of the crown of my, not necessarily the most expensive thing, but the jewel of the crown of my collection, or so I thought. But, and then it's just, yeah, it's, it's um, at the time, and then uh, Man of Man then led me into my journey, and, and so I'm now getting a little bit, not obsessive, because there's only so much you can, you can buy of a Man of Man. So, but I think once I've got my, my last um, bag and the PBP, Try logo. It's on to the, the pre-production stuff. Now that's a different kettle of fish totally because I think it's one of them things where you can wait four years and not see something or five or ten. I'm talking to someone who's got a very impressive, very, very impressive pre-production run of a man of man. He's got, I think he's got pretty much everything. And he's kindly put me in contact with someone who, who does have um, some pre-production stuff. But, uh, you know, it's people with pre-production stuff don't necessarily want to sell it to you. Yeah. Um, I've got a challenging, I've been offered a, a very challenging trade so I've now got to find something else to trade which again is something quite rare you've also bought some a couple of more obscure pieces uh, recently which made me sit up the, the Death Star Planetary map um, yes you were searching for this for quite a long time I believe to be fair they come up you know one will pop up in Australia and it ending at two in the morning and I sort of half day up I think I'll you know I'll drop X amount of money on it and, and it sells for more well there has been you know there is a few in, in the States but I, I like these maps I think the probably the best uh, that's uh, you know I'm going to call them posters the probably the best poster out of all the sets I know there was the Return of the Jedi ones the SB ones are quite cool but I think these are the coolest they've got the bike scout pistol or the power of the force range in terms of battle wagon uh, who liked them is that yourself or was that Jez I can't remember but um, it's got the Ewok battle wagon on there the you know the skiff yeah I just think they look cool they come in the power of the force sets and I may be wrong and I'll probably get corrected I don't think there was any rhyme or reason what map went in any set now I could be incorrect here but it'd be you know the, to me the skiff should have the, the tattoo in it, you know, Ewok Battle Wagon should have the Endor one in it. I may be wrong, I'm probably going to get corrected, but from the limited information they have, I believe it was. Ju- it might have been just pop. Look, I think you could mail away for them as well. There was a set on our, our favourite international auction site as such with a Kenner envelope for ages, but um, I just the, the premium he was asking, I couldn't justify it. So I had a couple of I had a couple of Endors, I think one tattoo, and then I, yeah, I just dropped on a 
a very fairly priced one, and I mean a very fairly priced one. Was it in this country? So, was it? No, I know Australia. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's usually associated. I think usually associated with America and Australia because of the power of the force range. But yes, yeah, so I know. So I ended up getting sort of two for the price of one. Lovely. And th- the other thing that really uh, stood out to me the other day was was the paperwork for the production budget for Return of the Jedi. Yes. Where did you find that piece? Was that at an auction or? Well, that was on the prop store. To be fair, there was a couple of items I specifically wanted. That. that... <laughs> You know, I'm in business. I run with a budget, and and you know, have to achieve targets. So, so I don't know. I just thought that was qu- kind of quite cool. Yes, yeah, so there was that. But then I, was, I think the item before was the Starfighter chart, which I was really sort of revved on. There was things like the blueprints for the speeder bike and the Millennium Falcon. Well, you know, they're going to you know ring the bell and and do all the money in the world sort of thing. So at the time, I just didn't. You know, I didn't get myself excited for those things because I just thought um, there might be too much for me. But what they did have, it was the coolest thing in the world. It was the Starfighter chart. So it was for the Return of the Jedi and it's someone effectively had plotted out the different light speeds for the different ships and then the two new ones which was the Tie Interceptor and the A-Wing and the, you know, the speed of them were, you know, had the Millennium Falcon and all, all the various ships that had been in, in the films and then the two new ones the Tie Interceptor and the, the A-Wing and it was a speed relativity chart which obviously they must have used this chart to then start manoeuvring all the ships around to create the picture or the film should I say so um, that was cool but it was just again that was just a little bit I was the underbidder on that it was just a little bit out of reach really I've, I've made the decision to not push the boat too much for once yeah and then and then the production budget came in and it just it just fell right really yeah it, just, it was it was a reasonable it's quirky it's not everyone's cup of tea um, sometimes I ask myself toys how many toys I could have got how much more of a run but no I think it's cool there's some interesting read I've not properly properly digested everything but it does have things like it tells you how many suits were budgeted for in terms of got how many ERG suits or costumes, should I say, were budgeted for, and how many imperial dignitaries? Pig suit, I think they refer to it. How many pig suits were there? So that's that's referring, obviously, to the Gam Guards, the Morian Guards, Bike Scouts as well. So that was quite an interesting page when I when I stumbled across that. So, um, so you've you've sat down and properly studied it. It's not just you want more skimmed through it a couple of times. I think that there was a lot going on, obviously, with with my research and and various things, and, and obviously business as well in the day. So um, yeah, so I've, I've more skimmed through it through four times I did think about taking it with me on holiday but I just thought if anything happened to it there's nothing massively surprising that you've spotted in it at the moment it's I was, going, I was maybe going to put a little just for fun competition on the on the um, on the forum, but um, no, nothing really. I mean, the, the surprising thing was that for me, I, with just the costumes when I looked at that, there was ten ten emperor's royal guard suits, um, ten imperial dignitaries as well. I think there might have been ten biker scout suits made as well, but and then only three piggies, three pig suits, yeah. which was surprising. Uh, seeing as one of them got eaten, you'd have thought they'd done a few more. Lando, he was paid substantially less, or the budget was set to pay him substantially less than the main characters obviously I suppose they, they were the start of the journey of the films and, and carried the way through and he came in in the interim and I suppose he could get written out quite easily for yeah. the final film if, if he didn't come along otherwise so the, yeah the fee, fee set like I say obviously things could have changed when the film was made but the budget did amount for Lando was quite quite significantly less than the, the main guys so I want to go on to the research you've alluded to a few times in this journey so something that you've bought recently which I noticed on the, on the forum which coincides with your your research. You've got a bit of a love for Palatoy carrier bags at the moment. <laughs> well, you know, I've been knocking a lot of doors and, and having them opened and trying to, you know, discover avenues. I'm quite fortunate that I'm in Palaceer, if you want to call it that. You know, it's sort of 20 miles up the road, uh, 20 minutes of a car, and I'm, I'm in the, the zone in a sense. It's a bit, a little bit of a hot spot. Um, not necessarily 
where I live myself, but by the old factory. So yeah, I'm just knocking on doors, trying to find information. Really, the way the way that the research has gone and where it's to now, I've I've now come to a point where I'm trying to understand the whole delivery network because there's not a lot of information out there. You, you log onto the internet, there's various bits of information. Some of it's in factual. There's not a lot of information about Palatoy really out there. When I say that, I mean in terms of, of the operation. You know, there's loads of information about what the what the made release dates, vague histories. But, but in terms of seeing various posts on various different formats and websites where people think it's actually you know it's it's knocked down and bulldozed and it's a housing estate, the old Colville plant, which is again in, incorrect. So I found these carrier bags really through knocking doors, really, and trying to open avenues and, and the quest for information. To be fair, I found one and it's come from I've not had a meeting yet, but it's come from a lady who worked there until she retired. She's 89 now, um, so it came from a family member of hers. And then because I had the one, that then triggered just luckily finding another five. So I've got uh, six Baker Street staff shop carrier bags which effectively have the ESB logo and then all a load of the other items that Palatoy made Action Man uh, Chickaboo Mainland Trains Care Bears quite a bit of interest a few people asked me if I'd like to sell one quite a few people or trade one let's go on to your research then and this amazing thread you put up on the forum covering everything you've done now I believe this research all stemmed because of the 3PO carrier case yeah it did it. but yeah so anyway I've got this C3PO case and uh, should pop around my parents I think at the weekend on the Sunday must have been off on the Sunday you know showed it my dad dad these have been in the loft for 30 years came straight from the Palatoy factory and he chimed in with you know you know you know, you designed the Palatoy factory don't you no that was sort of my reply and it, yeah 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 your granddad well I detailed it on on storage form my uh, my granddad was quite a prolific architect in the sort of 60s 70s 80s even the 90s as well in Leicestershire um, I'm sure he did more around the country or may- maybe the more the Midlands I don't know but um, there's various things like the roof on the, the mosque in last year designed. There's a, a housing estate, a place called Kirby Monks, no low, not far away, where he designed every third bungalow. There must have been half a dozen architects working on it. But you, you, his bungalows or work from the 70s are quite distinctive because you put stonework in them. So you, you drive up around the estate and you quite distinctively see his designs because, you know, they'll have a, a chimney breast sticking out in the middle of the house, which is all stone clad or, or, you know, stone clad wall on the, you know, that was built at the side of the house so that was sort of his mark his mark of distinction it must be quite nice when you drive around and, and you see that kind of left a bit of a, a legacy through his work yeah again it's something that uh, yeah, you, hey, you're always proud of, of your folk or your family when yeah. you know, they do well but you know you just grew up and your granddad was an architect thought nothing of it you know and my, my uncle followed in his footsteps and my brother at a younger age was, was um, you know when we were in our early teens and stuff interested in, in architecture so that was something so I suppose that's one of them things that you know if you're used to it in the cemetery of your family then and it's something you have an interest in but yeah, it's um, yeah, so that's uh, that's what really sent me on this this trail of discovery. Got to find out where it is then. So that was your first thought when your dad said, "No, this is who designed it." All I know is is that it was my dad kept saying it was a big thing. He said, "Boy, you know what, have a son." And his recollection was that it was the largest. So he thought was the largest single span building in Europe at the time. You know, my granddad designed the Palatoy Warehouse in the seventies, and it was a big deal in the in the construction industry. Was this built early seventies or late seventies? No, it was built in seventy five. I think the the planning was um, submitted in seventy four. Um, the early planning, but it opened in on the first of August in nineteen seventy five. Starting to get quite big for Action Man and stuff. It was yeah. Well, I think led me on to. I think the whole Palatoy 
distribution network was scattered around Leicestershire. I'm not exactly sure exactly where, but there's, I mean, there's a warehouse three miles down the road from me, which was an old pallet toy warehouse. Where did your journey go to next? Now you know that... Trip to Colville, of course. Been doing some research, I think, trying to find out about it. Drove up to Colville. The old toy factory, I think, is what the industrial estate's called, or what people know it as. You can pretty much drive around the whole site. It's obviously sublet into, into a lot of little different businesses and just don't really know who's there, which is you know, it's quite an interesting place. Obviously, there's nothing remarkably noting of Palatoy. You drive through it, you won't have known it's Palatoy. But yeah, you get an idea of how, how the operation was, you know, from various different types of buildings. So there, anyway, they had a big warehouse there. Looked newish. Obviously not too new. Certainly wasn't big enough to be the largest single home building in Europe. Yeah, so, um, and I think I previously had a conversation with my uncle on the phone who, who recollected it being in Ashby. So we took a little drive out to Ashby to no avail. That was the first hunt, in a sense. So we've got, got lots of sort of images of Colville. That was quite cool. Posted them on, on a, a group. Had lots of debate, charming in. People saying thought it was knocked down. Yes, that, that was the first sort of journey. Uh, no fruits were to be bared, unfortunately. And then I'd obviously tried to contact one of my uncles. My other uncle called me. So the first uncle I was contacting was, was my uncle who's an architect. So he came back to me. He told my granddad was very proud. Of the work. It was like his, his biggest sort of factory project. And told me that he had a picture of the... I mean, I would have passed this picture and thought nothing of it as a kid. But it had a picture hanging up. I think it was bigger than an 8 for 10 quite a big picture, black and white picture of the steels erected. So, you know, the framework there, maybe maybe roofless, maybe maybe even wallless, I don't know. But all the, the steels, I mean, the superstructure there is, is quite huge in terms of the steels. In the, in the 70s, I'm sure it was massive. Obviously, it's, it's dwarfed now in this modern day and age. Yeah, so that, that was something I was interested in. So, um, to be fair, that's what triggered me over Uncle calling me because I then went on a quest to try and find that he suggested my mom, mother had it possibly or, or my other uncle my, my mother said she had all the family photos as such that's where me my other uncle called me saying that no your mum's probably got it or, or my uncle who's the architect possibly got it but what he did tell me is he thought the factory was built in in Ashby he remembers going there with my granddad as a boy so I'm assuming sort of I don't know maybe mid-teens late teens and he remembers them piling it so he told me it was the Ashby area so yeah so that, that sort of gave me let's go along the way so I think then after that, I was, that was the tip in a sense. I was trying to research various things. I discovered Mr. Palatoy's cardback file, and that was my first glimpse, really. And that is a copy, which I now have a copy of the Teen 79 Diamond Jubilee General Trade Catalogue. So this is really documents the history. So Mr. Palatoy had the whole uh, catalogue documented on his website, and there on page 11 is the Ashby de la Zeus warehouse. Sort of found, found it, but found it without finding it, if that makes sense. It was my first glimpse of, of this factory. I actually found a, a, an advert for it, a unit to let, in a sense, or units or factory warehouse space to let from an estate agent. And, and there is what looks like a modern-day version of this picture that's in the 1979 Jubilee catalogue. Had a location. So, um, again, deal didn't know it was it was anything. So I banged a few requests off to various records offices. Uh, that's the little minefield itself as well, with different councils, subdivisions, councils, uh, uh, different areas of born and bred in 1975 six times so some might have it some might not so that was a little uh, I wouldn't call it a merry-go-round but it was you know you couldn't just go to one source and it had all the information necessary so yeah so factory visit was on should I say so we uh, went down there and first thing I noticed was the gatehouse one side of it covered in stone cladding now so you had straight away the sign that's you know I didn't have no definitive proof of it and, and there was no credence that was my granddad's design but just seeing that I knew that was his certainly the gatehouse 
interior design. <laughs> that was first sort of look and look at the sort of structure. Took a few pictures initially, went back at two o'clock the next week, and wow, what a structure! Quite impressive. So it was what Palatoy called their finished goods warehouse, opened in 1975. Now this warehouse had 1,500 tiles, uh, a floor slab composed of 300 tons of steel and six and a half thousand tons of concrete add to that they had a further 700 tons of steel in the superstructure with effectively five million cubic feet obviously palatoid plan to stack this high so yes the five million cubic feet of building which they their statistics were would accommodate 300 suburban homes there's um, a lot of room when you think of it so like yeah so yeah 300 of, of i assume semi-detached houses we walked around the mega structure massive steels massive Aisles. We walked through the low rise initially, quite a cool building. It's got eight shutters in a sense, so you could have eight old vintage transit vans loading back in the <laughs> mid 70s, loading up to I suppose you out to the various various areas around the, the country. And we walked through the sort of main doorway, just this massive, massive, massive warehouse. Um, I think one of the first things we saw actually was this really quirky fire door up in the in the middle of in the middle of nowhere, sort of right up in the middle of the wall. Again, understanding now there was a mezzanine floor there that was obviously the fire door just as we we walked around loads of quirkiness you could clearly see massive pipe work I mean let's face it you've got 5 million cubic feet full of cardboard boxes <laughs> cardboard and plastic so I think there's 4,000 sprinkler heads uh, yeah outside there's two reservoirs holding 400,000 gallons of water which again they state in the likely event of a fire would flow through 10 miles of piping out of 4,000 sprinkler heads and extinguish any conflagration again the, the statistics in the brochure states that in Install 40 foot high racking with aisles 5 feet wide and you have room for 15,500 pallets all loaded with toys and it was built within the 1.7 million budget so apparently that was something they were very proud of and it was built two months early budgets and timescales uh, quite often don't get met do they not in this day and age so I was starting to get an understanding now just seeing this place without having the plans or an idea of, of how this fits into Palatoy's network so the you know I had images of obviously containers you know coming up through maybe through train maybe freight yeah coming through to the back obviously all the goods came into the back got loaded in into the main warehouse things from the far east everywhere and then the front the low rise was effectively order picking so that's where I suppose the you know the hub the busy nurse the back in to and fro in loading the trucks so that was the general idea I had and that was that for the minute you know I've been around a warehouse which I think my granddad designed so at this point you still hadn't got confirmation that it was definitely definite the right place no so in your no, heart, heart you felt it was oh no it was I had no credence no credence apart from I'd been around what, what I believe was my granddad's um, or warehouse as such so um, and it was only a few days later I don't really exactly remember the right timeline I'm sure I could pick it all out if I needed to but yeah I, they were quite quick actually um, I had confirmation after hitting a couple of different records offices I had confirmation of um, yep yeah, we've got them and sent me a few um, PDF files of them until I started documenting it properly I, but the most important thing for me or a couple of important things but the most important thing for me at the time was was just to see John Wilmot A-R-I-B-A Chartered Architect which yeah which was, was credence that was cool like a good little boy wrong my mum uh, found Granddad's factory it is uh, I've got the documents to confirm it I mean a lot of this is to give a little back for the community obviously a lot of people do a lot of things for the community um, I, you know obviously it's a personal quest it means something to me I had no idea you know I didn't start collecting Star Wars or now it seems I'm spawning a little bit into Palatoy stuff but yeah I had no idea that this was going to be the avenue I was going to take it just it's coincidences quite a few coincidences one after the other to be fair 
I thought I'd probably gone as far as I could, in all fairness, with this. I found a factory, or where else should I say, that my granddad designed for Palatine. Then went to see my hoarder. I thought I was, um, too sure I did get a few more bits, but I thought, I thought I was going to ring the bell. I was quite excited at the time. I, yeah, it took me a while to gain his trust. So I went and showed him all my evidence and documentation, and he was saying, oh, well, you know, I'll talk to my old friend. So effectively, my hoarder's come across this stuff, because back in the day, one of his best friends worked for Palatine, and he'd worked there from 1969 from memory up until the day it closed in the 90s so and I think everyone in Colville just it was ten a penny sort of thing it was just the one thing I suppose staff shop they offered it out to everyone at a fair price I believe so um, yeah it often come back with stuff and my hoard would put it in his loft and he kept putting stuff in his loft and kept putting stuff in his loft so I think there's quite a various array of Palatoy stuff a lot of trains I believe as well anyway so I had another meeting or, or a visit with him to have a few other things and um, he suggested he'd bring his friend after I showed him all my research and how far you know the journey and, and sort of he set me on yeah so anyway I had a phone call from him a few days later he considers me a friend now we've had many many conversations and um, yeah so he put me on to Dave Dave's an interesting character himself he more or less confirmed a lot of my beliefs however the stuff that came from the far east never went into there it, everything went into colville which sounded a bit mad if some of it was already packaged you thought you'd, you'd ship it to the finished goods warehouse if it was finished goods but everything went into colville whether that's where they then put the little palatoy sticky logos over the kenner things and, yeah. and you know the 49p stickers well, yeah. so all them things I'm, I'm trying to understand now did they have like a quality yes. control at colville yeah i think so I can only assume that I mean I, maybe just because Colville was the customer and that's where they went but it, you know it's mad to come into a port and then maybe go into another substation I envisaged for a, a box of say 500 figures in bags you know 500 Luke Skywalker Jedi's they'd rip them out and put them on the card you know the bags were just a nice way of keeping the, the, the toy and the guns all together off the production line so yeah but he dispelled that myth he said everything went into Colville even the box stuff things like mini rigs they're all made in overseas and then once it was effectively ready, it then got shipped to Ashby, then for distribution, which sort of confirmed, you know, the goods in wood. So Colville was a construction plant in a sense. You know, it was a conveyor belt of stuff. You know, you can imagine someone getting picked, uh, asked to pick a load of Baradas so they can put them on a Barada card and plonk down as a case of Wheaties. And across the conveyor belt, you know, there'd be a load of popping winter cards and there the bubbles were sealed and there, there go your miscards. So he, he sort of talked to me about a lot about, you know, the conveyors. He worked in the warehouses there, would have to order pick to keep the conveyor about feeding and then obviously the other end it, it once it was boxed and ready uh, went up to Ashby so yeah then literally as a shop Domino's Frank Beach someone needed a you know a, a case so they'd come off and then, and then I believe the low rise is where the shipping labels are applied so even though it says Palatoy Colville on all the speeder bike boxes the, the mini rigs everything that's been going through Vectis recently they, they would have been applied at Ashby but again that's just my understanding and, and assumption again I, I, I need to talk to Dave a bit more but he's not been well recently so potentially one or two of the members of staff I'm, I might get the opportunity to speak to so I just I just want to get a thorough understanding I think of the distribution really because everyone thinks Palatoy come from Colville and yeah Palatoy were in Colville but that's not where you, your goods were shipped from so yeah 
I'm done. That's it. I've finished. I've gone as far as I can go. I thought that was it. I finished. No, then Bob Gretchen, he wrote an article effectively about Postoy Museum or pieces that were left and how they should try and keep some open to house the Postoy Museum. Bob Gretchen, former chief designer of Postoy. So let's go and find the guy. You know, I did a bit of internet searching. He's put stuff on the Jerry Port. I think there's stuff on the Star Wars Forum where he was down at a roll on roll off convention in Southampton. Various stuff. So, you know, he likes to speak about his past. So, um, yeah, so I was able to get in contact with Bob. Now, me and Bob had a meeting. To be fair, I spent about three hours together. The only reason we stopped talking is because I had to go and get a little girl from school. But cracking bloke, considering we're a friend now, we've, we've shared a lot of information together. And he came out with this cracking document. Now, this document was effectively when he showed it me. To be fair, it printed me a couple of copies. There was a launch party. It was mainly people like, you know, obviously chief designers, maybe salespeople. I think Corso, there would have been maybe some supervisors managers maybe a bit of competition he said some lucky people to get to the party staff maybe you know, employee of the month or something daft like that I had no idea if my granddad was there or if it was an internal thing I'd have thought if you're launching something you'd have all the contractors there so anyway Bob gave me this document to view and inside it actually tells you so on the outside Palatoy Limited Parker Bradgate logo infamous blue and red writing new distribution centre Ashby Dollar now if you reverse that it then shows you a picture presenting the new Palatoy distribution centre you unfold that one way because it's folding in four and it actually gives you the statistics it tells you it has a number of UK firsts so all of a sudden my dad was talking about the biggest single span building in Europe okay you were slightly wrong it was big news and this tells you it was big news so there's a number of UK firsts uh, including highest warehouse using Maestro Free Isle Truck so Maestro Free Isle Trucks are effectively uh, I suppose like a sliding forklift in a sense um, from what I understand uh, that runs up and down a track again from what I understand by someone is that you need a very very level floor on this uh, largest warehouse with underfloor electric heating so again 400,000 gallons of water to put this fire out they've then also put underfloor heating in now I'd have thought that would have been a massive massive expense back in in 1975 but your good your livelihood is is cardboard boxes isn't it the moisture in the air to get the warp you've I suppose ruined your stock it then goes on to the stack that's really what was in the uh, Jubilee catalogue and then it gives you a short timeline as well so it was finished three months early this day and within budget meeting Bob had confirmed uh, to me the man in the photo and the photo that um, I had was a picture of a guy called Frank Manning now Frank Manning was the logistics director for Palatoy so this was a project obviously had been set to budget I assume by Kenner he had authorised or, or commissioned my granddad to design it again that was that really was the document to piece them all together again I thought I'd about finished but I thought you know I want to see the, the sort of call it the demise I don't know the closing what happened how did it close went down to to the records office um, a couple of times but um, obviously went straight for 1975 there's a lot of years I've got to do done 74, 75, 76 I think I then went to see if I could find the closing as well 85, 86 and, and I started on 87 it's not a quick task down at the records office however what did they find in down the records office it was effectively an editorial page of the opening so it's a two page spread which would have been in the Ashby and Colville Times 
times with 16 acres of fun his uh, explanation mark is um, one of the t- titles across the middle so a picture of the, the um, warehouse project managers P in a management consultants limited which again was in the, the article Bob gave me architect Jay Wilmot RIBA that's where I thought I was at and then just a few posts have made me intrigued you know I think uh, Spoons posted something up on the Star Wars from UK the shipping label and that started getting me interested and then someone called Kevin Blackso um, who's one of the guys in the baggy world posted on the Facebook baggy group some absolutely amazing research where he'd contacted some guy in, at Woolworths and he was able to talk about and he, he was trying to understand about the Woolworths 8 packs and he got a load of great information but again I think what was missing is where they were packaged where they were made so that's sort of where the avenues take me now it's it's the whole distribution a lot of and there's in fact stuff out there as well i think everyone says that what that that glenfield um and ashby closed in 85 but i can't find any sign of ashby closing yet uh, if anything they closed colville and moved operations to ashby so so again if i can find a few facts for the community then then you know that's that's effectively where my intention is at the moment Absolutely fascinating stuff, and it needs exactly someone like yourself to document this down. Someone who's that passionate, hopefully, will crack on. Keep uh, researching, mate, because you seem to keep opening more doors and more doors the more you research. Gonna have to start wrapping it up, I think. The final question I always ask for everyone then is if the Earth was about to uh, explode, we've been transported to a to another planet, money no object, there's only room for one piece of your collection, what are you grabbing? Oh, well, I'd say that little green beast, I think. If they said, turn around and said to you, well, you could leave that behind and take all your research, all your photos of your granddad's warehouse, would you swap it? Oh, of course I would. Yeah, without a doubt. That's a bang. <laughs> well, Lawrence, thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, really, really interesting to hear about this. Hopefully there'll be a lot more to come in the future. Thank you for to it. Wonderful. Thank you very much, pal. Thank you. You are unwise to lower your defences. There is no way of knowing when the dark side may rise up again. During the hours of darkness, the Empire could be refueling for the attack. Will the armoured Sentinel transport vehicle be ready to retaliate before it's too late? Will the rebel force be strong enough to deal with the Imperial Stormtroopers? Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. A long, long time ago In a galaxy far away Naboo was under an attack And I thought me and Qui-Gon Jinn Could talk the Federation into Maybe cutting them a little slack But their response, it didn't thrill us They locked the doors and tried to kill us We escaped from that gas the Met Jar Jar and Boss Nass We took a bongo from the scene And we went to feed to see the queen We all wound up on Tatooine That's where we found this boy Oh my, my, this here Anakin guy Maybe Vader someday later Now he's just a small fry he left his home and kissed his mommy goodbye Saying soon I'm gonna be a Jedi Soon I'm gonna be a Jedi Did you know this junkyard slave isn't even old? 
shave But he can use the force, they say How do you see him hitting on the queen Though he's just nine and she's fourteen Yeah, he's probably gonna marry her
saying soon I'm gonna be a Jedi. Right, Jezebel. Hello. New A. <laughs> New A? Is that a French from New Acquisitions? New A. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go over to Jezebel for this month's newest acquisitions. Hello, what have we here? Ah, good. New acquisitions. Hello, it's Squadron Leader here with the new acquisitions for all those people who've bought some delicious, I say delicious, new toys and acquisitions for their collections. Okay, so here we go. Strap in. It's going to be a bumpy ride, fellas, but together, I know that we can do this. Stay on target. <laughs> Red boys, this is Red Leader. This is it. Where do I normally start? I normally start at SWF UK. <laughs> First thing which I saw on page 1718, so this is going back just not long after we released the last podcast, and it was Jimmy Woolley had shown off a Mark Daniels print. Now, I appreciate this isn't vintage, and we, and we do talk about vintage stuff, but... But Mark Daniels is always bringing out these prints, which which I particularly like. And as a Star Wars fan, I can see people putting these in their offices and work and then in their kitchen. Grant, you've seen these, haven't you? You've seen one. Mate, I, I would love to buy his work because it's, it's phenomenal. I think him and Malcolm Tweeney we had on last month, those are the two best sort of celebration artists that are out there. You know how much of a fan I am with, with the Tweenum? And we'll come on to that later on as I insert the second part of the interview, which I forgot to add last month. But you're absolutely right. Mark has a slightly different spin on it, the more comedy. I mean, what, what I love about them is that it's just really old-fashioned sort of... what. I don't know what era sort of cinema style are they. Is it sort of 40s or 50s? It's just really old-fashioned, great to look at, really, really cool. So it was the Hoth Winter Games, which Jimmy Woolley had, which was um, a snowboarder with a Hoth Womper in the background. Uh, I just don't do it credit just talking about it like this. I just really encourage people to check out sublevelstudios.co.uk. I think he's also on Facebook. This guy's just got imagination, which I wish I had yeah. And, and good on him. Love it. Moving on. So what else did I see? This this just made me laugh. People say nowadays, oh, Star Wars is everywhere. It got Star Wars on this, got Star Wars on that, Star Wars Elastoplasters, Star Wars bags. Back in the 1970s and 1980s, what did we find? A Star Wars Ewok swim aid on page 1781 of Star Wars from UK. It was Hooch who put it on, a Star Wars swim aid. This is the first one I've ever seen. Now, I know, Grant, I would class this as oddball. Now, what do you know about these, buddy? Do you know what? Nothing. I didn't know they existed. I know there's a massive inflatable swimming pool thing as well. I can't for the life of me think of what it is. But um never occurred to me that I ever wanted a Wicked Ewok children's swimming aid. But actually seeing this, I'm thinking, maybe I do. Yep, yep. Yeah, it is cool as anything. Rich, I'm coming to you because I know that you you were interested in this as well. You both, for some reason, cottoned on to this one. I mean, I look at the packaging, it's just Wicket with a swim aid, aged three to ten years. I mean, Rich, have you seen anything like this? I have, yeah. And and Grant, I think that is that inflatable thing you're thinking of, a bit like one of those aqua slides. No, I think it's uh, like some inflatable um, bed. It goes into the swimming pool. That's what I'm thinking it is. Oh, right. Okay, because I've seen an aqua slide, um, you know, one of those th- slides that the kids run across and go gliding across the top. Ah, perhaps it is, mate. Perhaps it is. All right. Okay. Well, um, yeah, Jez, I think from what I've found is that Japan did an inflatable ball 
and a ring, a swimming aid ring that goes around your, your stomach. And in Australia, they also did R2-D2 armbands as well. So the challenge for Hooch now is to go and find the R2-D2 armbands to complete the set. Yeah, good one, mate. Nice one. Hey, there's also, I uh, actually just found it, there's an R2-D2 one. There is, yeah, the inflatable thing I see is you sit in it. It's kind of like a ring. It's got, like, Luke Jedi on it, and R2-D2 and C-3PO, and it's a C-3PO version of the floater. <laughs> For real. Oh, really? The Star Wars R2-D2 floater. <laughs> yeah, it's in the Tomart Guide. Yeah, you're right, Rich. Australia and Japan. Also, uh, there's there's some swimming stuff made for Star Tours, the original 1986 Star Tours as well. So there we go. Let's start our uh, swimming collection. I was just thinking, I wonder what the marketing department uh, discussed when they did this. You know, have all the Star Wars characters across the, the obviously the three films out at the time. What part and went? What what character should we? What lovely character should we put on a swimming aid? Ah, I know the answer to that. An Ewok. I mean, what? Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. He has the answer to that question. What country were these sold in? Australia. Australia. They were in Taiwan, but they were sold in Australia. Yeah, so what is in the Australian waters? Sharks. And what's scarier than an Ewok coming to a shark? A shark coming to a shark? Ah, that's true. There isn't any Star Wars sharks, though, so Ewoks are second best. Okay, ah. so they've obviously done that to protect the kids from the sharks. You see? You've oh, got to think about yeah, that. Yeah, I thought perfect sense there. I thought they used Wicket to inspire like koalas to take up swimming. <laughs> Hooch has got a new challenge now to get himself some more swimming aids. We've all learnt a little bit, and we've also learnt that Rich is um, yeah, Geordie. Yeah, yeah so yeah, really, really cool. Just totally different. I hadn't seen one of those before. Nice one. All to be seen on page seventeen eighty one. We then jump ahead to page seventeen ninety. I want everyone involved on this. Keat Key. First of all, come on, how do you pronounce this fella's name? Keat Key. It's Kevin Atkinson, so it's Keat Key. Oh, look at that. I did not know that. That guy owns an empty two-back box. He does, because he won one of our competition prizes, didn't he, once? Yeah. It's not that what I want to talk about. You can see on page 1790, he has got a lovely, a mint B-wing. Boxed B-Wing, not sealed, so he's got, he's got it out, doesn't have any of the stickers on, hasn't got cannons applied, it's just oh, nice. there, it's got all of the stuff with it, so it's, it's got the catalogue, it's got the inserts, and the box, the box is in great condition, it's a really, really nice piece. Oh, nice. So it just made me think about the B-Wing, I wanted to have a little look at it, I wanted to have a little look at what you guys thought about the B-Wing, uh, and we'll look, have a little thing. I mean, first of all, why don't we think about how this was marketed back in 1984? The galaxy explodes. The rebels return. You can relive it all with Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. The fleet's diving in a hyperdrive. Not a movie. New B-Wing fighters and B-Wing pilot action figures, each sold separately. Batteries not included. Asteroid belt, lowering wings. Hold on tight. The sunlight's ahead. Yeah. General Cockpit Stable. New B-Wing fighter and B-Wing pilot action figures each sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. So, who's got a B-Wing? Always I, have a B-Wing, mate. You've got, you've got to always have a B-Wing. It's better yeah. to have a B-Wing and not need it than to need a B-Wing and not have it. Absolutely. Cool. It's so, a 2B, 2B or not 2B-Wing was a famous quote from Shakespeare. Mm. Ooh, yeah, yeah, I like that. So, Rich, you've got one? I've got two. Ooh. 
Grant, yeah. Me, yeah. Stupid. Uh, stu- stu. Oh, very nice. Stu. I, I've actually got several of these. Um, those, yeah. Sorry, mate. I, I meant to say stew pot. <laughs> that was a, gen- <laughs> a genuine mistake. Do you know, there's a, there apparently there's a scene of a cinema Jedi which the artwork on the toy is based on. Uh, or it might have been conceptual. I'm not actually sure if they actually filmed it with models. But there should be a scene where uh, B-Wings take out a Star Destroyer. That's correct. Well, it's it's where it's flying away from the Star Destroyer, isn't it? Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, let's let's see that, please. Man, that would be good. With or without stickers, eh? Mm, good point. So, Jez, um, go, going on the market, and, and there, there were a few reasons why the, the B-Wing wasn't that great a seller. Um, any ideas? It yeah. wasn't in the movie. <laughs> it wasn't in the movie. Right, now, that's a good point, because the B-Wing was supposed to be in the movie quite a lot. Why did we really see the B-Wing in Jedi? Um, I I didn't finish going round. I didn't. I don't want to miss oh, out. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't want to miss out Stu because I just called him stupid. He didn't actually answer, yeah. and I missed out Pete. Okay, we'll come back to that then. Stu, so selfish, aren't they? Stu. Uh, yes, pal. I have I have uh, several of these. I do. I have quite a few loose ones, and they're not particularly my favourite ship. So uh, I don't know what. And uh, and Pete. I don't have one. You don't have one, but you but could I, have one I of Richards. I do want one though. Yeah, I, I love them. So, go on, Rich, you, you have something to say about this. Yeah, um, now you mentioned before that marketing on the B-Wing wasn't that good, so why was it so difficult to market the B-Wing? You pin that out there to everyone or to me, mate? Anybody. It yes. doesn't stand up. It's, it was also very expensive as well. Yeah, it was expensive. It was quite an expensive toy because it, it was so big. Anything else? Um, everyone loved the sound effect. <laughs> yeah. Can we, can we edit that sound effect in? Absolutely. It sounds like this. <laughs> yeah, any of us could do that, couldn't we? No, I could get out my laser pistol, and that's the sound of a B-Wing. How do you display your B-Wing? Because it doesn't seem to seem to have a, a natural stand to it. It's easy. What you do is you take the crucifix off the wall, and you replace it with a B-Wing. You know the Detolf cabinets have a little lamp area at the top, if you wanted to, so they've got a, a circle, cu- a hole cut into the top. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remove a lamp of a, from a Detolf cabinet, the B-Wing stands up in that perfectly, really nicely, uh, without any other support. No nails in the wall or anything. It's perfect. Maybe that's something for you, a GDO acrylic to design. I think that's no, you don't need to, I've just told you. <laughs> that's why it's one of my <laughs> least favourite really? Why is it one of your least favourite? And this will go back to what Rich said just now. Be- because of displaying it and how to do it, to be honest with you, I, I can never suss it out. I just think it's a really strange thing to try and... Um, Put it out on display, so I don't. You see, there's, there's it marked in there for GW. Get it in there, get a B-Wing fighter. See, what's we better, AST-5 or a B-Wing? A B-Wing. I, um, I mean, see, the thing is, I, I think the reason why these weren't so popular as a kid is because you didn't see them in the films, and that's obviously what Rich was getting at. You only saw them for a few seconds, and apparently, according to various different sources online, it's because the ship is so narrow it was very difficult to put that in a movie at the time once you had removed the blue screen. It was very difficult to have, you know, such a razor, saber-like uh, ship in there without losing it amongst the special effects. Is that what you heard, Rich? That's true. That's very true. So, moving back to the B-Wing, then. Where did it get its name from? The letter B. <laughs> <laughs> well, it did in a way, but, you know, a lot of people say it looks like a B. I mean, honestly, right, you could... Another guess. Go on, is it something to do with the wings being like like blade type? Does it stand for blade? I don't know this. Is it? Well, I haven't heard that before. Say. 
yeah, absolutely. Some people say when the um, S-foils would be locked, so it would be in this crucifix position, that you could make a B out of that shape. But then others have said, well, it's Blade Squadron they referred to, because oh. when it's in the compact, when the wings are folded, it could look like a blade. As well, when the wings are open, if you turn it upside down, it looks like a broadsword. Ooh, yeah, ooh, I like that. Well, Rich? I don't think any of them are true, actually. The B... <laughs> I mean, if you look at it from three miles away in the dark, some people could argue that it looks like a lowercase b, but really, that, that's... That oh, yeah, that's the reason, that's right. yeah. We're all wrong, that's yeah. the reason. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. that's a great reason. The actual reason was the A-wing used to be called the A-fighter, and the B-wing used to be called the B-fighter when they made the models for Return of the Jedi. And then some bright spark said, well, the A-wing sort of looks like a capital A, so the B-fighter stuck is the name. It was just known as the B-fighter. And then the guy who designed the B-Wing, his name was Bill. So it started to be called the Bill-Wing Fighter, and then that got shortened to the B-Wing Fighter. There's two things to that. One is I like it. I like it a lot. But then the other thing is I think, who told you that letter toss? <laughs> Go on, mate. Is that, I mean, is that, is that genuine? That sounds really good. Well, that sounds, to me, viable. And I've, I've done some research. And where did you get that from, bud? Yes, that, that is true. That is... I want to see, ooh, where did I pick that up from? It may come from one of the, um, you know, the magazines that you send away for and you get the, the Diagostini's Fact Finders or something like that. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's true. They were, they were known as A-Fighter and B-Fighter in, in Return of the Jedi. Ooh. So going back to this, then, this is the most, this was the last ship I bought. I got this one, the one which is in my hand now. I got this at Farthest From in March of last year, February, March last year. This year, my goodness. Yeah, I got it in February, March of, of this year. I do really, really like it. I think it's a great ship. I think from a pilot's point of view, it would be an absolute bag of nails to fly. I don't like the whole concept of this rotating cockpit whatsoever. Are you guys aware of this? Yeah. Oh, Chez, it's easy. Go on. No, it's easy to fly. I did it around the garden for years. <laughs> <laughs> don't be intimidated by it. You're overqualified as it is. Chez, <laughs> puts you in space, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. What what is up in space? And it's a gravity controlled cockpit. So even if you fly the B wing upside down, the cockpit and action figure you put inside it will always be the right side up. Are you yes. saying are you saying our world atlases might be upside down? Mate, you know. Because north is north, isn't it, mate? Well, are we talking true north or north? We're talking north north. Magnetic north. Magnetic north, yeah. So the B wing would have a little compass inside it, wouldn't it? There's no north in space. There is there's a star. <laughs> but why? Why would a pilot in the grips of battle want to have his capacity taken away slightly, thinking the rest of my ship's on the right? Oh, no, no, the rest of my ship's on the left. No, no, hang on a sec. The rest of my ship's below me. Well, mate, it's like Maverick, isn't it? He's inverted. Seat of the pants flying. I don't know where my seat is. I don't know where my pants are. I don't know where <laughs> anything is. I'm completely confused. My up is my down. No, that's a recipe for disaster. An yes. aircraft like that is an absolute recipe for disaster. Jez, Jez, you're making yeah. the biggest mistake. You're, you're going down the Star Trek route here. We don't have that here. It's Star Wars. It doesn't matter whether there's any logic to it or yeah. science to it. It's just cool. Awesome by yeah. definition. Exactly. So just move on. Rich? Does it not work like a set of nunchucks where you just spin your ship around and you take out four ties at the other end? Just spins yes. Around? Yes, it does. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. what it does, yeah. You spin your ship around to the point where you're just sick on everyone. <laughs> it doesn't matter, Jez. It's just, there's no science in Star Wars. Jez, oh. can I ask you a question? You can ask me three. Okay, well, uh, what did Kieran buy? 
He bought a B-Wing. Ah, oh, great. That was it, yeah. I like it. I like the ship. I've got mine in my hand now, and I've got the ship nearby. And it's uh, it's it's really, really cool. Double A batteries. It's got the four engines on the back. You spin the little engine, the wings come up, the cockpit spins around. It's got a little button you press, and it brings a leg down. So you can display it both horizontally and vertically. It's, it's a not bad bit of kit, actually. And let's face it, I think I picked up this one. Yeah, the electrics don't work. I'm going to have to do a little project on that. I picked it up, loose unboxed for 25 quid. Cool. No, I've got one more bit. That's really interesting. Oh, man. Go on, Rich. <laughs> Is anybody aware of any Power of the Force concept designs for the B-Wing? Because I read a little tidbit somewhere that suggested that the Power of the Force um, B-Wing was going to be released at some point. Yes, I've seen it. I've seen a picture. In the 1985 trade catalogue, it was in there, which you can see on the SWCA. So if you check out the SWCA, there's a link to it, and it shows you the packaging for that. And uh, what else? The Rancor. The Rancor has one. And, and the Imperial Shuttle look really cool. Excellent. So we'll have to put a link up on that on our Facebook page. Yeah. Well spotted, Jez. Nice but I, I love the B-Wing. I, I think it's a great ship, even though it's a rubbish ship from a flying point of view. But it's a great ship from a toy point of view. Boom, let's move on. And moving on we are to the Bandolier. And we mentioned this earlier on. I think, you know, the Bandolier is just something completely different. Benny 100's got his on page 1795. I always wanted one of these as a kid. And I think it's because I remember seeing these as a kid. But I can't actually remember... Any of my friends buying one? Any of you guys got this? Know about it? Yeah, it was, a quick, way, it was a quick way to lose your figures when you were a kid. All you had to do was uh, walk. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a particularly good for kid at all. But what I do love, and I just, I, ha- I have to say this, I hope they don't mind. I checked out Star Wars Collector's Archives, and um, I like some of Ron's comments when, when he's put his stuff on and, and cataloging it. And I quite like Ron's sense of humour, because... He talks about the description. He talks about how it was just like the one that Chewbacca wore in a movie, but this is made for kids. It holds ten action figures, including two pouches for your accessories and, and or secret messages. And it goes on. But then in the description, he says, the Chewbacca bandolier strap was like an open invitation to a beatdown. <laughs> he said, just wear it outside with all of your favourite Star Wars figures clipped to it and watch the bullies from Mars around come running just to the chance to smack you. Which, which I think, yeah, that's fair enough. And when you look at that kid on the packaging with his big haircut, which I incidentally had in the 80s. Yeah, it's a fair one. Well, mate, it's 30 years on, it's the same problem with that thing. <laughs> yeah, but for some reason it massively appeals to me. So Benny One Hundred, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just that bullied kid who needs another beatdown. I don't know, but um, I, I I really like it. And fair play to you. So moving on to page seventeen ninety eight. Now this really got my interest. It was, it was Bruce White. First of all, put up a Leah being a Leah focus collector. He put up his his Leah mint on card, but it was what came with that the the photograph underneath, which were the awesome. Leah Japanese bottle tops. Now I saw these and my mind started wandering, instantly thinking oddball, uh, and I just had to go and find out about them. Now being oddball, I know that Grant, Rich, you guys know a little bit about this. Yeah, I've got one. I've got the Sprite one with R5D4. Um, the were the thirty-two of these made and fifty they were available on Sprite and Quark. Yeah, there, there were fifty. You're absolutely right. 
Grant. There was yeah, uh, Sprite, Sprite, Coca-Cola, Fanta Apple, Fanta Grape, uh, Fanta Orange. So a um, whole load of, <laughs> of sugary drinks back then. Yeah, Grant, you so you've got the one on, on an R5, which is perfect from a focus collector's point of view. Grant? Oh, no, mate, I just love them. Uh, they seem to be taken off as well. You know, some collectibles come around and... They're really popular for a while, and then something else comes popular. And these seem really popular at the moment. A lot of people collecting them, and a uh, great thing for a focus collector. I think uh, Bruce has done really well there. But uh, personally, myself, I like to see all fifty. Yeah. How an achievement that would be, don't mind. You know what I mean? If you if you've collected all the power of the force coins, this is your next stop. An awesome achievement, uh, and and you can see these achievements. And this is one thing with which maybe we should do some more actually, because I can supply links now. From uh, from the stuff which I've seen, Pete. Um, is there a? Do we know what the list of of characters on the the tops are at all? It's all um, uh, it's all from the first movie, mate. They were out in 1978, so it's your usual photos you get, like on the buttons and whatever. Or even today on the trading cards, it's the same sort of pictures. Yeah, it's it. What you've seen is is some of the standard pictures. There's, you know, the standard one, which particularly caught my eye, number 34, I think it is, of, you know, the Luke climbing into the X-Wing. So there are some classic ones which have been used time and time again, but there are other ones which you'd think, oh, right, that's, that's cool, just pictures of, of the quad gun shooting and, and loads of different areas. So they've got the main characters, you know, they, and they've got the main ships. They've got lots of characters, I'm sorry, the, the primary characters in lots of different locations. Sorry, Grant? Yeah, the only thing that can, really concerns me about these things, and it's the same with collecting the vintage buttons, is uh, rust. Mm. You know, that, that's something. I wonder how you stop these things from rusting away. Well, it, when you look at it, it's, it's the, the exterior of the bottle cap has the Fanta on or, or the Coke or what have you, and it's the interior, which actually they describe it as a, a vinyl image. Okay. So, so that's cool. It's not actually. I mean, this is the information which I got, which I double checked what I read, and it, and it's vinyl image. So, but yep, yeah, you're absolutely right. There are fifty. Uh, number one being just a Star Wars one. So these these were on the bottles, and these came out in 1978 in Japan as part of the marketing. And so not only could people collect them, but you would also find some other ones as well. There were seven winner caps. Now, what you could get is money back so it, the Japanese equivalent I think yen money back in different uh, different quantities of cash you know, small quantities and then you could get a free coke or there could be a, a free t-shirt um, but the big prize was a um, an AM radio which was the big one so this was a, a huge marketing campaign which they had but they also did a tray now this is quite difficult to get hold of but the most difficult ones to get hold of I've been led to believe are these bottle tops, because the winning bottle tops would obviously get redeemed. People wouldn't um, complete them, um, keep hold of them necessarily. But when I, I contacted Bruce, I said, mate, I love these. I absolutely love them. I mean, yeah, people would say that you would want a Coke R5-D4. I'm sure, Rich, I'm, I'm sure you would jump at the chance of having one of these. And Grant, you'd probably want a couple of TIE Fighter ones. Yes, there are loads of Leo ones for you, Pete. I've had a really good look, Stu. There aren't any... Greedo ones, I'm afraid to say. Uh, but there are plenty of Luke ones, and the Luke X-Wing in, in particular. But there is something for everyone. But when I contacted Bruce to say, look, congratulations, Bruce was good enough to send me some links to Rebel Scum and Rebel Scum forums. 
and we can put these links online and it takes you to all of them, shows you every single one on the Rebels Come Forums, the completed trays. So seven by seven, making 49 and then just the Star Wars one at the top. These are just something a little bit different and I really, really like. Jez, do the trays, do they come in like a, a package? I've, I've seen some of the trays where people have got these trays where they pop the caps in, but then they put them in their own frame as well. I think I read somewhere along the lines of there's there's actually an R um, an R2 unit as well which can hold some of these bottle caps. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking here in the Tomark guide and it actually has an actual tray for all of these bottle tops to go in. Yes, it's the plastic tray. Plastic tray, and it's got a Darth Vader Tie Fighter and a Death Star on it. Mate, very very collectible, very sought after. Yeah, so you can see the you can see the trays as you say the. the Plastic tray and the R2 carry case. The, these are great. It's the T-shirt in particular which has taken a lot of a lot of interest. I've seen some of these collectors who've gone full on for these bottle tops and got the plastic tray and got the T-shirt and got the radio. In fact, the radio became so popular in '78 that they ended up selling it for those people who didn't want to just try and, and hold out and win one. They, they were selling the radio on themselves. Is that is that an R2D2 Coca-Cola radio? Yes. Ah, right. That's where that come from. I didn't yeah. know it was linked to the uh, the promotion of the drinks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's brilliant. These, these things have been incredibly popular. You may have remembered. So these were Japanese. Understand that there's Canadian load as well. There were some Mexican ones for Episode One, and then in Celebration Japan, Celebration Japan did their own range of them for people who were, I think, helping out behind the scenes, and some of the presenters were getting their own sort of gift packs. I certainly need to read more on that, but these these were were popular in '78 and just have come back. And I think it'll be cool to see them again. But just looking at what he's got and his Leah Focus collection, I think they look really really smart. So we'll definitely put those on the Facebook group, lads. So there we go, Ace definitely want one. So moving on, and this wasn't in the new acquisitions thread, but this was on the forum, and it was uh, the Muppet thread. Now who? Yeah, you've seen this, haven't you, Pete? I have indeed. What's going on with a Muppet threat? <laughs> it's quite a tra- it's quite a tragic story, really, of a piece of tape, if you think about it, because it's a um, a Le Guerre d'Etoile snow speeder that sadly, um, I think it's again, let's try and pronounce the name properly, Kleetki, um, whose uh, lad sadly opened. It was a mint in seal box version, and uh, completely innocently opened it. So that piece of tape being cut has now has now greatly reduced whatever price he paid for it. Um, but it, it, I, I think it was the it, it was the lovely innocentness of a boy who has opened this this toy and thought, "Hey, let's see what's inside of it." I'm always one. I, I never buy sealed boxes. I would always buy a box been opened because I'd love to see what's inside it. So I was really chuffed, and that brought back loads of memories. I had one of those snow speeders, and uh, it was great to see it kind of freshly opened. Um, so as a re- I know it was tragedy in cash terms, but at the same time, it's given a lot of people a lot of joy, I think, in seeing what was inside and how it looks after all those years. Is that the AFA argument, Pete? <laughs> I don't care. I just, I'm, I'm not a fan of sealed boxes. Wanted to know what it smelled like. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it just looks like every other snow speeder, surely. I know, but like the fact that it's you know it's just been opened. It's just you know that little bit of tape over the canopy. You know the the stick is still in the same condition, and it, I mean look, it looks in great nick. It's just uh, it's ugh. 
seal boxes, I would just be so tempted to cut that little bit of tape. That's why I don't touch them. It could have been worse. Could be worse. It's worse. He got it as a bit of a bargain, didn't he? Well, I had a cheeky look on eBay to see if I could find it. <laughs> but I wonder how much that... Because I don't really want to go into the price. I think it's when I found him. But uh, I wonder how much that cut has cost. It, it's an odd tale. I would just say, yeah, when stuff arrives in the post, don't hand it to your son to look after it. <laughs> so that was it for Star Wars Forum UK. I'll go on over to Rebel Scum and have a little look and, and see some stuff there. And um, I see on page 166, Darth Cantu with the mintiest yak face. So this is just a loose, non-graded yak face. And uh, it certainly looks a lot better than mine. And um, just makes me think, yeah, that whole thing, everyone wants to get a yak. Pete? Well, yeah, everyone wants to get a yak. I'm so chuffed I got my yak face for uh, well under what they're going for now. Uh, do you want a quick rundown on prices? Go on. The, current, the current going rate of yak faces? I'll start with loose and graded. So uh, Star Wars Trekker has got a pretty decent kind of selection. So in the last six months, 70 figures and... Do you want a quick guess on the mintiest of mint, the highest price paid for one in the last six months? For a loose yak face. A loose, beautiful yak face. So probably what that was. Go on, have a have a, have a hundred and, un, hundred and The most someone paid. Oh, the 100, most. £160. Well, uh, you w- might want to try doubling that, because it's about well, almost. It was £289.28p, so I imagine it was a US auction. For a loose yak face. A loose and grody. That's the most someone has paid recently. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was somewhere, what we've seen there on the Rebel Scum forum, was probably that. For uh, the average price of a yak face at the moment, do you want to guess? Now, we're talking Um, talking eBay and auction houses here, not not individual transactions on forums between collectors, I wouldn't think. 140. Bit more than that. £183.54p. Is the average for it? That, that, I find that really quite depressing. And uh, I got mine for a hundred pound less than that, uh, less than a year ago. So it's it's got silly. Well, there we go. And then great Sky logo mint on card for not much more than that. <laughs> I know, I know, it's, it's gone. Less. So what about graded then? Our friends are great. Now the the highest is four hundred and fifty seven pounds for, a, and this 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 is, is a, a fifteen uh, fifteen yak face is graded. And the average of that is £268, so almost at the top of the ungraded loose yak. It's getting, it's getting silly for a loose figure, you've got to say. But I, I think, just a quick thing out there for people who are buying them, you do tend to see them go on Facebook groups for, I think between about 120 to about 170 it seems, but that's still a lot of money for a loose figure. You know, depending on condition, obviously. Yeah, well, I've got no idea what, how much Darth Cantu paid for it. I think he got it in Germany. He said it came from Germany. He's got it a few weeks ago, but it's dead mint, and it's got <laughs> stiff limbs. He's dead chuffed of it. I, I would be dead chuffed of it. I think he's done really, really well there. So, um, yeah, nice one. On the same page on, on RS, don't tend to get as many people showing what they've had on RS necessarily, but what they do is, is nice. It's really good quality. You've got Leonardo's 280 with a really great collection of mint on cards. It's got a whole selection of there. And that's uh, the uh, Suzuka stickered 65 bags made in Mexico, short mouth biker scout, and various different ones with some clear bubbles. Uh, uh, and I, you know, I, I contacted him. Just said, okay, yeah, cool. Where would you get this from? I'm quite keen to hear where people are, are getting these wild purchases from. Uh, and he told me that he's more of a modern collector. Uh, or sorry, he the items he picked up were from an old friend of his where he he lived. 
where he was, um, this guy was more of a modern collector and had little interest in the vintage line. And he thought he had lost these figures a year or so ago in a move. So they went searching through his basement and then they found them sealed in a Rubbermaid container. It was his first large uh, find. He said they both came to an agreement on the price and he was able to go home with them. And this will be in his collection, some upgrades and potentially a couple for sale at some point. But I think the message for me there is it absolutely pays to be an out and out Star Wars fan because he was there with his friend like, yeah, yeah, I'm into this vintage stuff. I think there are, there are so many people now who are saying that they're, they're getting stuff given to them or, or, or sold on to them by, by their friends because they know that they're vintage collectors. Have you lads had any of that? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. I've tried to do. I've tried to like force my friends like to search their lofts for those Star Wars toys they reckon they all had, but no luck so far. No, the only help I get to be honest, James, is people who know I'm into Star Wars like to post videos of dogs dressed as Ewoks on my Facebook or <laughs> cauldrons that look like Darth Vader. That's the that's the Star Wars I get. They do it all the time. Or they buy you that sort of tat you get. And that Star Wars tat, you know, the stuff that comes out, you know, bottle openers and that sort of stuff. Mm. And, uh, and you end up getting that and you go, you know what? You know, you could have just bought me a vintage figure, I would have been far more chuffed. Also, credits on that Star Wars app, that would have been great. <laughs> it's not real, it's just not real. Yeah, well, he's got a nice collection and he's only got that because he saw his friend who knew he was a Star Wars fan and, and they came to an agreement. So, yeah. good on you, mate, they look really cool. Cool. So that's it. Moved on from Souls from UK. We checked out RS. And naturally go over to TIG, which I'm starting to look at a little bit more. So the Imperial Gunnery Forum, latest acquisitions on page 12. You've got the champ Jedi Blueberry. Got himself a really nice Harbour R2-D2. But you know that they're not R2-D2s, don't you? Rich, you're the font of all knowledge. What's a Harbour R2-D2? Oh, it'll be C1. I don't know the rest yeah. of the letters. Yeah, 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 I know we covered this a while ago, but yeah. Yeah, so he's got a Harbour C1P8. I know that, well, I'm sure you'll remember that. That's quite close to my heart because that's the one Harbour which I've got. I'm not sure if Grant's got anything to say about that because I know he's tried to get me to sell it. Mm. For time. sale! <laughs> I've, no, no, I've never, never considered selling that. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, lovely, lovely looking Harbour. He's dead chuffed with it. He's also got lucky old chap. He's got the Jawa, the Darth Vader, C-3PO, Death Star Commander, and Tusken Raider. Well, so all, get... all Harbour? Yeah. What? Yeah. You get to see some pretty nice stuff in the Imperial Gunnery Forum. Holy smokes! Yeah, so uh, good on you, Jedi Blueberry, mate. It's a, it's a great Harbour, and he's got, he's got it um, positioned between two of the larger 12-inch figures as well. Nice. So he's got a bit of a uh, uh, an R2-D2 slash C1P8 thing going on there. Uh, it really, really nice to see. Do you guys uh, ever find it quite surprising? Um, these Harbots come up for sale, but you never see the Pox. You know, like, you know a Pox card back will come up for sale and go for £750. Mm. You do see these Harbots pop up, and I'm thinking, you know, why isn't it the same for the Harbots? Just thinking. It's good to think, man. So then move on to page 14, Commander Clint. He had a really, really cool find of his old childhood books. He's got scrapbooks 
It's really nice stuff. Where did you dig up that old fossil? And uh, it just made me think, you know, when, when I was a kid doing scrapbooks or, or taking posters out of looking magazines and, and doing all this sort of stuff. Now, you guys, you know, you're, you're kids of the 70s and 80s. Did you have any of this sort of stuff? Pete, I bet you did. Oh, absolutely. Scrapbooks galore. I mean, scrapbooks are just genius. I mean, it looks like on, on Commander Clint's scrapbooks. Um, but it's been cutting stuff out of catalogues and stuff. I know I used to, <laughs> I used to, not, not just those pages, but I used to count the pages of the Star Wars things from the uh, K's catalogue and stick them in, exactly like he's done. <laughs> maybe, maybe it wasn't, <laughs> maybe it wasn't all Star Wars toys, you know what I mean? But, uh, I mean, that's, that's just a great little record of stuff because, I mean, anything, anything from the newspapers my dad would bring back from work and stuff, I used to take anything Star Wars, all those little rumour things about, you know, George Lucas has said there'll be loads of Star Wars films or there won't be. I had all that stuff, but oh, it's all lost. So any scrapbook, I'd love to see. I think people should scan them in. I'd love for that for Commander Clint there to scan everything he's got in that scrapbook and just scan it in so we can look at it. Rich, didn't you sell a scrapbook? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, I'm trying to think about that. Yeah, because that was the one that we won in the vector slot, uh, me and Ben. Um, and the scrapbook just came along with the collection that was already there. But yeah, yeah, that was a nice one. And there was a, a, another one appeared recently as well. Didn't that have the um, Star Wars Weekly number 5 competition winner's letter, didn't it? It did, yes. It had his letter and it had the... Um, Paddy Toy That's right, yeah. And the apology notices from um, from Palatoy for the delay in sending out his competition prizes. Did you actually sell that after? Yes, I did. I, I saw it and um, I think Ben and I recovered all of the costs... And, um, and, and I think we ended up getting really good deals for the vinyl cape shower and the Paratoid desk store that we ended up with. So, all in all, good thing. Just took a long time. Took a hell of a long time to get rid of it. So, nice one. Well chuffed for you, Commander Clint. It's, it's good to see some old childhood stuff. I would absolutely love to see some of my childhood stuff, but alas, I'm sure they all got thrown out. If only I could go back in time. Anyway then, page 17, Master Tavoka. I know that we mentioned him last month with his Rancor, but it was this time I've seen a Swedish Empire Strikes Back one-sheet. One-sheet! Um, it's the uh, cinema poster, but in Swedish. Never seen it before. looks brilliant, so good on you. Uh, I encourage everyone to go and check that out on page 17. It just looks absolutely stunning. Okay, uh, question on this one. Uh, phenomenal Empire Strikes Back poster. Do you prefer it as a as the one sheet or do you prefer it as the quad? I think the one sheet. Really? Yeah. I'd lo- man, I'd love this poster as a quad. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted one, but never could just never find it. You can't even find a reproduction of it in, in a quad. It just I, I I think the reason I liked it so much is because I hadn't seen that translation before. Do you know what, what do you think of this? Compare this one to the uh, brand new Force Awakens poster, because this is old, vintage, st- kind of Star Wars-y kind of poster. Better or worse than the Force Awakens one? For simplicity, better. Yeah, I don't, do you know what, I don't think since the original films that they've nailed these posters as good as they did back then. Do you think we're going to see more, uh, I mean, the the Force Awakens one seems like a, you know, it, it's a a montage of, of, you know, images. This is actually a piece of art. Someone's drawn this. Yeah. So, so I wonder if we're going to get some more posters that gets closer. I mean, we've had all these TV spots and all sorts. I'm sure we're going to get some art, proper art, because those are the ones that are the stack. I mean, that is that's a beautiful arrangement, isn't 
Well, I like you know the Star Wars uh, A and B. They was those are fantastic. I mean, the the one of them with Luke and Leia by his legs that has nothing to do with the film, but it says everything about the film to me. It says about the ep- epicness of the film. Whereas now, these days, it's you know, it, like you say, it's a collage of just color and awesomeness. It doesn't have that. Um, it's not as intriguing as these posters. Maybe we'll get some fan fan versions of posters and stuff as we get closer when, when the film comes out. Yeah, there is. Empire Magazine did one uh, yesterday. They, uh, someone did an X-Wing, which they seem to be flying through the rain or something. It's absolutely beautiful. I guess until we send the film, it's going to be hard for people to, to yeah. give us a good representation, but I do love it when someone's actually made, a, you know, when they've actually drawn it. It's art. It's actual art. I mean, that's a... I just love that. Did you, see, mean, the, did you see the one with... Um, Ray and BB-8 silhouetted with the yeah. crash Star Destroyer. That was beautiful. I'm sure we're going to get a lot. <laughs> I'm sure as we get up, no one's going to miss a trick to make make um, Star Wars posters. But I do love the vintage ones, especially when some of the crazy ones from Eastern Europe and stuff, which you know they're very loosely connected with the actual film's content, like the Hungarian one. And uh, yeah, I think the, the fonts really make it, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, it's just crazy. I can't even pronounce that. It's brilliant. Uh, He's going to get it framed, and it it just—it already looks brilliant in a decent frame. That's going to look the business. So yeah, good on you, mate. Page seventeen of the Imperial Gunnery Forum, Volume Eleven. So there we go. That's it for the forums, and I'm I'm now looking towards Facebook. There was one thing which I was really really pleased with. Now for a few months. So I've been saying to people, hey, if there's anything which people see out there, can you tag me? Can you let me know? And uh, and I had someone send me a message the other day. In fact, it's a friend in the forum and a, a really big, busy guy within the community who, who does a lot of work. He, he's got his own blog, and you've seen it, and he does a lot of work on the Facebook groups. It's Christian, um, a.k.a. Bobby Bobs. Now, uh, he sent me a message, which I, I, I really wanted to look into, and because it was exactly what I'd asked for. So if you, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just read out what he said. He said, if you're still looking for latest pickups for the podcast, Marco J or Dr. Dengar from TIG posted recently on his wall, rare variant. He's a well-known variant collector. And it might be cool to chat about these kind of items as they don't get much airtime on podcasts usually. And uh, he said it's all PBP, cloud car pilot variants. So he, he's given me this thread, he's given me a suggestion that podcasts talk about various different rare mints on cards and, and various different packages and the other. And I know that we've mentioned PBP before, but we haven't mentioned about, about the variants of them. So so Dr. Dengar had put these up, but he had put them up on his wall. And uh, so it was just cloud car pilots. And he showed me a pale face with orange helmet, a pinkish face with an orange helmet, and a pale face with a red helmet. I know nothing about this. I know nothing. So what's going on with the PBP? CCP. PBP. CCP. PBP. CCP. PBP. CCP. I look into this and I contact Dr. Dengar saying to him, look, Someone's given me a sphere that you've put up some pretty smoking stuff on your wall. And I need to know a little bit more about that. So he sends me a link and that link takes me straight back to the Imperial Gunnery Forum where they've got a whole thread on PPP. Now, first of all, what does P 
PBP stand for, lads? It's the uh, it's the three companies that made yeah. uh, Pock is Pock. one of them, obviously, yep. and there's Boris. two other companies that you know sort of linked together to make PBP. But I can't remember what they are because they're outside of my budget by about two thousand pounds. <laughs> go on, go on, Rich, you were there. Pock. Pock is the first one, Boris is the second one, but I can't never remember. It's something like Palu... Palusian. Palusian, that's it. PPP. And this is something which I really, really want to go into, if you don't mind. And I'm going to definitely come back to this with another podcast. Christian, thank you ever so much for just pulling at that thread and giving me this little suggestion. Contacted Dr. Dengar, who then sent me this link, and it was under my nose all the way along. The Imperial Gunnery, which is just is this source of information. So I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back in the future and do an, a more in-depth latest acquisition for these figures. <laughs> right, so lads, moving on. When we get to Facebook, I've had a couple problems work-wise in the last month we've had quite a few distractions so i've hardly been on the internet but i have just over the last few days gone on and i've seen the luke skywalker focus collectors group now this is as you know a bit of a passion of mine bobby bobs has put on his dt luke now this luke farm boy is a bit of a i don't want to say a grail for people but it's it's, it's one of those iconic ones isn't it the luke farm boy people want the dt or uh, dt vader dt luke dt ben for me, it's a really, really, it's probably one of my most desirable loose figures. I just want to ask, I don't have a DT, I don't even have a Vinyl Cape Jawa, I don't have a Model Trem Luke X-Wing. There are lots of desirable loose figures I don't have. If you had to choose one, what would be your most desirable loose figure? Stu? Um, what, out of the DT and the Vinyl Cape Jawa? Right? No, no, just you think about your focus... Or, or anything else, any of the any of the loose figures, be it any sort of variant or what have you. What, in your opinion, what's the most desirable loose figure? Um, I think if you're going to treat me, I'll take a rocket fit. Oh, boom, rocket fit. Okay, a little bit more in um, within possibly our <laughs> own budget. Well, to be honest with you, none of them are in my budget. The vinyl cape jails are ridiculous price now. I think for what they are, and the DTs. Um, uh, I, I don't know, mate, to be honest with you. Grump? PPB Greed or Shoddy Stew, that's got to be up there. Yeah, that's a 30 quid figure, isn't it? It's not really... Um... It doesn't matter. It's it's <laughs> it's what appeals to you, isn't it? Um, I've got to say the Vinyl Cape Jawa because I use it as sort of like a gauge to pay for anything. For example, uh, if I was to buy a cheese board in a pub, I'd be like, Christ, that's the price of two cloth Cape Jawas. And obviously to the vinyl cape jowls, it gets even worse. You get a council tax bill and you think, oh my god, that's, that's three quarters of a vinyl cape jowl. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, to me, vinyl cape jowl. That's your benchmark, that's your grade. Yeah, definitely. If I ever, like, I don't know, like, you know, a vinyl cape jowl on a Star Wars card, I mean, pff, amazing. What yeah. a figure. I mean, it's got the legacy and everything. I know it's not as rare as everyone says. And I know the price is well out of range, but God, Vinyl Cape Jawa, man. Even all my mates know what a Vinyl Cape Jawa is. Even the ones who haven't seen Star Wars, they know what a Vinyl Cape Jawa is. So, yeah, Vinyl Cape Jawa. <laughs> what about you, Rich? Probably the R2 pop-up. Oh, yeah. Because I, the whole story about how I got one was really good. And um, I also think it is probably the most difficult of the original... 96, 100, whatever you want to say, it's the most difficult 
of the loose figures to get. I still think that they are increasingly becoming more difficult than people realise. And a lot of people on Facebook are saying, I'm hunting down the last of the last 17, and they're saying Yak Face, and they're saying a man a man. And then as soon as I mention R2 pop up, I'm thinking, yeah, that's where you're going to be stuck. Yeah, fair one. What about, what about you, Pete? Well, at the moment, it's the blooming A-wing pilot with a correct gun. I can't find it anywhere for less than silly money. And even then, it's coming with the wrong coloured gun. So that's proven a real bugger. And it's my last one as well. So at the moment, that's the ultimate desirable loose figure for me. Well, for me, I think Christian's got it. He's got the, the Luke farm boy, and it's a DT. Yeah, the, the DT in is a bit wobbly. He's obviously had a bit of a swamp rap battle in, in the past. But it's uh, it's a great one. It's an iconic figure. Christian, mate, Bobby Bobs, I'm, uh, I'm well happy. If you, I know it's one which you've been after for a while. So good on you, buddy. Moving on to the Tri Logo group. Now, it's uh, Math Barthelemy who put on a Tri Logo Luke Hoth. Now, as we all know, is the Luke Hoth, which is one of the more harder to find figures. And Ian Sanderson's recently bought one as well, hasn't he? But Math put it up on there saying, look, this is it. I don't want anyone trying to <laughs> ask me to sell it to them. This is just, this is what I've got. Lots of people commenting. And it was um, Akim put up a comment saying, yeah, it's stunning, but it's confusing me a lot. It's not the PBP pinkish face Luke Hoff on this one, which is supposed to be the Meccano Trilogue figure. He, he was just a little bit confused about the figure held within the bubble. And there uh, people coming back and forth. And then even Math came back saying, I don't know, but it is French Meccano release. It was bought in France when those were in the shops in the early 80s. And he got it from the original owner. And then he's, he's come back saying, I think you can buy different figure variants. But then Stefan came on. And Stefan came on saying most, if not all, French Trilogo released with PVP figures were also released with the regular figures. So that applies to the Luke 2. Goes on and, and, and this, just this one post, you end up with 20 plus comments, which are, which are all worthy comments where people are actually educating and just coming out with some really, really good points. And then Stefan produces a double photo image of one with the variant and one with the PBP. What I particularly liked about that was, yes, I know that there's been a lot of Facebook bashing in the past and people are saying, oh, all the information's on the forums. Yeah, there's some tremendous information on the forums. I've said tonight that there's some, been some fast, fantastic stuff on all three of the primary forums. But this is an excellent example of the Facebook group, of this Trilogo group, with some stunning pieces going on and some really, really good comments with some very well-read people who are able to enlighten people, and it's not a particularly overly moderated group. The administrators just seem to, to put some basic rules down there, and and I really like it. Are you all members of Trilogo? Yep. Yes, mate, it, absolutely. It is one of the best groups, I agree with that, Jess, totally. Yeah, so yeah, so good on him. So if you haven't already checked it out, go and check out the Trilogo group, full of some uh, pretty cool guys and some stunning pieces. I think that's the uh, that's not just the nicest... Uh, Meccano Luke Hoff Trilogo I've seen. That's probably the nicest Luke Hoff Trilogo I've seen. That's a hell of a find. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I'll be honest with you, man. I, I mean, I'm not really collecting at the moment, but when I saw that, I actually thought, hmm, wouldn't mind that, actually. Finally, and on Echo Base UK Trading Group, I saw a post by a guy called Chris Koval on the 8th of November. He, he just put up a whole collection of Star Wars figures saying, not for sale, my next-door neighbour is moving out, doesn't like Star Wars, and found this lot in his loft. I've got so much research to do, as all the weapons are in one big bag mixed up. 
<laughs> so he's he just put that on. And and again, this goes back to my whole point about tell your friends you're a geek. Tell your neighbours you're a Star Wars geek. Tell the people <laughs> at work you're a Star Wars geek. Because it's definitely paid for this guy. Um, and, and good on him. Right? So this guy is 22. He wasn't a vintage collector. He was more of a modern collector. Liked Star Wars. He's definitely a vintage collector now. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Absolutely. He said his next-door neighbour lived with his mother, and sadly, a couple of years ago, his mother sadly died and left no will, so the house was going to be sold and split between siblings. Around the time of her death, I'd recently purchased my Shadow Biker Scout armour, and once completed, I showed it to him, and he never knew I loved Star Wars so much. So an offer on his mum's house had been accepted, so he was clearing out the house at the time, and he was in the loft clearing it all out when he stumbled across three bags to which he came round to my house and said that he had taken his bags to a geeky shop and been offered £50. And he turned around and walked out the shop and this is why they were at his front door. He said £50 is nothing to him and he knew it was worth a lot more so he can give the items to someone who would really enjoy them and not sell them for a quick sale. So there we go. Neighbour knew he was a Star Wars fan, was offered 50 quid from them from a shop. We were obviously going to uh, flip it and uh, and he's just given it to his mate given it to his neighbour I'm like yeah man good on you but the good news is now a 22 year old who wasn't a vintage collector is now a vintage collector what are your thoughts on that yeah that's cool man I really like that as well uh, sometimes the guys in work say are these things going to be worth anything after our generations passed on but it's nice to see evidence that perhaps it might yeah I love it. It is really, really cool. I just, it's just a nice one to end on. We've seen a lot. We've gone through a lot from ships to loose to posters. We, we, we've seen B-wings. B-wings. We, we, you know, we've gone through several things here, but to see some stuff where people have said, Oh yeah, you're into Star Wars. Have this. It's just a nice thing to end. And when we've covered the whole Daniel thing earlier on, I don't know. Bit of a feel-good month, I think, for Star Wars collecting this month. How about you, lads? I really like that Trilogy Luke Hoff. <laughs> I do, so, I do. I think it's one of the best car backs, and on the Trilogy, it's... Oh, is it the best one? I don't know. No, it's not the best one. Emperor's Royal Guard is the best one. It's the second best one, though. Yeah, Leah Hoth's pretty nice as well, though, isn't it? Oh, that's a good one, yeah. yeah that's... <laughs> No, I just think you're right. It's been it's been a pretty good few weeks for the volume of things that we've seen, ranging from armbands all the way up to um, you know really high end items, and then back down again to to people posting three or four beaters at the front of the post. It's been a really really good few weeks. I do like the fact that every podcast we do, uh, whether it's research or it's just talking about stuff or acquisitions or whatever, there's always something like the Ewok um, the Ewok uh, swimming aid. That just astounds me that someone plonked a Star Wars logo and branding on something that's completely random. I mean that 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 shocked me as much as other things have. Pete, there's no no evidence to suggest that Star Wars didn't come before the swimming aid. <laughs> they might have invented that swimming aid because yeah. of Star. Wars. Oh no! Oh no! Exactly. But when, when you're hearing all of these people saying, "Oh, Disney are destroying Star Wars because the mass market and everything," I was saying it's already been done before. Yeah, oh, I've, massively, I've, massively. I've massively. had this argument on Facebook, Rich, with several kind of like people on some of these forums where they've obviously come from nowhere, and you just go, "Look, I'm sorry, but this, this has been done to death already." I mean, you know, I mean, people complain about Yoda grapes. I'm saying that means nothing to 
Ewok swimming aids. Yeah, and sorry, but unless you have scaffolding, ATSD, command center, you've got nothing. They need to re-release that. I think I might buy one if they did. And just let. <laughs> and on that note, that takes <laughs> us to the end of this month's new acquisitions. I'm going to keep on looking, and if you see anything, please let us know. Hey guys, like all these repro items I bought from eBay? You're not! Wasn't clever, was it really? Are you kidding me? These are high quality items at affordable prices. Fancy yourself as something of a circus performer, do you, son? Circus performer? Bit of a clown, are you? No, not really, sir. What's your name? Son, I take it you can remember your own name. Tucker Jenkins, sir. Can't hear you, son. Get some air into your lungs. Tucker Jenkins, sir. I'll be watching out for you, Jenkins. Remember that. Now clear off before you really do something to upset me. Don't let me catch you acting the buffoon again. Don't be a Tucker Jenkins. And just say no to Repro. Well, joining me today are three collecting legends. Start off with Chris Fawcett, who you know from the Jedi Toy Box and for SWCA and Rebel Scums. Good evening, Chris. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Chris, thanks. Also joining us is James Simpkins, who you will know more regularly as Sabre's Edge from Rebel Scum. Good evening, James. Good evening, thanks for having us. And finally, we have Eric Green, who also has a big involvement with this story that we're going to talk about today. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks guys. So, early in October, photos began appearing on Facebook teasing a huge Star Wars find. And this was followed up with a group called The Big Pick, which debuted on the 9th of October. So, without revealing too much about your contacts, what can you tell us about the lead-up to this story? Well, uh, what had happened, I was at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim, and I was taking a break from one of my shifts at our Ohio Star Wars Collectors Club booth, uh, out getting some food, and my phone rang, and it was my friend at the booth, Brian, uh, letting me know that there was a gentleman who had stopped and talked with fellow members at the booth, said that he had a large Star Wars collection that he was looking uh, to get rid of. So after talking to a couple of the members who said there wasn't anyone who could probably be able to purchase a collection of that size, my friend thought of me and called me up and put me in touch with the gentleman and talked with him extensively through emails after that and got Chris involved and got Eric involved. And actually, if it wasn't for Chris starting the Ohio Club years and years ago, none of this would have came to fruition. Wow, what a great friend. So at what point did this actually dawn on you that this was going to be a genuine huge sale? Because we've had this before in the UK and when we arrived there, it's, it's often been episode one carded figures, even though they've described them as vintage. 
Well, I have been buying and uh, flipping collections uh, ever since I was about 13. So I've come across any kind of vintage Star Wars item that, that you can imagine, but it's been drying up within the past I'd say five to 15 years. And yeah, I have gotten a lot of people who said that they have vintage stuff that they want to get rid of. But seeing as how Power of the Force 2 is now 20 years old and some people consider it vintage, uh, I have had more people lately who have had modern stuff for sale rather than the vintage items. And when this gentleman stopped at the booth, he dropped off a list. It was about 52 or 54 pages front and back uh, typed of every item and a Blu-ray disc, and the Blu-ray disc had pictures of all 3,700 items that were in the collection. So as soon as I saw both of those, I, I figured that this was probably going to be one of the biggest finds that uh, I had ever had. wanted to get Eric and, and uh, Chris involved with it, both good friends of mine that I, I trust wholeheartedly, and I'd love to be able to add them, uh, add to their enjoyment of being able to be a part of this. So did this collector come to Anaheim purely to sell this collection and make contacts or did he come for other reasons such as the bigger love of star wars well i think it was a little bit of both he actually had started collecting uh when the movie first came out in 77 uh he was 11 years old and upon going through a lot of the items here we were finding uh pictures from past celebrations and uh his his past from like celebration four when it was in los angeles so he had attended collector events before as a fan, but uh, in talking with him on the phone and through emails, it was starting to just get a little bit too much for him to be able to keep up with everything with his work and uh, family and church commitments. And he would rather a collection of this size go to people that are going to actually appreciate it rather than someone that would buy it purely just to uh, make a profit on it. The Facebook group, it has a header of a warehouse photo, and it looks like a medium-sized warehouse with concrete floors, little lighting, and racks of boxes. Is this how you found the items, and can you describe the moment when you actually opened the door and saw this vintage goodness? Sure. So what had happened was the collection's out in L.A., and me and James and Eric are all over here on the East Coast. James and Eric are up near Ohio, and I'm down here in Carolina. So we needed to go out there and check it out, make sure it was all as we thought it was and that everything was intact and there that was on the list. <clears throat> These guys couldn't go with me, so I just flew out there myself and recruited a couple friends of mine from the Los Angeles area, uh, Phidias Berrios and Steve Danley, who I want to give a big shout-out thank you to for driving me around all weekend, letting me crash at their places, uh, helping go through all this stuff and make sure it all matched the list we had. So they were a huge help. So we walked into that warehouse and it was, it was a warehouse of a friend of this collector's and he had brought all the stuff there just because he, he knew we'd need some room and some space to go through it all. We were actually in an office area that was kind of up above the warehouse. And that picture I took is standing on like the top of landing of a stairway that went up to this upper level of the, of the warehouse at the back. And it was, like a little office kind of looking area. It had some cubicles and little fridge and like a storage area. So that's where we went through all of it. And basically when we got there, there was all these boxes. And the boxes are, I don't know, maybe three, three and a half feet long by two foot tall or two foot wide and maybe a foot and a half tall. And there were 80 some boxes of that size. 
And the way he had packed them, he had packed them all more for space efficiency than any kind of categorization. So when you'd open one of these boxes, you may find, you know, some Taco Bell cup toppers <laughs> right next side of vintage Death Star space station in a box. So it was all over the place. So whenever you opened one up, you never knew what was going to be inside of it. I mean, we had the list, but it was still fun. And you even forget with that big of a list what was there. And so we were constantly being surprised by the boxes we opened up and uh, taking a look through and, and seeing the condition of the things, especially and how great the condition was. So me and Steve and Phidias did that pretty much all day on the first day I was out there. And then we had a uh, what's called a U-Box, which is by the U-Haul company here, where they basically bring out a little storage shed. You pack it full of stuff, and then they put it on a truck and ship it across the country to you. So we packed that thing, and when I did the calculations, I thought that thing was going to be about two-thirds full. And we got about two-thirds of the way in, and I'm like, I don't know if this is all going to fit. <laughs> it just barely fit inside that thing. Um, I did have Steve ship me a few boxes back from California, and I took a few of the more higher-priced things on the carry-on on the plane with me on my flight back. But uh, that was a pretty pretty amazing day, and um, just really cool to be there and just tear through this stuff. So, focusing on the storage for a moment, was this warehouse quite conducive to storing these kind of items? And I've noticed that some items are wrapped up in cellophane. They weren't stored there. He just transported ported them there just for us to come and, and look through. So he had he had made in his on his property where he lives a little um, I don't know storage shed. He showed, showed us some pictures of where he kept all this entire collection. So it was only there temporarily, uh, just for us to look through it. Yeah, he had uh, wrapped them in cellophane to, you know, protect the boxes from bugs and getting dirty uh, and to keep all the contents in the box. Uh, we had opened up all the cellophane and pulled out all the contents of the box uh, to make sure everything was there. Uh, we've found a nice couple surprises uh, with extra sticker sheets and accessories to the ship. Uh, we had also found some cardboard cutouts from packages that he had received from Kenner stating uh, that, you know, he wanted these extra items and Kenner was nice enough to send him a number of uh, extra sticker sheets and things of that sort. Great. So, so this guy wrote off to Kenner saying that he wanted some extra parts and, um, you know, like I say, sticker sheets and other items. Perhaps that explains the, the Boba Fett apology notices. Well, we think he just um, mailed away for all those, actually. If you look, right. there was a bunch of card backs, you know, opened card backs that he had from all the loose figures. And a lot of those have the uh, UPC thing cut out of there. So we think he actually mailed away for all dozen of those things or however many we had of those sheets, those apology sheets. Um, unfortunately, he didn't keep the white boxes. The FETs came in, but right. the FETs are here and complete, and all those sheets are complete. So, yeah. But the the sticker sheet, the thing that was weird about that is we'd open up a ship, and the stickers were all applied to the ship, but yet also in the box was an unused sticker sheet. We're like, this doesn't make any sense at all. Why, why is there an unused sticker sheet when the <laughs> stickers are on the ship? Right, and then it happened with a couple different items, and then it wasn't only until Eric had found an actual document or a couple documents from Kenner basically saying that, that uh, thank you very much for your interest and then closed as the, the extra uh, Y-Wing bomb or the extra sticker sheet for the Death Star, the Millennium Falcon. And that explained why there was uh, extra parts and pieces. 
Ah, so was the paperwork from Kenner included with this as well? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was like the, it was like the front of the mailer box was cut out. It had the address on it, and then it had on it was also printed what was inside. So it would have you know one one Death Star sticker, one X Wing sticker, two Y Wing bombs, mm-hmm. things like that were, were printed right on the box. So how how many of those Boba Fetts did this guy send off for? Uh, I think I want to say we counted. Uh, I want to say between 13, 13 and fifteen. Originally, when I found them, um, it was uh, actually vacuum sealed onto a piece of cardboard, and I believe the the, the paperwork for the mail away Bosque was on the opposite side. And so when I looked at it, it looked like it was a little thicker than just a, a normal one sheet of paper. So as I took the cellophane off, I realized, okay, there's more of them. And uh, I just remember counting them out, <laughs> counting them out on the floor. And it's like, wow, we don't just have two or three of these. There's actually about a dozen or so of these. And it made sense when I started going through all the loose figures. And I thought to myself, now, I understand when people are uh, troop building and if they have a whole army of Hoth troopers or rebel or Endor soldiers or rebel soldiers, but why would anyone need to have at least a dozen Boba Fett figures? And so it just made sense when I saw the card backs were missing the poof for purchase that uh, he sent away for the, all these. And like Chris said, unfortunately, he didn't keep the, the mail-away boxes. Uh, he just went ahead and shrink-wrapped all of them and uh, kept them mint that way. Yeah. I've got visions of this child uh, receiving, you know, seven, eight, nine apology notices through the mailbox. <laughs> uh, and I, I suppose I'm a little bit surprised I didn't actually write off to Kenner to see if they had any of the rocket-firing ones, because uh, are there stories where guys have done that in the States and received a rocket-firing fed through the post? No, there there aren't. I don't... I don't think legal would have never would have ever allowed Kenner to ship that out to a kid, but no. <laughs> he, he he very well might have. It wouldn't surprise me just understanding this collector and the way he did things that he would have written to Kenner and said, "Hey, could you please send me a rocket firing one?" But <laughs> right. I don't think they would have done that. Do you believe that these items were to be played with or were they more for display purposes? Well, when he originally started collecting, uh, he was eleven years old. And he did take some of the items out of the package, but he had the good sense. Some of the decals were applied on some of the ships, and but he did keep all of the instruction sheets, kept all the cardboard inserts, kept all the original packaging. So I'm thinking possibly at one point, maybe on some of uh, the items, they might have been just taken out and inspected uh, or just taken out, and he, he might have been like me ever since I was a little kid. I've always loved the vintage look of the boxes uh, and how how good they look on display. So it's kind of like a throwback maybe as he got older and some of the items weren't available in the stores that he wanted to kind of maybe have his own little store and be able to keep all this stuff on display because most of the people back in the day, they bought the toys, they opened them up, they played with the packaging, all got thrown away. And it, it just it you can actually turn your turn your room or turn a section of your house into like your own little private childhood toy store. <laughs> yeah, and I noticed that one of the first photographs you put up was a box of loose figures uh, with the nameplates included in some little baggies, and you had multiples of the same figure. Now, as a loose collector myself, I really enjoyed seeing that, but I also noticed amongst them were some custom figures. Could this guy be one of the first customizers of Star Wars figures? 
Yeah, he definitely he definitely took some things and customized them. There was maybe half a dozen uh, Star Destroyer commanders commandos that were painted up to look like Rebel yeah. commandos. Yep. Um, you know, like from the Tantivy at the beginning of of A New Hope. Um, so he had done so. Each of us actually kept one of those. This is a memento, like <laughs> this little custom figure he did. There's there are like six of them. And then he had like uh, there was like a weird Chewbacca. I remember there was R two D two that's that all blue. blue. Yeah. Yeah, so he, I would guess those were all early figures, and that would have been around the time he was 11 or 12. Right. So I'm guessing those were done relatively early. And uh, as he you know, got into his teenage years, he started doing more of the just buying it, opening up to look at, putting it back away, and sticking it on a shelf. So, And would this have continued all the way through to the modern era? Because I've noticed that there's quite a few Episode 1 items there. Or were there any gaps in his collection? Yeah, well, yeah, there was, uh, yeah, a ton of, uh, modern things, uh, yeah, it seemed like once he got to modern that he collected anything that said Star Wars on it, whether it was pizza boxes, food boxes, magazines, uh, not very many toys, uh, from the toy line, uh, yeah, just a lot of multiple array of things from the modern era. It seems like he, he quit right around the, the Phantom Menace was released. There's quite a few things, especially food premiums and stuff from around that area. And, but very few toys, surprisingly, which I thought was kind of odd that he collected toys all this time. And then suddenly the new movie comes out and he's collecting all these oddball things like electronic banks and inflatable chairs and all kinds <laughs> of weird stuff. But hardly any toys from that from the 90s. And going back to the vintage period, did he have everything from the very, very first original figures right the way through to the Power of the Force line and beyond? Well, there was some uh, some early items. Like, we didn't find an early bird kit or an early bird envelope. I know he had started, like he said, he started collecting right when the first movie came out. And there were, there were quite a few, like, say, there were all the 12 backs. There was a lot of the early ships. There was some of the, the early oddball stuff that we didn't find, like the, the R2-D2 radio, the Luke uh, AM-FM headset. Some of those oddball pieces he didn't have. But most of the main line, as far as the first 12 figures, Lance Beater, TIE Fighter, X-Wing, a lot of the, the main ships, he started with that era and just went up after that. There's quite a bit missing at the end of the line, though. It seems right. like in the Power of the Force time, he kind of tapered off a bit. There's a few Power of the Force figures, but... None of the ships or anything from the Power of the Force or the droids. No droids or Ewoks figures at all. Right. Okay, so that suggests perhaps his interest waned a little bit, and then he got carried away with the Phantom Menace excitement. Would that sound about fair? Yeah, right. That's yeah. Like. And now that I think of it, uh, if you figure when the, when the movie came out in 77, he was 11. Uh, when the tail end of it was over, as far as right after Jedi, he was 18. So it, it could have maybe been that he was away at college or something along those lines. Kind of maybe took his interest away for a little while. And then maybe filling gaps in his collection here and there by attending shows and whatnot. And then once the movie came, the new movie came out in the theater in 99, then he, he just started back up again with it. Now, from talking to other guys in the States, they seem to indicate that no U.S. collection has ever been found without finding 3PO carry cases, Darth Vader carry cases, vinyl carry cases, which we don't often see in the U.K. How many of those were discovered? Well, we did find 
uh, one Darth Vader case. In fact, it was the special offer case that came with the bounty hunters with Bosk, IG-88, and Boba Fett. And we did find one 3PO case uh, that was still sealed, but we didn't really find multiples. Uh, there were some of the, the square cases, the collector trays. But, yeah, the, the big find that we did have was was the Vader case with the three figures. And these were the three original baggies that came with that case? Yeah, the um, that case also had a special baggie that had a two-color blue and white Kenner logo, and that's the only place you can find that particular baggie. So those those are pretty rare. Those cases are pretty rare in general. And in fact, in some of my research and talking to some people, um, I've had several people claim that it's the rarest U.S. Kenner production thing ever made is that Vader case, even rarer than like carded DT figures. Um, with only maybe two or three known complete ones to exist. So we opened this one up, and, and when we were out there, I was in California, he had, like I said, everything shrink-wrapped. Now, that case didn't come shrink-wrapped, so I knew it was his shrink-wrap, so I didn't have any problem taking it off when I got home. But I, a lot of the, the play sets I knew he had taken the baggies out of, because, for example, he had a blue snaggletooth, and he had the Cantina Adventure set. And blue, but the blue snaggletooth was in the box of loose figures. So I'm like, well, that came from the adventure set. Right. So I was like, did he take these out of the baggies or are the baggies still inside? I didn't know. So when I got home, I opened that thing up and folded it open. And sure enough, figures are in there with the baggies. Um, two of them have the blue and white logo, which is the super rare logo. And the third one, the boss did not, but that's, that's fairly common for these. Um, they, they had one of those two logos. So they didn't always have all three of the special blue and white logo, but it was cool to see that two of them did, the Boba Fett, and I believe maybe the only known example of an IG-88 in that blue and white logo baggie were still inside. The insert was there. The stickers were there. It was it was just everything. He'd never opened that thing. Moving on to the mint on cards, there were a lot of mint on cards there, and, you, and you've showcased plenty of them. And some of them have the alternative photo work, so do you think he was trying to track down every single variation that he could get his hands on? I don't think he was trying to track down every variation. I didn't really see any duplicates. So there, there might have maybe been a couple here and there, but I think his main goal is that he wanted to get uh, at least one of every figure. Uh, I don't think it really mattered to him whether it was on an Empire card or Jedi card. And you got to figure it. it's only been within like maybe the past 10, 15 years that a lot of people have centered on, well, if I have this on an Empire card, it has to be this back. Or if I have it on a, a Star Wars movie header card, it has to be a 21 back and not a 12 back. A lot of collectors back in the 80s didn't focus on that as much as they do today. You didn't just find toys in there. Um, and in one pick, Stephen Donnelly is grinning from ear to ear holding a beautiful Star Wars movie viewer. Um, I also spotted some toothbrushes and magic transfers. Any highlights that you want to pick out of this collection? Uh, yeah, I, uh, really was fond of the, uh, lightsabers. Uh, I had them when I was a little kid, the exact two colors that I found, uh, that we found in the collection. Uh, so that kind of stood out to me, uh, to remember that my sister and I playing with those swords, uh, when we were little. Uh, so that's one of the things I'm definitely going to keep. Uh, it's really hard to let anything go, but yeah, there's a lot of amazing stuff, and uh, just really happy to be a part of this. It's really cool. Well, there's not really a lot of 
U.S. Kenner toys uh, that I don't have in my collection. I've I've just been collecting so long, and I'm always in the process of upgrading. And it's to the point now where I have every U.S. Kenner toy uh, that was released in the states in its original package. But like I said, I'm always looking to upgrade. And there's just a few few oddball pieces: the in, the inflatable lightsaber uh, with the the Ben and um, Ben and Vader picture on the front. Some of the oddball Kenner items like the dip dots and the paint set and just little things like that. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be some carded figures. I have my list with me that uh, I'm going to want to upgrade the ones I already have in my collection. Yeah, for me, it's kind of at the two ends of the spectrum. Um, Like at the top end, some of the super rare stuff we found, like that Vader case. There was two bin headers, a 20 and a 21, and the 21's pretty hard to come by. Those were cool. There was a Empire Strikes Back carded hand with the small head, which is really rare to find the small head on the Empire card. Um, obviously, the Boba Fett cartage are cool. But then at the other end of the spectrum was all this oddball stuff you hardly ever see that was like really, really neat, like crazy magazines from back in the 70s with interviews of you know some of the ILM guys or Ben Burt. Um, there was... Some serial premium, like, fold-out posters. It's almost like a newspaper paper with, like, it's a poster on the front and a coloring page on the inside and, like, a Kenner coupon on the back. Those were pretty cool. That you hardly. Oh, the other thing was the uh, the Women's Day magazine, which, oh, yeah. if you don't know about that, there was a magazine that had basically a instructions for a parent to make a homemade sort of space station base out of <laughs> household-type items. And they not only had all these instructions in the magazine, but they also released a separate flyer that was like this big fold-out thing that they had all the instructions on that was separate from the magazine as well that sold for a dollar. So we found like one of the magazines and a pretty much dead mint copy of that Women's Day instruction sheet to build this space station. So those are pretty cool to see things like that that you just hardly ever see. Yeah, I've never seen one of those before, but uh, I know the magazine you talk about. Uh, have you ever come across any evidence of this space station ever being built? I think I did see somewhere. I think I remember seeing online it. that some, yeah, that someone attempted it. I think somebody had made. I think several people have probably attempted it, you know, as adults. Mm-hmm. But I think <laughs> I I even remember one poster somewhere on Rebel Scum or somewhere saying that yeah, they're they're dad or somebody tried to build it for him as a kid wow. it was kind of more like an economical way uh if a parent didn't want to go out and and uh spend the money on a death star space station because th- back then that was one of the more expensive play sets and not every kid on the block was going to be able to have that and come christmas time if they wanted something along those lines that was a, a better way for uh, a parent to make it for their kids and still keep them busy and have a good time Going back to the bin headers that you just mentioned, uh, do you think he acquired these from a local store, or would it be something that he would have received direct from Kenner, perhaps as a request? Well, they they certainly look like they have store shelf wear on them. The 20 back has a small tear on the front. Both of them have a lot of edge wear. So I think just knowing this guy and how meticulous he was with saving stuff, if he had got them right from Kenner in a shipper box, we probably would still have the shipper box. They probably would be completely untouched inside. So I'm pretty certain that he got these from a store somehow. I'm looking through your photographs. I've noticed a T-shirt that's advertising something called Bar Wars. Uh, what can you tell us about that T-shirt? Because it's not something I've seen before. Probably just some kind of bootleg. Uh, I don't think it's anything official. 
I think Chris tried trying it on earlier. It was a little small <laughs> on him, though. <laughs> I don't know if Steve Donnelly's got a knack for hunting out some of the coolest items, but he took another photograph of him holding one of the acrylic paints, uh, the paint-by-number set with the at cover, and that's one of the ones that I've never seen. Um, so what kind of condition were, were these items in, considering that paints and things they got a hard at a store? Uh, yeah, they were all in amazing condition. Uh, all still had the shrink wrap around them. Uh, none of the boxes were crushed at all. Uh, all the the colors of the boxes were very clear and bright. Uh, a, a lot of the stuff is just really in a remarkable shape. And all still sealed up? Uh, a lot of the art uh, things, paint by numbers... Uh, all those were still all originally sealed. Uh, all the models uh, that were in the collection were all sealed. Uh, but all the toys uh, that were being able to have been played with were open but looked uh, an unplayed use. Yeah. Now, I noticed a box of Publicum uh, trading cards, which... It makes sense now when you're talking about how this guy packed, because they were expertly packed, but then there were some other items that didn't fit that went in another kind of order. What, what other food products were there? There weren't a whole lot of food items. Well, there were a ton of food items from, like, Phantom Menace forward. Right. Pizza boxes, Pepsi cases, uh, all kinds of stuff there. But as far as vintage goes, there wasn't a whole lot of food items. Uh, there were some candy wrappers that had, like, trading cards printed on them. There were some of the candy heads that Tops put out. What other food items? Some were there? of the uh, there was a couple of the Pepperidge Farms cookies boxes. Yeah, that's about it. There yeah. wasn't a whole lot of food premium stuff from at least from vintage. Tops candy heads uh, didn't have the candy in them. And I've noticed that there were some West End adventure games journals, um, with other books as well, particularly from the seventies or eighties. Um, in the early years, I'm thinking of some of the hardback covers that were quite difficult to track down now. Yeah, there were there was tons of tons of books from all across the years. Most of them were like Zahn era forward, but there were all the typical books from back in the 70s and 80s, the movie adaptions, the Han Solo books, the Lando Calrissian books. None of them are hardcovers, uh, so they're just the pretty typical ones, but they're all in really fantastic shape, shrink-wrapped, pretty much look like new. One thing that I haven't seen yet are any evidence of computer games. And I'm thinking if this guy must have been 18 in the early 90s. Um, any evidence of Dark Forces or Rebel, Rebel Alliance or anything? Rebel Assault being uh, in that vein? No, I think I saw one computer game, and it was like a kid's computer game. And I think maybe the the Making of the Magic CD or whatever that was called, that thing yeah. that came out with all the, all the cut scenes and stuff, I think he had one of those. Yeah. But yeah, really no computer games, games either, like Atari or anything, nothing like that. Right, there was no, no Atari or ColecoVision or, or not even not even ones that were just the cartridge itself without the instructions or the book or the boxes or anything. Mm. And was everything that you found Star Wars or, or were the other genres there? No, pretty much everything that we found uh, was all Star Wars. There was a couple different knockoff items. Like, we found some, some stickers. I think they were licensed by Imperial. I want to say it was back in, I think it was, they were dated 1978. And you could tell that there was a couple ones that were on there. Like, one looked like a Millennium Falcon, like a knockoff of it. One was a Tuscan Raider. His head was all wrapped up. And uh, just a couple little odds and ends that he probably thought were 
as similar to Star Wars as you could find, and they were a little bit cheaper. So he did have a couple of oddball items like that. This must have been a mammoth job to catalogue. I'm assuming that when you arrived on site, you had some kind of system in your mind on how you're going to catalogue all these items out. Um, can you tell us about that system? So, fortunately for us, the system was this collector was absolutely meticulous about cataloging his items. And I think he did this recently, but he had a complete list with every single item assigned its own item number. He had all the photography already done. And literally, when I say photography, it's like you take the Falcon, he's got a picture of the front, the back, the right, the left, the top, and the bottom. (laughs) And so with all those images with the same item number as on the spreadsheet, so he had every single box, those, you know, those boxes I was talking about, the 80-some boxes. Each one of those boxes had a list of exactly the contents that was inside that box. And they were all numbered. And they were all num- All the boxes wow. were numbered. So you have box 29, well, where's sheet 29? I can open that up and go through it and go, this was supposed to be in there, and just check it right off the list. It was, not only was that amazingly helpful for us out in California going through the stuff, but now as we're, we're starting to sell it, we don't have to take any photography. We have a complete list. Every item has an itemized number that people can tell us so we're not going to possibly mix up, send in the wrong thing, or, or be confusion about what they're looking at. So it was, it probably cut our work in half that he was, that he did that and was so meticulous about cataloging everything. Right. Excellent. So, um, Chris moving back onto the Facebook group and the big pick. I've noticed that you've started to put some of the smaller items together and group them in categories. So if one was interested in purchasing something like jewellery or the Sigma mugs and other things that you put up there, how does one go about doing that? Yeah, so the first thing would be to join that Facebook page. And the main things we're posting over this weekend are the sort of the smaller stuff. I would say like under $15 items. And there's probably a couple thousand of under $15 items in this collection. So it would be a real pain for us to literally go through and put prices on all that stuff. And especially because not a, not a ton of it is people are going to be fighting over it anyway. It's, it's a lot of small items. So we figured we'd just push it out there, let people come, come to us with an offer. And pretty much you give us any kind of decent offer, we're going to say yes, because this is just the, the low end items. We just want to move. So go on there. Pinned at the top of the page is, um, some instructions and links to all the different categories we've posted so far. And you can click on those links, and that'll take you to the page of photography for that particular category. And each of the images in there is labeled the image name, the JPEG name is an item number. So, And my email's on that pinned post at the top of the page. So just email me and say, here's the items I'm looking for. What do you think about 30 bucks or whatever you might think it'd be worth to you? And um, like I said, this stuff we're just we're just taking any reasonable offer is, is going to be fine. So, and what about the bigger items and the, the things that are getting people excited? So that stuff we're we're not a hundred percent sure yet exactly how we're going to do that. We want to try and make it as fair as possible. And the one thing I don't like about sort of selling on Facebook and groups is that a lot of times if people put out a price list, it's like the guy who happens to be online right that second is the yeah. guy that gets it. Right. So we want to try to avoid that. Um, the only thing I can say for sure that I think we pretty much know we want to do is that anybody that's part of our big pick page is going to get first look. So before we post, post push anything out to any of the other vintage groups or out to the forums or out to eBay 
or anywhere else. Rebel Scum, yeah. Rebel Scum. We're going to be posting the initial lists there. So if you want first look, that'd be where to go. So I'm not sure when that's going to be. I would say sometime maybe three, four weeks from now, hopefully we'll start listing some things. And it's going to be, for us, it's going to be take some time. So we're not going to just dump all this at once. So it'll be like, okay, here's the micro stuff this week and try and work through that. And here's here's mini rigs and then here's model kits and so we'll be pushing this stuff out for, for months now. And the other thing we should note is anybody in the Ohio, Pennsylvania area, James is going to be taking a lot of the smaller stuff home that, you know, we don't sell on Facebook. And he, he sets up at the Steel, Steel, Steel City Con. Steel uh, the City website's uh, www.steelcitycon.com. So a lot of the smaller stuff, if you don't want to ship it, you know, and you're in that area, you could go there and, and grab some stuff from him in person. So I don't think we're going to be doing much of the – the vintage Kenner stuff that way, but certainly a lot of the little things. Well, I think that's made everybody's waves and partners um, thankful that you're not just dumping it all in one go. <laughs> the big pick then, Chris, the photographs. What was the thinking behind the photographs? Because um, I don't know if you've intended it this way, but it looks as though that we're actually now seeing possibly the first live big find <laughs> that's being shown on the internet. Yeah, so the photographs... I really wanted to take a lot of pictures because, you know, I've been doing this for a while, just like James, and I always regret now that I don't have more pictures of some of the finds from the past. I mean, I've got a lot, but not nearly as many as I would like. And so when I got to California, I told Phidias and Steve, I said, just take tons of pictures. It's like, I don't want to be the only one because I want to be in some of them, and I want you to be in some of them, and I want to have document this whole thing. So they were taking pictures and I was taking pictures and I just thought on a whim, hey, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna post a couple to Facebook. And the reaction I got was so huge that I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna keep this thread going and keep posting on it. And people kept joining this, this thread I had and I kept posting more and more pictures. And basically it turned into a live feed for the day of exactly what we were doing. And so that was really cool. When I got back, the, the, um, from LA, I thought the response was so good. Wouldn't it be cool to have its own Facebook page that people, first of all, it'll keep this history kind of there. People can follow us as we're going through from this point forward, and they can look back at the L.A. stuff through the photos. And then it would be a great place for us to push out some sales and stuff. So I thought of that. And then, you know, yesterday, as we were in North Carolina unpacking and sorting and cataloging everything, I did that same thing again with just pushing pictures all day. I've been pushing pictures today. So I think you're right. It wasn't it wasn't that I set out to say, hey, let's have the first big find of social media. I just started posting pictures and it sort of turned out that way. But I think it's pretty cool that that, that is what this became. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not surprised it's been so popular because, I mean, I, I enjoyed nearly all of the Kivecast stories with yourself and Ron and, and other guys and big finds. And certainly our listeners are overseeing, you know, can we have another story from Guest X? Because they're all really popular. And, and this is the first one that we've actually joined in, even though it's such a small thing. Yeah, that's, so, I think that's pretty neat, just to be able to connect with the community like that as it's happening. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of history in this. Um, are there any plans to make an SWCA blog out of this whole event? Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about that, um, but you know that's that's something maybe I talk to Gus about and, and maybe do. I think you know a lot of it is is on the the Facebook group there, but maybe I could even add some some more about the backstory. Of course, um, you know a lot of the backstory is going to be available here on your podcasts, and 
I also talked to the guys at the Vintage Guivecast a few days ago, so they're going to have a bit of the story there as well. Uh, between those two and the Facebook page, I think we'll have a pretty good history, but a blog post might be an interesting idea. And moving back to the original collector, then, um, is that him getting out of Star Wars now, or do you think he's still involved and possibly looking forward to the new film? Um, he did talk to some of the guys out in California uh, as far as with their collector's club, and he still wants to stay active. He's still a Star Wars fan, but I just think it might have got to the point that maybe it was just too overwhelming for him, and rather than him keeping a lot of this stuff and not really being able to enjoy it, uh, he just wanted to, to make sure that other other people would have the chance to add things to their collection, which we appreciate 100%. And But I, I do believe he's still going to be active in the, the California club and more than likely right on opening day, he will be there for the new movie. So he's, he's still going to be a lifelong Star Wars fan. He just won't uh, be as much of a collector as he once was. Oh, that's great to hear. Going on to you three guys and... Any chance of seeing you over in Celebration London next year? Uh, I would love to be able to go over there um, with work commitments and everything that I have. Unfortunately, uh, I won't be able to make it. Actually, everyone on my mom's side of the family is from Finland. I'd love to be able to go back overseas again one day soon and, and visit. But uh, right now, for me, it just wouldn't be in the cards. Yeah, I'm uh, not going to be able to make it out uh, this year, but... You know, as soon as celebration happens again in the states, I will definitely be there. And barring something unexpected, I will be in London, um, hanging out in the collector track, helping out like I usually do. So that'll be fun to see all you guys again. Yeah, it'd be great to meet up, Chris, and hopefully, if we can get a states celebration organized for August one one time, I'll be over there to see that one as well. So thanks very much, guys, for your time. Um, has anybody got anything to add before we wrap up? I'd like to uh, to thank uh, Phidias and Steve for uh, helping us with this. Uh, I'd like to thank Eric for being a part of it, Chris for being a part of it, Chris for starting the Ohio Star Wars Collectors Club, which without this, none of this would have happened. Yeah, the last thing I'll say is um, keep an eye on that Facebook page because this is just one pick, and you know, me and James do a lot of this kind of thing. This is Eric's first First, I think first he's a, he's a newbie. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what a one to be your first, right? It's like it's all downhill from here, man. <laughs> it doesn't get any better. But um, you know, we're gonna keep using that page even after this stuff is through. That if we ever have other finds in the future, and you know, maybe there's another find already, maybe in the works. I don't. Hint, hint. I don't maybe I don't know. I'm not saying there is, but. I'm not saying there's not. <laughs> well, we'd love so, to have this back on again and talking about yeah. any more fines. <laughs> so we're going to keep using that page. So even after yep. this is all out and through, uh, it's, you know, stay on board, keep following it, because if we have other fines in the future, um, you know, we're going to be posting them up there and, and kind of just building that up as a as a group for, for that kind of thing. So that'll be fun. Okay, then. So thanks very much, Chris Fawcett, Eric Green, mm-hmm. and James Simpkins. It's been a pleasure talking to you, especially for giving me the time to re-record this after the first recording was destroyed. Thanks <laughs> very much. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks. Cheers. Now, on to the remaining events for this year. Uh, if you're looking for something to do this weekend, there are several events you could attend. You could head on down to Whitby Pavilion for Whitby Sci-Fi and Comic Con. That is this Saturday on November the 28th. Or, on the same date, you could go to Diddycom, which is at the Central Community Centre in Scunthorpe. Or, also on Saturday the 28th of November, head down to Hallycom, which is
which is North Bridge Leisure Centre in Halifax. On this Sunday, you can head into Wales for the Wales Comic Con at Glendar University in Wrexham. Into December, on Saturday the 5th of December, you could head on to Wigan Comic Con at the Robin Park Arena. And then on to December the 12th, 13th weekend, on Saturday December the 12th, Fill the Force Day Christmas Special at Plymouth City Market. On Sunday, December the 13th, there is also HCon at the Mountbatten Leisure Centre in Portsmouth. And also on Sunday the 13th, December, is Geek Central in Brighton. But if you really want to be at the top event over the weekend of the 12th, 13th of December, get yourselves down to Fordham Bridge for the Christmas Farthest from Spectacular. An outstanding weekend in the making. And finally, on the 27th of December, if you've uh, eaten too many mince pies and fancy walking some of the excess weight off, head down to the NEC in Birmingham for the Toy Collector's Fair. This takes us through to the end of the year. I'm sure Grant will be bringing you all the events from 2016. Hope to see you at some of the events in particular, farthest from. The Vintage Rebellion podcast is proud to be sponsored by Vectus Auctions Limited, collectible toy specialists. You can find them online and see forthcoming or past auction results at www.vectus.com. That's V-E-C-T-I-S dot co dot U-K. If you have a collection you may want to get valued for sale, then you can give them a ring on 01642 750616 or email them at admin, A-D-M-I-N, at vectis.co.uk. They have two sites for drop-in visits for collections in Thornaby, Stockton-on-Tees, and their postcode is TS179JZ and they also have a site in Whitney, Oxfordshire and that postcode is OX281UB If you are contacting the Oxford office please use the phone number 01993 709 424 I think of myself as a filmmaker and uh I got into an argument once at a, at a film conference with, uh, with George Cooper, who really doesn't like the, the word filmmaker. I mean, he likens it to toy maker. And I think that's a real nice thing. I like being thought of as a toy maker that makes films. And now, ladies and gentlemen... The Market Watch. There hasn't been a lot of auctions this month. I think we're coming towards Christmas. And I think some of the larger auction houses are going to be saving their stuff uh, until usually the end of the year, then sort of early New Year. So there's not a lot going on. But we did have a very spicy auction at Vectis in October. I think it was on the 20th. The first thing I just want to talk about is another Palatoy Death Star came up. And this is the fourth one we've seen recently. And the prices have gone rather rather severely downwards. So the first one had a slight indentation, and that went for 4400 The second one had a very minor indentation, and that went for 4800 The last one, which came up about two months ago, that also had a slight indentation, and went for 1500 And the latest one, again, it, just had a, it was indented, and the creased corners were dinged. And that went for 1300 uh, I think we mentioned it before, the person who bought those first two are going to be pretty gutted, because condition still looks pretty good so again i'm not sure how many are left how many are still doing the rounds uh rich is there another one coming uh, any more coming up in the next 
big auction you talked about? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm trying to think now. I mean, this this is almost making them affordable, Rich. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, from 4,800 now to 1,300. There's online. definitely one in a box. I remember now. It's definitely one boxed. Was it, did, did you remember if it was sealed or not? If it's not sealed, then it's in a very, very good condition box. Because I remember looking, it was sort of standing vertically, and it was inside a big shipping carton, and it was only one in there. I think don't remember if it was sealed, but it was good condition. I mean, I mean, those boxes do look fantastic. Um, I don't know if anyone actually has one. Any, anyone actually have one of these Death Stars in its box, or a boxed version of this at all? Uh, yeah, I do, mate. So, uh, you considered maybe flogging it? Ah, uh, absolutely not. No, I mean, I, I really like the Paris High Death Star. I think it's the essential ingredient to any British collection, so absolutely not. Beautiful piece. I mean, I got mine for like 50 quid back in the early 90s. <laughs> you could sell it and buy yourself a three-pack. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, mate. It's got a lot of sentimental value. It was a big deal back then to find one of these. There's actually, in Cardiff Film and Comic Con, uh, a guy selling what was practically half a box with who knows what hanging out of it, and he was like, this is really rare, 750 quid. Yeah, there was there was one at um, Vectors that went for 230 uh, just before those those big ones came out, and again, it was just it was missing a few parts, but you know what? I'd actually just like the empty box. I think it's beautiful. I love that box from uh, yeah, I mean, it's Star Wars classic, and what I really like about it is, is it, it's like the first collectibles. Do you know what I mean? It's, there's nothing more Star Wars than like a Paddy's High Death Star. It is. It is stunning. That's on that's on my long term wish list. That is. I mean, may, maybe I'll buy it in bits, bit by bit. <laughs> Start with car- cardboard bits and work backwards. Mate, that's not. Do you know that's not going to be easy either? Because like the price of some of the plastic bits, like the the chute that goes into the trash compactor and the cockpit, those are going for crazy money. It is, but I've got more chance of doing that than buying it <laughs> buying it in one big lot like that. Um, but still, I mean, if they're coming down in price, you never know. There's quite a few carded items. Now, I try and usually cover sort of more sort of oddballish items where I can, but there are a few things that caught my eye. Now, the first one, I was kind of looking for a snaggletooth on a card. I didn't really care what sort of quality it is. I don't mind sort of beta figure on cards. And initially, I thought, oh, yeah, 50 quid. That's not actually, not actually that bad a price it actually went for. But then I looked again, and it was actually a French-Canadian snaggletooth. Now, condition wasn't amazing. Guys, are they, I, I can't find any prices on this at all. Now, I know so the condition is, I mean, it's got a slightly faded card. The bubble is very yellowed. And there's a bit of an indent there as well. And apparently, it's got pinholes on the card but is that a little bit cheap 50 quid for a, a pretty rare car back grant come on anything french canadian is worth at least 25 30 40 50 percent more than its kind of counterpart surely i mean it, it, does anyone even have a french canadian carded figure at all yeah jez has a yoda yeah that's right oh very good mate i have got a yoda yeah yeah it's on my i've written it on my wallpaper in my bedroom, the stuff from Jez's that I want, and it's just third on the list there. <laughs> yeah, I've next to for seal. Yeah, no, it's it's on my little foreign area. Oh, I'm looking at him now. Lovely. But I mean, it, it is yellowed. I mean, it's kind of it does appeal to me because it is a beta. But I'm a bit miffed actually. I didn't go for it because I saw it and I thought, oh, they, you know, forty to sixty pound. That's going to go for like you know, seven hundred. I didn't even know they existed. French Canadian figures, um, <laughs> like in, in in that sort of thing. As in, you've got the Star Wars on the front and then the, the Frenchness on the back. I mean, I think I think I missed a trick there. Would you pay fifty quid for that, Jez? Yes. Oh, 
Stu. Now it's about your size, isn't it? Would you pay fifty quid for it? Yeah. Are you gutted you missed it? Yeah. I'm I, I'm devastated. Stuart, you don't like Snaggletooth. You said it in the last podcast. Oh, I certainly didn't. I said he he run Greedo very close to to my favourite. Did Which, you? Yes, I love Snaggletooth. He was one of my favourites as a child. Which one? Um, red. I didn't didn't know Blue Snaggletooth existed when I was a child. Oh, shame. Rich, you, you don't like Mox, so I'm not even going to ask you. But no, that, that 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 was kind of the first bargain. Um, the next one. Alright, again, the, the condition is a little bit iffy, but I still think it's a good price. Kenner 21A Chewbacca. Uh, again, this had um, a little bit of indentation and had a small split. Apparently it was only 0.75mm split, so, and the card was pretty decent. But that only went for 70 quid. Surely it should have gone for more. It's a 21A Chewy. Now, I, I, the, I found this hard to find a good price for this anywhere. Uh, there was also a 20A Jawa, went for £130, which I thought was decent, but actually you can usually find those around about the £100 mark. And finally, the one I want to talk about is the 21A Warus Man. The condition was half decent. It wasn't actually too badly... I mean, it, it wasn't really damaged, there's not too much about it. But that went for £90. Now, the cheapest I can find recently, in the last year, uh, was £280. So it's another bargain. Again, anyone... Anyone even notice it? In fact, did anyone actually bid on this auction at all? Stu, you always bid on everything that moves. No, I missed it. You missed it? You missed the auction? What's going on? If I was, if I was sitting down, I would have tried to buy that Warriors Man and Snaggletooth for those prices, yeah. Did anyone have a go at this auction? Rich, you you were you live next door. I was going for the 20 back E, and I forgot... Well, I didn't forget about it. I got the days mixed up. I thought it was Wednesday. So when I, was, I think it might have been Tuesday night, and you sent... Uh, something on text chat to say unbelievable vectors prices today and I could have cried <laughs> and I didn't I didn't even want to know how much the R5 went for and when I looked I, I cried again Rich I was going to go over this anyway but I'm just going to mention it £140 yeah. add your fees into that well yeah and, and I've got a 20 back A for cheaper than that so this auction really did go under the radar didn't it did anyone else Grant and, and uh, Jez do you even know this auction was going on no idea bro no, I was. I think I was away at the time. And this is kind of weird because we've we've mentioned this already in the podcast. Now, Rich, you bought along with uh, young Ben the suitcase full of the prize winner from the Star Wars Weekly magazine draw, which was a set of well, the first twelve. And another one has come up, but this time there's a slight difference to it because the guy had actually kept the card backs and the bubbles, and he just made incisions into the side of the bubbles and removed the figures and put them back. So this was all 12 cards with all the figures. Uh, they were all 12 A-backs, apart from the Jar and the Death Squad Commander, which are both 12 B-backs. And he's got the letters, and he's got various other little bits and pieces. Um, I think he's missing a couple of the weapons. I think Han Solo is missing his weapon. But Now, I was surprised with this, actually, the price. I thought this might go for more, because I'm not a fan of reseals, all that sort of stuff, but these are just incisions, so you can actually get the figure back in there. And it went for two thousand seven hundred pounds from an initial estimate of around about I think it's one to two thousand. <laughs> where does that where does that put twelve backs um, uh, resales? Now I thought normally they went for about like sixty quid, but this is an incredible auction. I think it was the vinyl cape Jawa in the condition because I, I saw this lot. I think I must have been in this the week before or two weeks before, but I saw this lot there, and these were really in fantastic condition. Yeah. And I actually thought that these were. Um, fully sealed 
until Cathy pointed it out. And it was only when I noticed that the R2-D2 was in back to front, that's when I'd realised that all of them had little slits where you could hardly see. It is. I mean, it's a, I mean, I think that the price it went for, so £2,700. Now, obviously, if you bought all that lot, you know, I mean, remember, they are palatoy as well. So if you bought all, all that yep. lot, you're talking, you know, as we talked about in the past, anything up to you know, 10, 15 grand for the lot, maybe even more, depending on what, more. what time of the yep. week it is. Um, but that, I mean, that's a hell of a collection. I mean, th- th- there are apparently also a couple of little um, little footstands missing as well. But I think I think someone got a bargain there, you know. Well, the the winner of this auction now has two of the twenty five sets of figures that were sent away for. The challenge for him now is to go and find the other twenty three. <laughs> but don't, don't you find it interesting that that? That two people now in the space of what that's probably about a year and a bit. A year, yeah. Um, have co- who actually kept that kind of collection together? I know, I know the first one didn't have the car backs, but they kept the collection together. So that must have meant a lot to them as kids when they had that collection. I mean, this guy obviously got his figures out, probably played with them. Uh, we have no guarantee it's the actual figures, apart from what the guy has said. But they, they've kept that collection and the letters together. I mean, I mean, I don't know. This there's something kind of odd about that, but in a, in a beautiful way. That you yeah. win, win a competition like that, and it must have been a huge, huge deal for them. Well, this one suggests that it wasn't really a kid. It, it was probably somebody who was a bit older, who had probably been interested in the Star Wars movies, maybe had bought the Marvel comics, sent away for these as a kind of, oh, there's a competition, that sounds cool, you know, surprised he won, perhaps, and then got these figures and thought, right, okay, these look nice, uh, the display really nice, I'm going to slice the bubble very carefully, take them out, have a look at the figures, do whatever he did with them, and then put them back in the bubble again. Whereas the one that me and Ben won, those, those were clearly won by somebody who wanted to play with the Star Wars toys. That's me. I mean, someone had the presence of mind there to, to take those out, and you know, that, that, that careful incision. Because, I mean, if you, if you look at the picture of the auction itself, I mean, like you said, they, they do look like they're, they're brand new figures that have just been sitting there. I wonder if we see any of those come up again. Well, logic dictates that the next set we see unopened. <laughs> <laughs> just still in the box, not even open from its uh, from the box that arrived from Palatoyan. <laughs> um, just a quick question for the uh, the experts of our of our team. They said that the first ten were twelve A's. Did the Jam the Discord Commander come out on twelve A backs? I have no freaking idea, mate. That's a really good question. I no idea, absolutely no idea at all. Pete, they also said that the Palatoy Jawa did not exist on the final cape, but they were wrong there as well. Considering that, I mean, that's obviously in decent condition. That's sort of the most expensive part of the auction. But I mean, they had other uh, reseals and partial sealed uh, figures in this auction, and uh, the, the, there was a couple of twelve bucks actually. You only went for like sixty or seventy quid. So it's quite. I mean, that's quite a lot of money. But I guess because of the condition of the bubbles on the cards, I know that I've you know I've sold some Star Wars Palatoy um, twenty-one bucks recently and thirty bucks. And you know some of the price can go kind of silly, you know, fifty pounds upwards just for a loose card without the bubble on. So I guess in, in some ways that that that's probably explain the value. But obviously the vinyl cape Jawa one pushes that up. Yeah, you said about the twelve A uh, Discord Commander. Yeah, does it exist? Yeah, guy on a limb, I say it definitely has existed and probably still does. Hey, you guys, come on in here. Let's give this guy an interview. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What the hell? During this podcast, we have talked a lot about Star Wars Tracker. Virtually every discussion has somewhere, somewhere involved the prices from the Star Wars Tracker software. Jared, you're, you're joining us. I believe you've made some updates to the software. I've been adding 
figure accessories and and all the rest of the items that have sort of a connection to the, the three and three quarter inch figures. Um, so I've been adding them into Star Wars Tracker and, and harvesting prices for them along with all the rest of it. What do you mean by accessories? Do you mean um, ships, weapons? Yeah, so I've done a, a rough categorization of vehicles, your X-Wing fighter, Sandcrawl, all that sort of stuff, play sets, yep. uh, the creatures, then all your mini rigs, and then all the micro line that came out in the Empire Strikes Back, then also the diecast ships, <laughs> and lastly the 12-inch figures. You re- um, you really like punishment, don't you? <laughs> well, um, it's 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 a labour of love, put it that way. It's kind of uh, I'm quite happy with how it's turned out now. At um, mobile devices, it looks quite cool and it's quite easy to navigate around. And and you know, with with the eBay prices back in it, um, you know, you just quite quickly can see where the the rough ballpark is on all these items. What sort of depth are you going into? I mean, I mean, is it is it boxed? Is it unboxed? Is it loose? Or is it all? Yeah, so this touches on one of the main issues why I'd put this aside for so long. Because, um, you know, with the loose figures and MOCs, it's quite clear cut uh, in most cases, you know, how you can record a, a price for an item. Yeah. But um, all the rest of this stuff, it just starts to get a bit more complex because you've got... Well, in the easiest case, you've got something loose with, without any packaging at all. But even then, you know, you've got this idea of it, you know, is it loose, but is it also complete? So, um, you know, one of the worst examples that I've tried to track is something like the Droid Factory, which has all those, you know, tiny, you know, multiple pieces. On one end of the scale, you know, you've got a nightmare of trying to track a price for a Droid Factory. Um, but then the others, are, you know, they're a bit more easy. So like an X-Wing fighter, you know, it only has, you know, a few pieces that can go missing, like the guns on the wings and the, yeah. the cockpit canopy. Um, so they're a bit easier to record. So you've got um, loose, then um, you've got, you know, you'll see a listing with some sort of packaging, you know, it might be torn up. Um, it might not have all the instructions, but, you know, there is some fragment of packaging that goes along with it next on the scale you've got your mint in sealed box so that's you know straight off the store kind of thing where it hasn't been opened uh it's you know still got the factory you know sticky tape seal so between all of that uh, i record prices against that criteria you know so you can filter on all those aspects to sort of hone in on on what you're trying to get a price for now you mentioned um the mobile side of things now i haven't used the mobile app is that is that android is it uh, ios is it across the range and and how do you hold of it in a nutshell it's across the range so essentially what it is it's the um star wars tracker website okay. which exposes the price guides so on any device that you can you know look up a website um, then you have access to the price guide through the Star Wars Tracker website. It seemed like that was the most sensible way to do it, to yeah, yeah, make it available so. to anyone. It is a cracking system. I really can't... I mean, now, you, now you've put on um, box goods. I mean, that's going to get you using, using it more and more because, again, it's, you know, it is a hassle to try and find the right thing, especially on eBay with the amount of like modern stuff using the word vintage. And people yeah. using using the term vintage for you know anything between you know the mid nineties these days they, use, they they tend to use a vintage so it's a real pain in the backside so you're you're taking away a lot of that yeah a lot of that, I um, think nonsense. you know I've had um criticisms about you know why is this system useful I can just go and do eBay finished listings yeah uh, but I think they haven't probably actually 
followed through on their own advice and just see how much you have to wade through <laughs> before you get your own answer. Yeah. Then, um, you know, if they're looking to do a global search, you know, they've got to do a currency conversion, um, you know, and, and wade through all the nonsense and repro listings. So, oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's not impossible to do yourself, but, you know, Star Wars Tracker just does all that hard work for you. And now, the top five priced figure-related items from StarWarsTracker.com. In at five this month, a cheeky Wookiee scalp collector from Mexico. It's an ungraded loose Lee Lady Boba Fett, and he collected a bounty of 610 US bucks. In at four, straight off the sand crawler, it's an ungraded Vinyl Cape Jawa for 1,725 American greenbacks. She's no princess this time, as she's come to collect Han Solo's personal bounty. It's a Leia Bush Power Force coin for $1,750. Beating its sister to the number two spot, it's everyone's favorite whiny little power converter shopper. It's a loose graded Luke Skywalker farm boy with yellow hair and a DT lightsaber for $1,777. US and with his second entry this month, you crazy cats love him! It's an Empire Strikes Back 48A Minton card Boba Fett for 3,049 bucks. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. Last month, I mentioned at the end of the Malcolm Tween interview that we would come back at the end of a show for a second part. And um, it was a bit of a crazy month for me in October. And even though I had recorded it, I didn't actually manage to get it uploaded to the podcast. Uh, apologies, I've got no idea why. So what I'd like to do now is uh, let us listen to the second part of the Malcolm Tween interview where he talks about more of his artwork. Welcome back. I know earlier on we spoke about your involvement with the stamps, but there's a lot more to you with regards to Star Wars art than just the stamps. I mean, I first saw what you were doing at Star Wars Celebration in Essen. So can you just cover how you got into Star Wars? Yeah, I mean, I was, I think I'm the perfect age to be a Star Wars fan. So I think it was six when the film came out. So I think anyone who grew up in the sort of 70s or 80s, most of the people I know love Star Wars. It's just something that sort of permeated our sort of popular culture at the time. So I've always been a massive fan. So when I first got the chance to work on Star Wars, then it was obviously, yeah, it was quite, quite an exciting thing. So I first started working for Lucasfilm on Revenge of the Sith, doing work for Star Guide, which is their kind of licensing bible. So anything that you see on a T-shirt or a toy or anything like that all comes from a Star Guide, and it's a massive compendium of artwork, photos, images, logos, things like that. So I got involved on Revenge of the Sith, and did some work on uh, Star Wars original trilogy, and then also did some work for the last indie movie as well. So busy man then. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Although uh, Star Wars probably is only a you know a small percentage of the work we actually do. We do a lot of other uh, sort of video game work and advertising work and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I've I've checked out your uh, your website, and there are some truly stunning images there of. of 
cars, all sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're quite quite a broad church in the uh, in the kind of work we do. Um, so yeah, anything that's interesting, we'll do. Yeah. Right. Well, going back to the celebrations and the Star Wars artwork, when I was in Essen, I picked up the stunning Recon Team Endor, which just really vivid use of of blues and greens mainly, which is what the Atat and the Skywalker speeder bikes coming through Endor. That was an extremely popular print, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It sold out, um, and I think it's probably been the one that everyone really likes. I think it's just maybe because it's a bit more atmospheric and simple. Sometimes you know you can overdo artwork, so it's nice to uh, keep it simple sometimes, and that has you know creates a better mood and a better image sometimes. I think. Yeah, well, I've got that right near my um, my atat. But also, also as an Essen, I couldn't help but buy Exit Echo Base, which was from, what was that, from Celebration? Uh, that was uh, Orlando, yeah, I think uh, C5. So so that one, again, completely uh, in contrast with it, because very light blue and, and the whites of the, you've got the Rebel Transport, the Falcon, the X-Wings all escaping, Rebel Base, very atmospheric in the background, so I loved those two. I couldn't wait for Anaheim. So can you, can you talk to me about your decision-making process to come up with the next one, which you have for Anaheim? Yeah, I think it was really just to complete the set. So I'd done uh, Empire and Jedi, so I was really just wanted to do a Star Wars one in the same in the same kind of series, focusing on the ships and the hardware rather than the characters on these. So and in my mind, there's kind of a colour scheme with all the films. So um, Empire is kind of blue and Jedi is kind of green, and Star Wars to me is those kind of warm uh, um, kind of uh, yellows and browns. So I just wanted to kind of make that classic kind of Star Wars image, I think. Yeah, I mean, delighted that I've got the set of three all beautifully framed because, you know, you can't just buy prints like this and just put them in any old frame. I ended up going for the fourth one whilst uh, I was with you in Anaheim, which was the um, Japan celebration. Ah, yes. Which was the classic, and you got Han, Luke and Leah in front of the Falcon. Now, can you just explain that one then? I kind of wanted to do something a bit retro looking because it was um, for the 30th anniversary of uh, Star Wars getting released in Japan. Uh, so I kind of wanted to make it a look on the colours and stuff like that, a bit, a bit maybe like an old spaghetti western poster, those kind of browns and oranges, and make it just a bit retro and a bit kind of rough and sketchy. Um, so that is the idea in that, quite visual um, with the, the Falcon and quite graphic rather than being too sort of realistic and bit more stylized. So the, those are the three which I've seen. They're the, the main ones. Are there any others which were early work of yours? did actually do one for um, LA, um, which was C4, um, which was uh, a kind of lightsaber duel between Luke and Vader. What, the um, lightsaber duel, are we talking Empire Strikes Back? Or it was, yes. Uh, I think I'm trying to remember now. Yes, I think it was, yeah. Right, well, that, that one certainly I haven't seen, so that must be... Uh, Quite, quite a rare one. Though. It was actually. It sold out really quickly. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, I, it doesn't seem to come up on eBay very much. So yeah, quite hard to get out of that. Talking of which, eBay. I, I had a little look for some completed listings earlier on. I was thinking, oh right, because you always find this, don't you? After yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the most recent one which I had for Echo Base, still going strong, was ninety-seven pounds. Oh really? Okay, yeah, ninety-seven pound and sixteen pound delivery. So um, yep, still is ever popular, <laughs> um, but which is uh, quite a significant markup from actually um, the very reasonable rates which are being charged at these celebrations. So um, yeah, how do yeah, you I think it's, it's it's I don't know. It's, Kind of, I kind of like the idea that everyone can get a copy, and they are limited. But um, it's kind of annoying sometimes that people are doing this just to make a profit, 
but um, understand at the same time people if people want to buy them and that's the only route they can get them then I guess you can't really do anything about it. It's just what the way it is, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there, there aren't many now on eBay. I think people have just bought happy with them, you know. Um, so I'm certainly not going to be getting rid of mine, I can tell you that much. You, you say that you've always, you know, been a Star Wars fan. Do you still have any of your early childhood stuff? Or do I do, actually, yeah. I, I still have um, the original set of uh, trading cards, the top ones. I think I had the red set. Um, so I've still got those locked away in a cupboard nice. and various kind of books and magazines from the time. Um, so, yeah, all the stuff from the 80s, uh, early 80s and late 70s, I've still got somewhere. I had um, sets of the old Ralph McQuarrie prints that were released at the time and stuff like that. So, yeah, still got a lot of the really early stuff. Brilliant. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you find that that people ended up losing it, letting it go, and it was just crushing when you realise, you know, it was... As you get to a certain age, you think, oh, I just wish, wish I hadn't yeah, got rid of that. Stick it all in a box and then it'll be fine. Absolutely. Hey, um, talking about, so you've, you've done your, done the stamps and I, ex- I expect you're going to be particularly busy on the lead up to Christmas. Um, I certainly hope after putting the amount of work you've put in, you're going to be going to the London premiere with some sort of ticket. Do you think that's on the card? <laughs> I'd love to think, think that would be true, but I think sadly, uh, probably not. Most of the people who work on the film won't even get to go to the premiere, so uh, uh, I think my chance is pretty slim, unfortunately. But are you planning on watching it regardless on the opening night? Definitely, if I can get tickets. But I think it's going to be a bit for free for, isn't it? So we'll have to see, see how we get through the uh, ticket lottery, I think. Well, Malcolm, I just want to end with saying that we've got Celebration London next year, which you must be uh, really pleased with, less, uh, less travelling and stuff for you. I assume that you'll be going to this one? Uh, yeah, hopefully. Um, if I get through the uh, the selection process, we'll have to see. It's the kind of thing that um, I guess Royal Mail probably have a presence there as well. So I'll probably be there doing some signing on the stamps and stuff like that as well. Oh, um, okay. Hopefully, you might actually get a chance to look around this one. Usually, you're stuck away on the on your booth for the whole uh, thing and don't don't really get much chance to look around. But uh, with it being uh, local, hopefully, I actually get a chance to have a look around properly for change. Quite nice. Do you, Do you still get to enjoy the celebrations? Um, it is. More of a work thing, to be honest, unfortunately. I think I've managed to spend about an average of half an hour each time um, actually outside the, the booth. So this time as well, it was really annoying because I had a lot of The Force Awakens costumes um, yes. on display that I'd just been working on, and I couldn't even get a chance to go and see those, so it was quite frustrating. But um, uh, one day, one day, yes. we'll, we'll do it, I'm sure. Well, if, if need be, I don't know if any of us from the podcast are there, and if you just want a half an hour, an hour or so, we'll, I'm sure we'll just cover you for a bit. Be careful, I might take you off on that. That's not a problem. <laughs> right, so finally, you say if you go through the selection process and stuff, have you already got something in mind? I'd love to pretend that I have, but um, <laughs> uh, I haven't had a chance to give it too much thought yet, so uh, that'll be ne- next on the list, I think. Okay, I just didn't know how long from, from initial plan, from concept to completion it would normally take we have to go through these kind of stages of approval so we have to submit our rough ideas and i think they approve that within a month or so of what can and can't be selected and then probably have another month or so to do the actual final artwork so that's probably going to be on the cards around christmas i guess awesome awesome okay well i was thinking about what what it is that i would love you to uh, to design or i would love you to draw i appreciate i'll, I'll take any any hints that would be great actually any inspiration well, i think the imperial shuttle is such a class spaceship it's very interesting the the alternative sketch i did for uh, essen 
was the Imperial Shuttle. I did a, another version, which was the Imperial Shuttle sort of with Endor in the background. Yep. So that was my other route. Um, but they like the other one better, so we went with the Atats in the end. Right. The, as you say, the, the SN1 Recon Team Endor is just a, a fantastic image. But, yeah, one day I wouldn't mind adding an Imperial Shuttle to my uh, to my collection. I'm sure there'll be hundreds of people out there as well willing to uh, get one of your limited edition prints. Malcolm, I really, really look forward to seeing you. It's Celebration London in July next year. Who knows? I might bump into you in a cinema queue in December. But thank you once again for coming on. Fantastic. Yeah, no worries. And uh, yeah, hopefully see you uh, London, if not before. So. All right. Take it easy, buddy. Nice one. Right. Cheers, cheers. Bye. Right, now I want to welcome back Lawrence Dyer for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready, Lawrence? Yep, go for it. Wonderful. Favourite Star Wars movie? Ooh, Return of the Jedi. Favourite Star Wars scene? Hoth. Uh, Favourite on-screen character? Gotta love a bit of Leia. Favourite prequel character? Darth Maul. Favourite part of the Force Awakens teasers or trailers? Chewie and Han. Chewie and Han, we're back. We're home. Which character would you most like to see a spin-off movie about? The call to do an early Bird Yoda film. Your favourite Sith? It's got to be Vader, I think. And which cast or crew member would you most like to meet? Mark Hamill. He is Luke Skywalker, isn't he? What was your favourite figure as a child? I think he is Luke Skywalker. And what's your favourite figure now? A man man Which of the four vintage Cantina alien figures is your best and your worst? Hammerhead. Horseman. Okay. Palatoid Death Star playset or the Kenner Death Star playset? Palatoid all day long. Your favourite ship? At at. Ship or place that you'd wish they'd made? The little bunker. I think the bunker that they blew up. Your favourite mini rig? Favourite mini laser cannon. I've got three or four of them. Your favourite card back photo? 92. Do you prefer the design of the Power of the Force cards or the Tri Logos? That's a flip up. Um, Tri Logos because I've just got rid of my Power of the Force. Uh, what was your last vintage Star Wars purchase? I just had a sealed at-at arrive yesterday with a number of other things. Wonderful. And what is your Holy Grail item? Pre-production of Man Man stuff. Lovely. Well, thank you very much, Lawrence. Thank you, sir. Right, lads, this month's rapid-fire question, with the movie just a few weeks away, I've gone with one of the Force Awakens rapid-fire questions. So, what has been your one biggest highlight from any of the trailers, teasers, or TV spots? Oh, let me go first, let me go first. Let's start with... uh, Pete. Oh, hi, Stu. Um, It's got to be, and I hope it is in the film, is the Verizon... Chewbacca and BB-8 scene. If that's in the film, I, that's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm I'm made up already. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. No spoilers. That's it. I'm not saying anything else. That's it. That's all I'm saying. I, I watched it about forty times in a row. I couldn't stop laughing. It was brilliant. Jez, what has been your highlight? 
there are so many, but I think the the big one is that very first teaser in Anaheim where it started off on Jakku, panned from left to right. You saw something move, you saw the speeder, then you saw the crashed X-Wing, and then your eyes focused on the destroyed or the crashed Star Destroyer. And when that registered to you as a Star Wars fan, that that's exactly what it was you were looking at, that just blew my mind. Blew my mind. It was amazing. Uh, Rich? Yeah, I was going to say the Crash Star Destroyer as well, because that's definitely been the big thing. But I also really enjoyed the children in need sketch as well. I thought that was pretty funny. Really? I was really disappointed with it. Strange. Grant? Uh, I'm with Jez on this. The trailer in Anaheim, the original teaser trailer, uh, I thought it would be good. Uh, totally underestimated how good it would be or how I'd react. And uh, I got as far as my sister had it before I started... <laughs> Feeling that magic that you had when you were four years old, and you thought that you could, have, you had your whole life in front of you, and you could thought you could do anything, and that trailer hit that nerve. And uh, no matter what happens to this film, as long as I've always had that trailer, I'll be happy. I have to say that that teaser trailer was amazing and everything, but there's something about that Han Solo line in the recent one that says it's true, all of it. I also like the. Um uh, the whole Ray thing and that little conversation with BB-8 that is kind of like resonated a lot as in you know suddenly we've got huge huge depth for the film already and yeah we just, just a couple of little, little tiny lines that's all we've had and suddenly we've got a massive great big backstory going on there the secret magic of the film is if it well if it invokes that magic that you makes you feel like you did when you were a child if it enables if it's able to tap into that there's nothing this film can't do, and it's you know it's a big deal. My biggest fear, <laughs> my biggest fear, will be that it's a rerun of Star Wars Greatest Hits. There are stories about what happened. It's true. Um, Jess, something I was meant to ask you last month. London Marathon places have now been designated. Did you get one? Have you no, got any, I didn't. Any other ideas? Yeah, I'm. I'm currently. I'm working on something, and this isn't me being, you know, deliberately sort of water mitty or candid or anything like that. I'm just. I don't want to embarrass people I'm working with at the moment by mentioning them just in case it all falls through and stuff like that so I've just got to respect them but what I'd like to do what I'd really really like to do you know whenever I've done anything like this I've, I've done it for various different charities and Click Sergeant last year and a few military charities before that there's a charity who I'd really like to raise money for and that's the Make-A-Wish Foundation for the kids who don't necessarily have much longer left on the planet try and make the most of their short lives for them and for their family so that their short journey is, is fulfilling as it can be and, and um, they've got some good memories or their family have some good memories so the Make-A-Wish is a, a fantastic charity and I want to do it as a bit of a challenge so I, I'm going to see if I can do it on behalf of Make-A-Wish which means that I've got to raise £2,000 which is a massive ask whenever I've done charity stuff before it's generally been around about the 1200 mark so I don't have a public ballot I've got to get one of these um, buy your own place but guarantee you get £2,000 so I said right I need to challenge myself and hopefully that way I can get some money in. I want to run it in armour in some sort of stormtrooper outfit. Now I've, I've looked into this and whether or not I need, you know, as a stormtrooper, 
Now, I know straight away there'll be people going, that's crazy, that's just really, really silly, that you can't move in these things. Yeah, I don't troop, I know I don't troop, I've spent the day in one, so I, I do appreciate what uh, one of those quality ones is like and how difficult it is. Believe me, I'm not going to be doing a four-hour marathon, I'll just be doing the six-hour shuffle. Half of me is thinking, actually, a Boba Fett would give me more mobility and it'd be a lot, lot easier. The other half of me is thinking, well, actually, if you really want to raise some money doing a Slave Lear outfit, the, the idea is I want to have some fun... I want to raise as much money as I can for Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is just, as I said, a fantastic charity. But I'm going to need some help with this at the moment. So that's why I'm speaking with some people in the background at the moment, and we're just going to come up with a few ideas. I'm sure that I could do it. It's some sort of Stormtrooper, which is just iconic Star Wars thing. Yeah. Boba Fett will allow more freedom of movement for sure and let's not forget you know I've worn armor in Afghanistan I've worn armor in Iraq you know I, I I've worn stuff which is a lot heavier and quite significantly difficult to move in I know I can do this I know it'll be a challenge and therefore well, why give me the money if it's going to be easy hopefully more news on that next time Right, Rich, do we have any feedback from episode 18? We certainly do, uh, Stu, me little pudding of love. We had quite a lot of feedback. Um, <laughs> what's interesting about last month's feedback is it ranges from the, the super intense, geeky kind of the, the Star Wars all the way right up until the fun stuff, which I'll, I'll cover in a second. So first off, we had lots and lots of feedback on the Jawa Sandcaller pattern, which is I'm really pleased about, because that really was, you know, a one-off item. Um, lots of questions, especially from the guys on TIG, who were asking, you know, what else was there, what else is going to come, and once Gus announces what is on there, we will have an update for everybody, so that was amazing stuff. Pete's question about the female costumes took off with quite a few suggestions, some really, really obvious ones that we did miss, and I'm just going to run through through some of the ones that we probably should have got. Lilo from The Fifth Element. I don't know if you remember that costume. It's basically the one with the girl who just basically has Andrew's toilet roll all over. Sarah Connor from T2. Seven of Nine and Deep Space Nine. Trinity from Matrix. Diana from V. Ula, that, that is a pretty good costume. And Daryl Hannah's character from Blade Runner. So they were all good shouts and good examples of female costumes that we, we could have added onto a list. What about Daryl Hannah from Splash? Wasn't the question, though, what's more iconic than the Slave Layer? And are any of those really more iconic? No, they're, they're not. They're not. Good point, Stu. Good point. Now, the Alien Cantina debate went on across various platforms. And at some point, it was really interesting that each of the aliens all ranked in different orders which was great I mean you know, I obviously thought Hammerhead was the best one and I think I said Snaggletooth was the worst or something like that but others were quite passionate about Snaggletooth being great others were passionate about Greedo and not as many for Walrus Man but there were one or two out there as well so, so that was a really good discussion all of our guests always get super cool feedback and Stefan's was no exception lots and lots of popular um, feedback on Stefan's interviews some really really informative stuff now, what I really love is getting somebody who's been on the forum or Facebook for such a long time, and then they jump in and go, hi, I'm a new listener. I didn't fancy listening to this before because I thought it was going to be an amateurish, amateurish load of crap. And yes, it is an amateurish load of crap, but it's really good when we get, you know, wow, I was pleasantly surprised about how slick it was, um, how informative it was, how the chemistry's always on, the banter's flowing. So it's really good. And I think, Jez, you might have said that really early on in the podcast, how we get new listeners all the time. Um, spread the message, guys. 
if you think you've got somebody who likes Star Wars, who likes uh, collecting and wants to find out a little bit more, point them to our podcast. Yeah, we never say that, Rich. We never talk about no, it. No, yeah, can you can you like us? You know, can we do this that and the other? I know lots of podcasts do that, but people are various different members of different groups, and you know, we're in that community where people do talk about it all. Yeah, for sure, it's it, it's one of the biggest things. And if if you all know, we we don't want to be that show who just has the big hitters on and the big collectors. We want we want to chat to the new guys as well. I think we're we would like to think that we're pretty much the most all-inclusive podcast there is. I think we'll pretty much get anyone on, won't we? Definitely, yeah. By all means, if a new listener, it would be great to have anybody come on the show. Just send any one of us a message and say, hey, guys, I'd love to come on and just give an indication of what you like to talk about and we'll make it happen at some point. The guys over at TIG have very kindly allowed us to have a sticky over on their forum for us to promote our show. And it's great to see a different type of community give us feedback. The guys on TIG are giving us some great ideas to move forward with the show, some of which we've incorporated tonight and some we're going to incorporate in the new year. Certainly, as Jez mentioned before, Bobby Bob's or Christian has suggested that we should do a bit more work on some variants and perhaps look at a, a licensee such as Park PPB. That's certainly something that we're going to look at. So thanks to uh, the guys from TIG. We are going to have lots more different variation talk and hopefully to appeal to as big mass market as we can keep your feedback coming guys well if you want to leave us feedback you can email us at show at vintagerebellion.co.uk on facebook of course at vintagerebellion.co.uk and please please come and give us a like on there and you can listen to the show find us on itunes or you can listen to us direct at swtvrpodcast.podbean.com. Just want to say a huge thank you to this month's guests, Lawrence Dyer, Chris Fawcett, James Simpkins, Eric Green, Malcolm Tweed, and Jared Cope. Quite a lineup this month, and we really do appreciate everybody's input. Yeah, I'd just like to say that um, my on the Star Wars Tops app, <laughs> my name is SWTVR underscore Grant underscore C. I'm looking for a Journey to Force Awakens Captain Phasma card or any of the Force Awakens cards. I've got goals to trade, so just, just give us a shout. <laughs> what, what, I, don't what they are, I don't know what those are. I've got some amazing news. One last thing, I've got some amazing news. Mike Gilbert, Gornish. Stu, I don't know if I told you about this, mate. Go on. You know me and you don't have a ticket for Saturday for a celebration. Uh-huh. One of us has now. Gornish has got a spare ticket. Mike Gilbert's got a spare ticket, which he's going to sell to us at face value. And uh, our mate, our made up, that just means that we're almost, the whole podcast, we're nearly all in through the door. Mike Gilbert, my man, you are a saint. From yep. us this month then, lads, it is goodbye from Dickie Hutchinson. Later, guys. Goodbye from Grant Criddle. And may the Force, enjoy the Force Awakens if we don't hear from you till then. Good night from Jezebella. See you later, lads. And laughing. And it's nighty night from Petey Weedy. Just let it in. And it's good night from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Ray is stunning. Yeah. Oh, the interview with uh, with uh, John Boyega on that um, TV spot I did. She looks amazing in it. Nope, don't watch That's anything what? now, Pete. Oh, Joe, what are you missing? Yeah, it's not. It's it, there's nothing about the film at all in it. It's just those two talking nonsense. But she's beautiful in it. She's like, oh my goodness. And she's the star as well by the look of it. Yeah, and she's all dolled up. She looks gorgeous. Don't need her to be dolled up. She just looks lovely. No, she looks even dollier. I don't need that, I just, <laughs> natural loveliness. <laughs>